Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here this second Saturday of 2023 to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History, Herstory, and True History, Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings, everyone, in this amazing year ahead. We have some important work to do as we assist in the healing of the planet and the anchoring of heaven on earth. So let us begin by going into our heart center. (laughs) And going into the heart center, we call forth for the full emergence and integration with our soul, with our higher self with our monad, with their mighty I am presence, as we find ourselves awash with the violet flame. And we welcome all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and goddess presence. See, sense, and feel your pillar of light fully anchored to source fully anchored to the heart of Mother Earth. For we are one. And we recommit ourselves to being that bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. We invite everyone to partake with us as we say the following affirmation. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And see everyone in their pillar of light supporting this work, participating on a soul level as their mighty I am. As we connect with them heart to heart, soul to soul, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart, all one with the cosmic heart of all that is. And so we welcome in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, both planetary and galactic, our ancestors, our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families, our soul pods, And we welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. 
We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the divic kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim. All angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the healing teams of the ascended masters. And we welcome as well all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light Healing Teams, especially those that we work so closely with from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus, and many others, as well as all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service. The entire company of heaven we invite to assist us as we ask Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 999 times, 999 billion times in divine will and divine law. And we call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, Every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively, the maximum that we can receive through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our work field multidimensionally, as well as on a conscious, subconscious, and superconscious level. And we ask that with all that we receive, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, that it is easily and effortlessly digested and assimilated, grounded and anchored, integrated and embodied, the maximum that we can receive. With the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. And so we call forth all those in our circle of support. From the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, every pet, every animal, every family member and loved one, every group, every organization, every business and corporation, every institution, every nation, every military, every government, every judicial branch of every government, and all the judges and all that work in that area of legal issues. 
and all those in every executive branch of every government here and in every nation and every cabinet member, all those that work in the executive arena and every legislative branch of every government and all of the laws enacted and created. We have in our circle all of the climate change. We have California and all of the rain that is pouring down across that state, all of the people at risk for the floods, the mudslides, all of the destruction of the water, and all those that have made their transition because of it. We have all the storms across the south in our circle of support as well. Again, across the, this land and across this planet, any storms, any tornadoes, any typhoons, any fires, any drought, anything that is caused by the change in climate we have in our circle of support. As well as all of the other conditions of life, all that is not in perfection, we call forth the divine blueprint for all. We call forth the divine blueprint for heaven on earth. And we hold that vision for one and all. And we use all the energy of this time in our collective cup of consciousness, all of the attention that we are giving to old world events. We're also placing in the Women's March next Sunday on the 22nd of January. In our circle... And we have hold all the energy toward all of these events, all of these situations, all of these conditions of life, all the ener- all the things that we're paying attention to on the planet, whether it was the Golden Globes last week or any other situation. And we call it in to our collective cup of consciousness that we are using to transform the planet, that we are using to bring people's attention to the divine, to their God self, to their Christhood, and to the creation of divine government and heaven on earth. And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her auric field, multidimensionally, through her ley lines and song lines, through her grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up the spiral of evolution, along with Mother Gaia, as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. 
And so we ask for divine blessings for all sacred activists as we say the following great divine presence of all life. Please reach your loving hand deep, deep, deep into the many layers of our human consciousness and enact a grand dissolution of all the limiting beliefs we may carry around judgment, self-loathing, negativity, any fear around physical death. Empty us of all self-willed creations, misperceptions, and adored truths. Remind us now of our vast and eternal nature, that we may stand courageously for the good, the true, and the beautiful. Rise us up with the invincible power of your will, strengthening us in every way to face the intensifying challenges of our time. Expand and accelerate the development of our divine human abilities that we may serve more effectively as an enlightened global avatar. Let the light of inspiration now compel us into greater and greater outpourings of creativity, joy, and world service. We are yours, great presence, to use as you would see fit. Send us now. We are ready. And so it is. And so, as we proceed with our activities of light, we bring our focus and our attention to California and all of the other places that have experienced destruction this week, anywhere in the U.S. and across the planet. From the still point of the Divine Presence, We call forth and invoke an all-encompassing field of transforming energy to come and unfold California, the southern states that experienced destruction this week, and any place else that may need additional assistance. May this potent wave of neutrality be divinely directed to go where it is needed most, penetrating to the core cause of these turbulent reflections. By and through the power of universal peace, immediately disperse any currents of discordant energy, contributing to the rainstorms, the flooding, the mudslides, in California, the tornadoes in the southeast, returning each of these regions and all surrounding areas into a state of homeostasis. Affirm with me now. Balance and harmony manifest now. Balance and harmony manifest now. Balance and harmony manifest now. Surround all relief efforts and all first responders 
nurses, doctors, healthcare workers, anyone involved in relief for California, for the Southeast states, or anywhere across the world in need of this assistance. Surround them all in an invincible bubble of cosmic light which magnetizes maximum strength, resources, and protection. Inspire unprecedented levels of humanitarian support from every corner of the world. And we affirm divine will and power manifest now. Divine will and power manifest now. Divine will and power manifest now. Guaranteed that every person and animal affected by the rains and flooding in California, by the tornadoes in the southeast, may all be guided to safety and receive the best assistance possible. And we decree wisdom and compassion manifest now. Wisdom and compassion manifest now. Wisdom and compassion manifest now. Great presence, please reveal the underlying lesson reflecting to humanity through the appearance of the destruction in California. And any, again, as we ask for the future destruction to be dissipated, as well as that which has taken place in the southeastern states. Raise us all now into enlightened understanding that we might be liberated from the need to experience this lesson again. We now call for the total holistic recalibration in all regions affected by the rain and the storms, both in California and then the southeast U.S., and again, anywhere else across the planet that needs this divine assistance. May all the people, the animals, the land, the water, the air, and every aspect of the elemental life be blessed with a profound saturation of universal light and love, inspiring the deepest levels of purification, peace, and liberation, in these geographical areas. Let this flow of divine intervention be sustained until the highest good manifests for all concerned. With love and reverence, it is done. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We're asking now for assistance, additional assistance for the elementals. In the name of God, Goddess, and the great presence of all life, we call forth and invoke divine intervention from the realms of light and assisting to stabilize the rains, the flooding, the mudslides in California and all storms throughout the world. 
by and through universal call, law, we call into d- immediate dynamic action the spirit of the earth, the powers of nature, and the forces of the elements, the legions of angels assisting earth's evolution, and the morphogenic field of unity consciousness. Please come and amplify all of our efforts 1,000-fold in accordance with the highest good of all. May the greater will be done. Beloved Creator, send the transforming universal light into the areas that have experienced disasters, and especially into California and the rainstorms and flooding there, to neutralize and calm the destructive effects. May this cat may this catastrophe be immediately contained with within an imper- impenetrable bubble of pure spiritual energy. Thy will be done. Assisting angels and elemental family. Please stop the rains over California and all affected regions. Bring the changes in weather that support balance in the realms of nature. Thy will be done. Please protect all of the brave men and women in their evacuations, in their relief efforts, with an invincible shield of cosmic power. Bless them with unlimited energy and every possible means of support. Expand this field of protection to all people, wildlife and nature in the affected areas. Thy will be done. Assisting angels and elemental family, please clear the situation, the conditions that have created it. Guard the health and safety of all residents along with their homes in California and all across the land, all across the, the nation, all across the planet. Stand visual at their sides and help us to balance the climate once again. Thy will be done. Great divine presence, may this divine intervention in its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained, all powerfully active and ever expanding until the evolutionary plan is filled, fulfilled for California and for each and every part of the United States and for the planet and every nation in the world as well. We seal this activity in universal peace. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We now turn our attention to the Women's March coming up on the 22nd. It's on a Sunday this year because it is the actual 50th anniversary of Rome. 
it's about empowering Roe and so much more. So let's bring in all of these energies as we focus on this movement. From our collective heart flame, we invoke the ultimate empowerment of a women's march. May the galvanizing energy generated by this group activity on the 22nd of January be fully aligned with the spiritual laws that govern the universe. Now, their focus is in Madison, Wisconsin, as well as all over the U.S. and the planet. We call upon the deepest and highest self of all those involved in the Women's March. May the power of divine will pour forth in its invincibility and inspiration upon those devoted souls that they may serve as clear channels for positive transformation upon the earth. Let the spiritual eye of every person supporting the Women's March be opened even wider, revealing the truth that lay behind the outer appearances of fear, control, and separation. Extend this inner expansion to reach deep into the hearts of all people connected to this movement, inspiring a vast outpouring of radical forgiveness and compassion. By and through the greater love within us all, inspire this movement with the light of unity consciousness. Bless this movement with the love of unity consciousness. Charge this movement with the power of unity consciousness. May transforming energy blaze through this network of souls across the U.S. and across the, the planet to help inspire the masses into empowered right action. May any media coverage for the Women's March deliver only the highest truth with total integrity. May justice prevail in every reflection of the cause of women across this planet. Great Spirit, please continue to expand the benevolent radiation surrounding this movement, blazing it forth to bless all those who are still holding on to any polarized emotions and divisive mental patterns contributing to the appearance of the suppression of women in any way, shape, or form across the planet. Help every person to see that we are one with the earth and with each other. Let positive change come swiftly in accordance with the highest good of all. And so it is. And thus we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We now call forth for blessings for our government and politicians. In the name of love and liberty. Okay. So we have the masters gathering for this one. And that's St. Germain, Elmoria, great divine director, Lady Liberty, the goddess of freedom, the goddess of justice. And many, many others. The great cosmic angel. I just want to acknowledge that they are here. 
to support us in the creation of divine government. In the name of love and liberty, we invoke the total empowerment of a governmental body that supports the highest good of every living thing in the United States and, of course, in every nation of the planet. May the collective presence of the celestial realms come forth now to support the best possible outcomes in this deeply transformational work by and through universal law. Purify the governing soul of the United States, Washington, D.C., all of the federal government and all state and local governments of all corrupting influences, instantly requalifying every device of thought, polarized emotion, and discordant deed through the revolutionary power of love's intelligence. Saturate the leaders, politicians, candidates, and decision makers, and all voters in this nation and in every nation, along with all of the people they serve with the light of divine understanding. Motivate the government of the U.S. and all national, state, and local government to take much greater action toward the cultivation of lasting peace and goodwill, both locally and internationally. Inspire the economic leaders of the United States to work together in harmony to ensure the health and prosperity of all citizens, all wildlife and the environment in this and every forthcoming generation. Empower the true spirit of democracy in the United States and Washington, D.C., and all levels of, of government. Great presence, please open and augment the pathways of light over every governmental building and office in this nation, Again, both in Washington, D.C., and in every capital of every state, all state and local government, every governmental building and office. Send wave after wave of transforming love into the entire political consciousness of this nation and all nations to support the highest levels of purification possible. Let divine governance emerge quickly to serve as a potent catalyst for positive societal and systemic change. May this divine intervention and its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained, all-powerfully active and ever-expanding until the evolutionary plan is fulfilled for the United States and all governments across the planet. With profound gratitude, it is now done. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we close with a prayer to seal this work. Beloved Mother, Father, God, and beloved legions of light throughout infinity have come to assist 
us during this sacred time. And blaze the violet flame. Just see it in through and around you, in through and around the planet, in through and around Washington, D.C., in through and around California, the southern states, in through and around all leaders, all individuals, every aspect of government, and every man, woman, and child. As I fulfill my part of this glorious divine plan, I love you. And I'm eternally grateful for your presence in the universe, beloved Mother, Father God. Blessed flames, the divine substance of the cosmic I am all that is. I thank you, as always, for your obedient service to the children of earth. Putting all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws and ascension waves that we receive benefit from each time we do our prayer work. Clothe in the gratitude from my heart, expand now within every heart flame. Perpetually lift every soul into the embrace of his or her I am presence and permanently unite every one within the divine heart and mind of God, Goddess. Allow every person to be the physical manifestation of divine government here and now as we expand the borders of the kingdom of heaven on earth. I realize the oneness of all life, and in deep humility I bow before the light of the cosmos as I serve as a pulsation of light in the body of the Supreme Source, I am. And so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth Archangel Sandalphon and Mother Gaia to assist us to ground and integrate this work easily and effortlessly for ourselves, for the planet, and for all upon her. All the people, all the animals, all the elementals. And we see this amazing work sealed in gold and silver and platinum as we ask for it to be maintained and sustained through the hours, days, weeks, months, and years ahead of our expanding to perfection as we call forth every aspect of heaven on earth and give thanks for this. And so it is. Take a nice deep breath. Ground yourself, come back to your room. As I give thanks to each and every one of you for participating in this sacred work. Being a vehicle of divine love and light, anchoring heaven on earth. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service. I invite you to further divine service every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. 
where we do prayer work like this. We do invocations. We do visualizations. We do meditations. We listen to updates, understanding what's going on in our transforming world. It's a teleconference call. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific time with um, greetings. And we have an update from Tarn Rama for about 20 minutes at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time. We go ahead and begin our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth with all of our activations. The telephone number, if you haven't joined us before, is area code 425-436-6260. Again, area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946 946- 7441 pound, 946 7441 pound. We'd love to have you join us and say hello. Let us know where you're from as we do our work of angering heaven each and every time. So we want to take this time to thank everyone once again for their divine service here today. Hope you'll join us Sunday and Monday. We want to thank Tarn Rama for their amazing service all these years. And I thank as well my dear friend and soul sister Rainbird for her divine service. As I pass this talking stick, again, it's ablaze with so much transformation, transfiguration as we do our divine decree work that is a part of that violet ray energy. But it carries as well all of the amazing frequencies, especially the sealing of the silver, gold, and platinum light, the platinum light of unity consciousness. So as one, I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you, my dear. Thank you, everyone. Have an amazing week. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick. And thank you for your divine service. We're so grateful for you. And so I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. So uh, with lots of gratitude, we need $520 this week for our BBS radio fees, and that covers two weeks, so we're behind a week. So yeah, I want to show you how to make a contribution to BBS Radio. Um, go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And there on the home page, there you'll see um, options for the menu. For Radio Station 2, you click on that and you'll find this program, The True History, History, and Miss Sarah, and our Galactic Origins with Tara and Rama. At the 1.30 hour, these are Pacific times here. And then the radio station two programs are Friday night, the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama at the 6 o'clock hour. And then on Thursdays, the night at the round table with the panel 
at the six o'clock hour as well on radio station one. So those are the two options there. What you need to do is click on the icon that is there at that listing, and that takes you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make a donation using your bank card in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. Thank you for your generosity. We're so grateful. And thank you for participating in the way, all the ways that you do. Uh, so, let's see, yeah, that's how it gets done. We need $520, and that's 260 for each week. And uh, that, if everybody pitches in a little bit, I know we can catch up. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. We're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And... Uh, with lots of gratitude, they're getting their car fixed okay, and hopefully that'll happen this week and um, or next week. <laughs> also, they need $100 for two bills that need to be paid this week, and they'd like to have $200 for their living expenses. So those are their needs, and it's not too bad. We're grateful for everybody who participating to assist Tara and Rama. Um, as that's what they need. <laughs> and that's how it happens. We all pitch in and support them for the work that they do here. And with lots of gratitude that for all that they bring to us. And bringing these shows is important. It's, uh, part of that piece. So here's how we assist Tara and Rama with their needs. You want to go to the website. And the web address is rainbowroundtable.net. And there, as you go to that web address, you click on the menu, that little menu grid, click on that, and you'll see a whole list of different chapters on that on that website. And near the bottom of that list, you'll see a donate link. Take that link, and that takes you to Rama's PayPal account, or the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. And uh, you can make that donation there. Um, in any amount. So thank you again for your generosity. The other way to access that account, and it, and it actually accesses the friend's account this way, you use Rama's email and you gift to Rama. So you go to paypal.com, and then you enter in Rama's email there and the, as to whom you are going to gift. That email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999, at hotmail.com. So as you do that, then that's, that makes it just um, a little bit cheaper. Your money goes a little bit further. Let's put it that way. And either way is perfect. We're so grateful for all your contributions and all the ways that you show up. So lots of gratitude. Um, as you're sending something to Tara and Rama, please let Rama know through an email. That email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at Comcast.net. Koran 999 at Comcast.net. And then as you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Ram, R-A-M-D, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. That's Post Office Box 28022 in Santa Cruz, New Mexico where the zip code is 87567. 
And I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information. And we're so grateful for all your contributions. And may you be blessed many times over uh, for your contributions. Uh, And, uh, yeah, thank you for all the ways you show up in your life. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And I'm passing this talking stick, and you know it's got all those transformational and transfigurational um, rays are on it, and it's, so it's activated, and it's got the violet ray and all, all those energies of the silver and gold and platinum light, and it's very dynamic and active and ready to roll. So greetings, Star and Roman. Here comes this talking stick. It's an Excalibur is there with that sort of truth. So let's roll it. Greetings. Tara and Rama. Here comes that talking stick. And I want to say thirteen thank yous and honey in the heart in case I didn't say that yet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you, Rayford. Thank you. No, no, no evil every... live long and prosper, everybody. Aloha. Well, and thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. We're moving in the direction of love is all there is. Yes. <laughs> Some folks on this planet need a bigger reminder. Mama, why don't you tell us what you got in school today on your notebook there? Oh, um, I talked to someone named Max Cole, who's <coughs> somewhere in Southeast Asia. He used to be a New Mexico state senator. Mm. And um, he blew the whistle on the Mexican mafia here. So he had to kind of disappear, and they said he died a mysterious death. And but he didn't die at all. No, he didn't die. They disappeared him over there, Vietnam. Is that where he is? He did not say. He said Southeast Asia. Oh. So that take a guess. A territory. Yeah, could be Thailand, could be Laos, could be Cambodia. Yeah. But he just said the energies are extremely high right now. And could be the Philippines too. I don't know. <laughs> well that's in the southeast. Well I guess it's not on the mainland, is it? <coughs> he said the energies are extremely high and the Republicans are out for blood, and to send them more love, <laughs> even though they're out for blood. And compassion and kindness, uh, I think, can change even the ugliest orc out there. <laughs> I try to be nice with my words. <laughs> um, Bill Maher does a great job, and... You know, I don't know where to go with that. Bill Maher, he he lets naughty people on his show too, though. Yeah, Max Cole is just saying they're going down. 
and it's big because it's about stealing the people's wealth and using it uh, for their end time story that is being played out right now. And um, war is canceled, so to speak, along with the old timeline of the Matrix. And that's as much as he told me. Just keep allowing that sunlight to keep pouring in. Because it is changing our DNA. It's changing everything. And they don't want us to focus on the light coming in. And to hurry up and get your jab. Join the Matrix. I passed the talking stick. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. What's the final word again? Stay in your high heart. Send love and compassion to these what did Max criminals. Have, what did Max have to say in particular? I mean... They are playing out their end times end game. Even to the point where they want to create fake false flag events like a nuclear detonation of something, yet all the nukes have been neutralized. They couldn't fake that. They would use some kind of TNT, tons of dynamite. Oh, that that wouldn't work at all. Yeah, the Hollywood... The scientists would know right away. And anyway, who are they going to kill in mass like that? Don't know, place of violet fire. Max is very close to the best with his words. So, I mean, he in particular showed up on this particular day. Is there a particular reason that he did today? We're getting close to Dr. King's... um, That's tomorrow. Yeah, and I think that's why he showed up. Because the story number one is right here. The deep state killed Dr. King. They killed JFK Sr. alone. They killed Bobby Kennedy Sr. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, they didn't kill Ted. I mean, they didn't kill JFK. They killed a clone. Got to be very careful. Yes. But they did kill. Hillary, in particular, had a vendetta against Bobby Kennedy Jr. Because had he run, she would have lost. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Very. Nobody's touching that one, talking about Hillary. No, everybody's talking about this George Santos, which I'm not going to even say anything. Well, somebody (laughs) paid him off in a very big way in order to get McCarthy in there. Yep. Right? Money's never money. Sex is never sex. It's always something else.
Okay. Um, so, uh, why don't we just start with what Patty's got? Yeah, this is an interview with uh, Patty Cotarobos and um, Mon Monsef Afkir. And you can go to YouTube and find this, Patty Cotarobos, The Unfolding Divine Plan for 2023. And you can follow along. It's right on YouTube. Hour and 20 minutes, everybody. Hour and yeah. 19 minutes and 56 seconds or something. So Here let's get started. Let's just see what this has, what Patty has to share with us. Okay. Hello, everyone. This is Monsef Afkar, and uh, thank you so much for joining us in this new call of Your Divine Uniqueness. Um, yeah, so we're very happy to to connect with you again, uh, live or, uh, or with those of you who will be uh, watching or listening to the replay. Um, so yeah, um, really excited about today's call and also very happy that Patricia Kotarobles is, uh, is back on the show. She joined us, um, I think a few years ago. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was really, really powerful, very, very inspiring and, really filled with wisdom and truth, the call that we had with her and, and also her, her message in general, it's, um, she really shares messages of, of truth and empowerment, um, helping us to remember, um, who we are as divine being, as sovereign divine being. And our power truly creates, um, a life that's, that's truly deserved, that's, that is based on our, um, hearts and soul essence and where we can thrive, um, personally and also contribute to, to the collective and co-create together with others to, um, to really shift to, to new earth and to bring more love, more peace and more light to, to the world. And, um, yeah, as, as probably uh, everyone know, like really her messages are, are very inspiring and, uh, yeah, um, I'm really happy that she she's with us today on the show. And uh, for, for those of you who are new to her, she is the co-founder and president of the Nonprofits Educational uh, Organization, New Age Study of Humanity's Purpose. And um, today's call will, will be about the unfolding divine plan for 2023. So she will be <laughs> so she will be sharing about. Um, What's been happening the past years energetically and also what you um, doing, huh? What you doing? And uh yeah, so uh also like she will be sharing about this year twenty twenty three and we've been hearing about it a lot, um as we say more positively. And there is more excitement that that we feel energetically in in the collective about this year, and um, yeah. So also she will guide us on the uh, powerful activation, and then after that we will have a Q and A where you can ask your questions. So for that you can either type your question on the chat box if you are on Zoom or raise your hand. Um, if you want to talk to Patricia and also if you are watching on YouTube, you can write your question, uh, question there on the question, 
question box there. Yeah. All right. So with that, Patricia, welcome to the show. Very happy to have you with us today. Oh, well, you're very welcome, Monsef. I'm delighted to be here. It's a powerful time and to meet with all these beautiful people. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, yeah, uh, really excited about the subject today. And uh, maybe if, if there are maybe some of our audience who want to learn more about your work and the um, your organization, I would love if you can tell us maybe briefly about that. Sure. Actually, in in the latter part of the 1960s, I've been around for a very long time. <laughs> in the latter part of the 1960s, the company of heaven, the beings of light that were working with us, uh, said that we had reached this point in time when that the uh, esoteric teachings of the mystery schools were to now become exoteric and be brought to the outer world. And I was asked if I would be willing to transcribe the information that they were giving to me and make it available as accessible and as freely as possible to the masses of humanity. And I was deeply honored to be able to do that and to be invited to do that. And the important thing that the beings of light wanted me to really understand and to share uh, so that people could understand that is that the reason I was specifically asked to do this is because there is absolutely nothing special or unique about me. I am no more psychic than anybody else. I am not a channeler. I don't uh, do anything that each and every one of us have, don't have the ability to do. And just as an everyday normal human being and all of the communication and things that I have shared over all the years now since the latter part of the 1960s is uh, in the books and everything is information that has been shared with me from the company of heaven to guide us and help us along this path. So my mission, I was a marriage and family counselor for 20 years, but when I really started doing this full time, I uh, started the organization as a nonprofit organization and had been offering free seminars and, and workshops and I, we have a weekly vlogs, we have monthly newsletters and sharing the information in as many ways as possible so that anybody that had the heart call or that was interested would be magnetized to it. So um, the information I'm sharing is information that's available to each and every one of us. And my whole mm-hmm. I know from the depth of my being for the, all of these years that we've been teaching seminars and my wonderful group of uh, co-workers that work with me and support me and help me in all of this. My mission is to teach teachers. And I know that when all the information has been given to us is just to help awaken within every single person that's magnetized to this information, the reality and the understanding that this information is just to help you connect with the divine momentum and truth that's pulsating in your heart so that you can then integrate that and fulfill your own mission. We are all unique. There's this golden thread of light that runs through all of us, our whole life experiences. No two people have the same life experiences. I have a mission. You have a mission. And it's we're past that time of, of the guru or uh, meeting masters in the outer world, we have been preparing for lifetimes. And so 
the information and the assistance that we are being given now by the company of heaven is just to empower us to go within and to fulfill the divine mission that we've each been preparing lifetimes to accomplish during this cosmic moment on the planet. Um, wonderful. Uh, thank you so much, Patricia, for sharing about this. And I agree with you, it's, this is not about comparison or um, comparing ourselves to others, uh, feeling less than or maybe better than others. It's more about co-creation and everyone is equally important to this um, awakening that we are experiencing. And um, also... Uh, I'll, say, like, I'll just yes. say real quick, not only equally important, but vital to the fulfillment yes. of the divine mission. Yeah, beautifully <laughs> said. And um, yeah, so so the, the, the past... Um, few years it's been um very challenging but when we see it now from from distance we we feel that it's been like preparation and also a time of very deep shift and connect connecting to our inner truth so i would love if you can tell us your perspective about what was happening and uh, um like for collectively and also for like every, every, each person how they can benefit from that phase that we uh, we came from, yeah. Okay, I'll be glad to. The beings of light have shared with us. This is really an important part of the facet because from outer world, it looks like everything is in chaos and everything is getting worse. But the reality could not, that negativity could not be further from the truth. And the reality is the beings of light have said that this is a unique experiment in the evolution of this planet. Never before has a planet that's fallen to this depth of chaos and negativity been given an opportunity to move forward in the light as quickly as we are moving forward in the light. And when we victoriously accomplish this ascension into the fifth dimensional frequencies of uh, illumined truth and the higher perfection of planet Earth, as we complete this ascension process, we are literally creating a new octave of godhood because everything that we've ever experienced is recorded in our etheric records. And when we complete this ascension, all of the negativity, all of the pain and suffering that we experienced is going to be written and recorded in the halls of learning so that the sons and daughters of God in the future will be able to learn what it means when we were told, do not partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which simply meant, and we didn't understand it at the time, but what it meant was, don't experiment with our life force, with our gift of life and our creative faculties of thought and feeling. Don't experience, experiment with our thoughts and feelings in ways that aren't based in love. And we had no concept of what that meant. So when we began making the choice to misqualify our energy and fell into this abyss of separation and duality, it was literally through trial and error and experimentation. So now when we complete this ascension, there are recorded records in the inner realms so that the sons and daughters of God will be able to learn the horrific things that occur when they do that without having to experience it the way that we have. 
So this is a critical facet of the evolutions of the sons and daughters of God through all creation. And the beings of light said that nothing was left to chance in the fulfillment of this shift of the ages that we're in the midst of. And that every single person embodied on earth at this time was specifically chosen to be here to fulfill a facet of the divine plan. And they said for every one of us that are here, there were literally thousands of souls applying to embody on earth that were turned away. And we were chosen not because we are more special or more evolved or more wonderful than our sisters and brothers. We were chosen because our experiment from all of our various lifetimes, the challenges we had, how we handled them, how we literally were able to stay focused on the light in the face of all adversity. The beings of light chose us because they felt we would have a better chance to be in the quagmire that we're in right this moment and still stay focused on the light. So they they have said, we knew it was going to be this way. We saw the overall divine potential. We know that every electron of misqualified energy is a precious gift of life that must surface and come to the fore, and we must send enough love into it to transmute it back into light. We can't just say cancel, cancel, and eliminate the past. Every negative, abhorrent, horrible thing that we have done through our lifetimes or that's being done on earth now is taking our precious gift of life of that person involved, and they are making the free will choice to misqualify it through hate, through anger, through greed, through fear, through corruption, to misqualify it into this gross mutation. So if we can just envision that this pure gift of life, these electrons, our unformed electronic light substance that beats our heart and that we utilize with every thought, word, action, and feeling, that is intelligent, precious gift of life directly from the heart of God that we receive as pure God perfection. And then through our free will, we choose to qualify it with whatever is going on in our frame of mind at the time. But we are responsible for those choices. So that energy, that's what the law of the circle is, or we call it the law of attraction, or we call it karmic liabilities, whatever we want to call it. This light goes forth from us, qualified with our frame of mind, and then it comes back to us. And when it is qualified with love and divine light, it passes through our heart flame and returns to our Father, Mother, God. When it comes back as a gross mutation of negativity manifesting as poverty or greed or war or corruption or the abuse of power, that energy must be transmuted loved free, transmuted back into light, then it can pass through us to return to the source. So we were chosen because our Father Mother God thought that with our experience from all of our individual and collective life experiences, that we had a greater potential 
of being able to stay focused on the light and to keep on keeping on in the face of the adversity that would be surfacing to be healed and transmuted back into light. So this is the step and this is the position where we are at this time. And what the beings of light want us to understand as we move forward in the light is that we are receiving incredible assistance from the heavenly realms. And the beings of light want us to understand the beings of light. And I know that most of you are probably very connected through them, whether consciously or in your heart flame or not. These are our sisters and brothers that have moved to a higher level of evolution. They're like college professors compared to us be kindergarten students. They're all of the famous or uh, uh, beings associated with the various religions, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, all of the beings of light of Krishna and, and the beings of light that we have done, who all incidentally brought to the world nothing more than the path and frequencies of divine love to reconnect with the divinity within. All of the other distortions, misinformation in the world religions are human miscreations and things that people have done and distorted, just like we're witnessing to this very day, taking information and distorting it for their own uh, personal greed or, or whatever into a distorted concept. But all of those beings of light, let alone Archangel Michael and the legions of angels and beings of light, the solar logos from suns beyond suns, all of them functioning within the all-encompassing presence of our Father God, the cosmic I am, all that is. And the beings of light, one of the things, especially Archangel Michael working with this, wants us to understand about our ability, because so many of us feel overwhelmed with what's happening in the outer world. We turn on the news and it looks like if anything can go wrong, it will, you know, and that everything is falling apart in the outer world. And that with climate change and with finances and with disease and health and everything, there's so much negativity, but this is what's being pushed to the surface. And what we don't understand is that the light of God is increasing on earth in ways that we've never previously experienced because humanity is awakening and invoking that light of God. And as the light flows through us, it pushes everything to the surface that conflicts with that light. So what we're seeing and what we're experiencing is the antithesis of the light, but it is the negativity that's being pushed to the surface that from outer appearances looks like everything is getting worse. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The beings of light said our ascension into the light in all of its glorious perfection has already been accomplished in the realms of cause, in the causal body of God. And once something is co-created and completed in the realms of cause, nothing can prevent it from manifesting in the world of effects, which is the outer world. And the only variable is how long that will take. And that is what is up to you and me. We are multidimensional beings. 
we are co-creating greater and greater frequencies of the patterns of perfection for the new earth. The beings of light have said the physical plane of earth is the least real of all of the realms we abide in, and it is the very last dimension to reflect these incredible changes that we are co-creating. So what the beings of light want us to understand is that we are powerful beyond our knowing. And we hear the words, we are one, and all of that. And that sounds wonderful, but in most instances, it sounds like a a sweet uh, belief system rather than a profound truth. But the reality is, is that we are one, that every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life and even all the spaces in between those particles and waves of life pulsate in the body of our all-encompassing presence of God. And I mean when I say every atomic and subatomic particle. I'm talking about through all creation. Everything lives, moves, breathes, and has its being in the all-encompassing presence of our Father, Mother, God which even science in some instances is beginning to refer to as the divine matrix. And every thought, word, action, or feeling we express is qualified with a particular vibration that not only affects us and our personal lives, it affects all creation. So the beings of light want us to understand the magnitude of our ability to make a positive difference. When we talk about our God self, this is a lot of people refer to this as our soul, our holy Christ self, our higher self, our super conscious mind, all different kinds of terminologies. The beings of light are encouraging us to know that this aspect of our divinity is known through all creation as our mighty I am presence. And our Father, Mother, God are known as the cosmic I am, all that is. And as we were breathed forth from the heart of our Father, Mother, God, that individualized expression was like a minuscule sun reflecting the totality of our Father, Mother, God. So when we say I am my I am presence. That part of us that is the totality of God instantaneously is connected directly to the source of all that is. And every time we say I am my I am presence, we connect with the highest aspect of our divinity that is one with the source of all that is. And that I am presence is now integrating into our divinity and our heart flame in new ways because we've shifted over the years, raising vibrations into higher and higher frequencies. And we've moved from the depths of the third dimension through the fourth dimension. And we're now in the initial impulses of the fifth dimension. So our I am presence is now integrating in new ways. 
And our I am present, this is what's important to understand so that we can recognize our ability to make a difference and the power within us. Our I am presence is one with the I am presence of every other person on earth. And one time Archangel Michael decades ago was demonstrating this to me, trying to help me understand how powerful we are. We aren't this little pitiful human being praying to God, asking for something at the same time that eight and a half other billion souls are doing the same thing, feeling totally inadequate in our ability. Instead, we are one with that eight and a half billion souls, and we can move forward in this together. So Archangel Michael asked me at one time in my In my meditations, I always say I am my I am presence, so I connect directly with that source. And then at that time, I was invoking the light and projecting it everywhere I wanted it on the planet. And Archangel Michael came to me at the conclusion of that meditation. And in my mind's eye, he asked me if I if he wanted me to demonstrate how I could expand my ability to serve humanity from my own individualized expression to all humanity simultaneously. And I, of course, said yes. And so he asked me to say, I am my I am presence and to invoke the light. And then he asked me to say, and I am one with the I am presence of every person on earth. And when I said that, I've never experienced before or since then, but the explosion of light through my heart flame. And my I am present sent a ray of light instantaneously into the heart flame of every man, woman, and child on earth. That ray of light alerted every person's I am presence that someone was invoking light on their behalf and they stood in readiness to receive that light. Now, the important thing to understand about that, because I know there's a school of thought that feels that if we invoke the light on somebody else's behalf and they haven't asked for our assistance, that we're interfering with their divine plan. That never can happen when we go through the I am presence, because no matter what we are invoking in the way of light, their I am presence absorbs that light and utilizes it in perfect alignment with that person's divine plan and their highest good. So if we are invoking, for instance, healing, and that person is wanting healing and is dealing with a physical challenge, the healing light goes to the I am presence, and the I am presence accepts it. But if the person isn't through learning what they needed to learn, to complete transmuting the energy from that disease. The I am presence doesn't just instantaneously heal them, but they utilize that light to accelerate the process so the person can learn the lessons and move through it more quickly so that it eases their burden and their ability with that disease. And this is true no matter what we are invoking in the way of light. When we say simply, I am my I am presence and I am one with the I am presence of all humanity, instantaneously, our light 
shifts from invoking the light into through my I am presence into my heart flame. Simultaneously, the light flows through the heart flame of the eight and a half billion people on this planet. So if we can begin to just fathom how powerful we are, so many people feel just like we've talked about each of us has this really important mission and we feel I don't have any idea how it is. I have all my kids. I'm in school still or I'm working. I don't have time to do that. There's no way I can go out and do this big divine mission. Look at the power you have just sitting in a quiet meditation, invoking the light on behalf of every man, woman, and child. And we can expand that to every facet of the elemental kingdom and to the entire creation, the strata of Mother Earth. And to all creation, we can do that through our meditations with our heart's desire and our divine intent. So what the beings of light want us to just realize is that we are powerful beyond our knowing. And we don't have to figure out how much light that person needs. We don't have to figure out how their I am presence is going to use that light. We just have to, from the core of our being and the divine balance and love flowing from our heart, invoke the light of God on their behalf. And we can simply say, whatever I am invoking for myself, I invoke on behalf of all humanity, the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth in perfect alignment with their divine plan and their highest good. And then that's exactly what happens through their I am presence. The people that are resisting in the outer world, the ones that are wreaking havoc, the beings of light are telling us consistently that it has already been accomplished in the realms of cause. So now we're just bringing it in to a tangible reality in the outer world, in the world of effects, manifesting the heart-based patterns of the new earth in the physical plane. And 2023 is going to be an incredibly powerful year for us to be able to do that. And we're going to, each and every one of us, be getting our own inner guidance. And we can also, when you are called to a group, if you're working with a group, you can do that too, certainly. When we come together and work together, the more light we invoke, the better, however it is. And then in addition to that, Listen to your own heart and take your own steps forward in the light. So I'm going to take a break and see if Monsef has any questions at this time. Then we'll go on and can talk about what's going on now at this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Patricia. That, that was really very inspiring. And I love that you, you touched on like different areas, like from um, like the, our, our physical body and also in, in relationship to others, because many times we feel caught on, like we want to help others or um, contribute, but at the same time, we are focused on a specific reality that we think is the right thing for others. But I love that you said it's, uh, we provide the lights, but we, without, um, why, uh, why being like um, not intervening or trying to force um, certain reality for others and um yeah so thank you thank you so much for that and uh oh, you're welcome 
And that's one of the challenging things that's happening. And that's because of the distortion. You know, when we fell and start misqualifying our gift of life with thoughts and feelings that we weren't based in love, we started creating these gross mutations of discordant energy. And we fell into such frequencies that it short-circuited our ability to communicate and connect with the higher realms and our Father, Mother, God. We were always, what I'm sharing with you that I was experiencing uh, through my own personal quest in the 1960s, we have always, were always supposed to be able to have the guidance and assistance from our sisters and brothers in the heavenly realms. You know, the universal law is as above, so below. No one in the physical plane of earth is expected to go through all the academic teachings of college and school and, you know, all the mathematical and technological teachings without professors and teachers that teach us along the way. Well, the same thing is true. So we fell to this point where we lost consciousness of our I am presence. We started thinking that our physical body is all that exists. And when we did that, we created this fragmented human ego that determined that our purpose and reason for being was to gratify our physical senses. So there's been this real distorted consciousness that's resulted in all the greed and separation and war and all of the battles and things that we've been having. So now we're beginning to realize the oneness of all life and reversing that. And the people that are still functioning out of that fragmented consciousness are scared to death that they're losing their ability. And our egos, that part of us, thinks it's being destroyed. And so it's fighting tooth and nail to keep us from moving forward in the light. And when Monsef talked about our bodies and taking care of our bodies and Our ego has manipulated and controlled our body. I mean, all we have to do is try to improve our diet. We immediately start craving every single thing we're not supposed to eat, right? (laughs) That's what we all start experiencing and start going through. That's our ego resisting. And there's a reason for that. You know, as we tried awakening and as we tried moving forward, the Orthodox religions were working toward trying to have us not misbehave. And so we got all the doctrine of burning in hell and all the sins and all of those kinds of things so that we would stop. But we also started suppressing the human ego, the mortification of the flesh and, you know, uh, uh, vows of poverty and vows of celibacy and whatever we needed to do to kill our ego. Well, our ego was part of us. So we can't kill part of us and still survive. So now what's happening is people are beginning to realize that. But those that are still fearful are fighting tooth and nail. So they're coming out with all of the conspiracy theories and all of the us against them consciousness and all of the battles that we're doing with somebody being superior over somebody else. All of that is hogwash. We are one and there is no separation. And we each, you know, if this wasn't so difficult, what's going on in the outer world about that uh, separation and duality, it would really be comical because the reality is, is that we have all lived myriad lifetimes. And prior to each embodiment, we choose what earthly experience we want to have. And we are shown 
the panorama of what our karmic liabilities, how we can grow and learn. And then our I am presence makes that decision for us. And so we've all been every culture, every religion, every race, every nationality. You know, that's how we've learned and how we've grown. So for anybody to say because of the color of the car they're driving, which is what our physical body is, that they're superior, better than the car somebody else is driving, the color of the car is ludicrous and it's just ridiculous. And this is where we're coming together of starting to really realize the oneness of life. This is the key reversal of our fall from grace is the realization that we are one and that all life is divine and have us help each other transmute this surfacing misqualified energy and move to the surface instead of fighting tooth and nail to hold on and to prevent us from moving forward. Just like we're seeing politically in the outer world, we're seeing it financially in the outer world, you know, the, the ridiculous things that people are doing, you know, in the United States, they were just having a um, uh, a strike with the railroad companies because the railroad companies will not give their employees one day a week even of sick leave. You know, so that was what the big battle was. They were trying to get some sick leave for them. And they have them on and they gave them a little bit of a raise, but they still didn't give them any health care or, or sick leave. And the company, they said, made over $40 billion profit in just this one year. And they can't take that $40 billion profit and help their employees who are making the profit for them in the first place. See, that's what we're all experiencing, you know, in this abuse and this misuse of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. And also, like, as you've been talking, as we are focusing uh, on the lights and we are like collectively uh, shifting our reality, also like the way, how to say, entrepreneurship and uh, maybe doing, doing business is, is, is shifting more and more and we feel that and we see that in men, in some some companies. But the power of people, it's because in general, like the companies, they follow what people want. And so we see like people have power over them um, if, if, we, if we are able to focus on the lights and what we want. Um, yeah. Again, there's so, such a shift going on. Our organization, we go uh, by era of peace. New Age study of humanity's purpose has been our is our foundation, and but the our website is eraofpeace.org. And every year we have a World Congress on Illumination. This year we'll have our 37th World Congress on Illumination. It began with Harmonic Convergence in 1987. But last year, what we, what the mission was, the beings of light give us the mission every year. It was creating the divine matrix for a generational changing of the guard so that the young people that are coming in now, that are bringing in all these higher level consciousness codes within their DNA to help rebuild the new earth and to manifest it physically are coming to the fore. And just like Monsef was saying, we're going to be seeing that more and more. They're not going to be doing battle, you know, trying to take over the old things. They're going to create whole new levels 
and make the old ones obsolete so that there's a whole new level of energy and, you know, healing the planet and healthcare and all of those kind of things. But all of us are part of that as well, regardless of whether we're considered our a new generation or whether we've been around a long time. There was um, a wonderful, in Richard Bach's book, uh, Illusions, he had a wonderful test to tell whether or not your work on Earth was finished. And he said, the test is, if you're alive, it isn't. <laughs> and I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Monsef. So, um, yeah, would you like to talk now about the 2023 Divine Plan? Yes. One of the things that took place last year was this shift, is that we moved into a frequency. Let me just say that with the birth of the new decade, the beings of light said in this decade, the uh, humanity will shift in ways that will change the course of history for planet Earth and awaken in new and powerful ways. And they said that because of all of the activities of life from every person up to that particular time, that we are now in a place where we were able, our Father, Mother, God was able to grant a dispensation to the beings of light to uh, move us forward in the light in ways that have never, they will be able to collaborate with us in ways that have never before been attempted in any system of worlds. And we didn't know just exactly what that meant, but this was in January of 2020. Within a matter of weeks, we started experiencing uh, COVID and they said, don't worry about the reasons or the, all the outer world stuff about COVID but to pay attention to the bigger picture. And they said within weeks, we had a global planetary pause that had never happened before, just forcing everybody to stop. This gave the I am presence of each person a time to begin integrating in ways that we had not previously experienced. And through that time, inner and outer activities, many things were taking place because of our, even with the uh, essential workers and things like that, even though they weren't able to stop, this created this huge global chalice of light. Some of it was really fear-based because people were afraid of COVID, but the light is infinitely more powerful than fear. So what really happened is they said that literally billions of people all over the world were invoking healing, were invoking compassion, were sending love and caring to the people that were dying and the people that were experiencing COVID. And they literally created a shift of consciousness and within our vehicles that allowed our I am presence to integrate. And we started experiencing the oneness of life in ways we hadn't paid attention to. As this essential workers, the people that we take for granted, have picked up our garbage and got our food to us and took care of us in hospitals. It shifted the consciousness. And it created an incredible heart opening. 
Now, people witnessing that, you know, not necessarily on a conscious level, but people that were the fear-based people were talking about witnessing this shift in this toward oneness and this shift of consciousness began digging in their heels. And this is where all of the conspiracy theories and all of the us against them things started happening. But the other had already been created. This has been building in momentum until we were able to move through many shifts of vibration. And we've um, uh, spoken about that in our newsletters. We have a weekly vlog. It's just like a 15-minute little video that talks about the beings of light every week on our website. And all of those are free. And you can go back and look at them if you want to see some of the major things. But it has brought us to this point now where in 2023, the beings of light said we are moving forward in ways that now the circuitry, the divine alchemy that's taking place within our bodies, it is literally transfiguring us from carbon-based planetary beings in our physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies into fifth-dimensional, crystalline-based solar light beings. There is a divine alchemy taking place from the carbon-based cells into crystalline-based cells. You know, and what we've, this is happening at a greatly accelerated pace, but in the outer world, what we've seen about that is the diamond. Of course, a diamond begins with a lump of coal, which is carbon. And then through the life experiences and the shifts and the pressure and all of that, it's transformed into this exquisite crystalline diamond. And we're moving from that carbon-based into crystalline solar light-based bodies. And the beings of light said this year in 2023, we are going to see a greatly accelerated expansion of this process. And they're going to lead us through this step by step through the year as we move through these various shifts and things that are taking place. And we're going to begin with this today for us, for all of us gathered here and also for the I am presence of all of humanity with accelerating a new circuitry, a strengthening of the circuitry and the short circuits. We initially had 12 solar strands of DNA. And when we fell into such a dense frequency, it short circuited into the double helix that science is now aware of. We are now moving in to our activated 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar strands of DNA. And within this DNA are are encoded the codes, including latent abilities, the beings of light have said, that are going to allow us to reach our highest potential and to reclaim our divine ability to communicate with the beings of light. And 2023 is going to be a major part of this shift at a cellular level within each of us. And the activation that we're going to do today is bringing us into this level. One of the critical factors is moving us into this expression of unity consciousness. Unity consciousness is the essence 
of the oneness of our Father, Mother, God. And when that is the part of us that connects us directly with the oneness of all life, where we truly know through every fiber of our being that with every breath we take, the electronic life force that beats our heart and activates our brain and flows through our acupuncture meridians is intelligent life, a gift of life, and that we have a responsibility of how we treat this precious gift of light. And are we going to abuse it by having a temper tantrum, by being angry? Are we going to abuse the divine alchemy taking place within our physical bodies through drug addiction and abuse of power with alcohol or eating in obsessive ways and not taking care of ourselves. All of that is our responsibility. We have the free will choices, you know. We can eat anything on this planet that we want to. We can do whatever we want with our body, with our thoughts, with our feelings. But we're responsible for that. And again, this isn't a guilt trip. This is just an affirmation. You and I have been chosen because our Father and Mother God thought in the midst of all of the adversity, all the temptation, all the outer world interference that we would be bombarded with, that we had a better chance of flooding it with love, with a violet flame to transmute it back into light and staying focused on the light, manifesting what we want instead of the fears of what we don't want. Recently, what has happened is that the divine feminine that was out of balance with our fragmented human ego and the divine masculine have now been balanced within every heart flame. So with every breath we take, the full divine momentum of our mother God's love and our father God's divine power are blazing in our heart. Our Father God's power is a sapphire blue frequency of light. Our Mother God's comprehensive divine love is a crystalline pink frequency of light. When these two frequencies blend, they create a fifth dimensional frequency of the violet flame of God's infinite perfection. And it is the most powerful frequency of light in all creation to transmute the human miscreations and our misqualified gift of life back into its true expression of light, to literally love it free. So the violet flame of God's infinite perfection is literally a miraculous tool for us to use to transmute anything that's going on in our life that is not expressing the heart-based patterns of love and oneness that is our divine birthright. So, I was just going to say, whenever you're ready, should we go ahead and do the activation? Yes. Yeah. And and then we can do the calls and answer questions after that. Yes. Okay. So, this This activation, these shifts that are taking place, the beings of light have said, are monumental. 
and our earthly bodies, what's happening in 2023, the the divine alchemy in our earthly bodies is being accelerated. And this activation that we're going to do today will help us understand what that means. But it's also going to build in momentum step by step. The beings of light for me have always given me information step by step, even at the World Congresses, which is a a beautiful uh, six-day event. We don't know from day to day. We are given the divine mission. We accomplish whatever through the power of our understanding. The next day, the beings of light reveal to us what can be accomplished because of what succeeded the day before. So, and that's always the case that the light that comes in the next day is always contingent on how powerful the light was today. So this is the beginning for us in this moment to set up now this activation uh, and we'll do this step by step and then we'll have our questions. So if any of you have questions, you can answer our questions. So I'm going to read this activation because I don't want to try to remember it that has been given to us. And if you'll just breathe in deeply, knowing you're breathing that perfectly balanced, elevated, holy breath of our Father, Mother, God, go within to the divinity of your heart flame and just follow me through this visualization to the full power of your attention. In breathing, exhaling, I am my I am presence and I am one with the I am presence of all of humanity. What I invoke for myself is sacred and holy day. I invoke on behalf of every man, woman and child on earth in perfect alignment with each one's divine plan and the highest good for all concerned. This is possible because we are one and there is no separation. As one breath, one heartbeat, one voice, and one energy, vibration, and consciousness of pure divine love, I invoke our Father, Mother, God, and the entire company of heaven to assist the I am presence of every person to God victoriously accomplish this activation and this facet of our individual and collective divine plans in perfect divine order. Beloved Father, Mother, God, and the legions of life throughout infinity, I ask that you gather up every electron of precious life energy being expended by humanity at this time. Purify this energy with the power and might of a thousand suns using the new frequencies of the fifth dimensional crystalline Solar violet flame of God's infinite power. Weave these purified energies into the collective cup of humanity's consciousness so that every electron of precious life energy 
expressed by the sons and daughters of God on this sacred day will be used to empower the patterns of perfection for the new earth. This includes our planetary cause of comprehensive divine love, eternal peace, God's infinite abundance, vibrant health, eternal youth, truth, reverence for all life, and humanity's return to the very essence of our Father-Mother God's oneness known as unity consciousness. Beloved Father-Mother God, I ask that the newly balanced frequencies of the divine masculine and the divine feminine, now pulsating within every person's heart flame, expand and expand with every elevated holy breath I take. Create from this sacred fire a heart of love. Allow this heart of love to blaze through each person's heart flame until it envelops the entire planet Earth. Now, the legions of light from every ascended level of being join in this activation. These selfless messengers of God breathe their infinite love in, through, and around every facet of life on Earth. This unprecedented influx of divine love floods the earth, blessing every man, woman, and child. As this gift of divine love bathes the earth, every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life on this planet is lifted out of the chaos into a higher order of being. The light of God now flows into the mental body, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the superconscious mind, and the physical brain structure of every person on earth. This gift of light from our Father Mother God balances the right and left hemisphere of each person's brain and activates our spiritual brain centers to a higher level of receptivity. Through this activation, each person's pineal, pituitary, and hypothalamus gland and the ganglionic centers at the base of our brain are recalibrated to the highest potential we are capable of reaching at this moment. Utilizing this powerful gift of light, each person's I am presence now strengthens the circuitry within our physical brain structure, enabling us to withstand a higher frequency of unity consciousness.
his activation is healing the fragmented circuitry that has prevented humanity from remembering the oneness of all life. His fragmentation has also blocked us from communing with our I am presence and the company of heaven. Now, the I am presence pulsating within each of our heart flames creates the sacred space that enables us to open our fifth dimensional crown chakra of unity consciousness to full breath. This will assist all of us to communicate with our I am presence and with the company of heaven on a conscious level through open heart and mind telepathic communication as we reach ever higher into the consciousness of unity, oneness, and reverence for all life. As we hold the focus of our attention on the light of God that is now flowing through every person's physical brain structure, we clearly see humanity's physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies being flooded with the resplendent light of God. This multidimensional, multifaceted, free-flowing, fifth-dimensional crystalline solar light expands into every cell of humanity's earthly bodies, allowing the I am presence of each person to take full dominion of this experience. Instantaneously, we see the truth of every person on earth. We see every person as a precious child of God. No matter how far their behavior patterns or their life experiences may be from reflecting that truth. We perceive all of their human miscreations and their unbalanced energies as innocent primordial life. Entering our awareness now to be transmuted back into light and loved free. We happily greet our sisters and brothers in the family of humanity and all of their unbalanced energy, the same way our Father Mother God would greet them. We greet them with love from within the embrace of peace, detachment, God confidence and infinite compassion. As these precious souls surrender to the light, their consciousness is raised into unity consciousness and they begin to remember that they are beloved sons and daughters of God. With this sacred knowledge, they once again find their proper place in the universe. They remember that they are one with all life and that love is all there is. In perfect divine order, they are set free to live and to co-create the patterns of love, oneness, 
eternal peace, God's infinite abundance, and infinite light on the new earth. In gratitude, every son and daughter of God now affirms through their I am presence. Beloved Father, Mother, God, from your glorious heart, I came into being and into your loving heart one day when my service here on earth is through, I shall return. I thank you for the privilege of having life and for my physical embodiment during this sacred time when divine love, eternal peace, God's infinite abundance, and the patterns of perfection for the new earth are being co-created on Mother Earth. In deep humility, I offer you the cup of my consciousness as a holy grail through which the light of God will flow to fulfill the divine plan for the new earth in 2023. Beloved Father, Mother, God, from this moment forth, with every balanced and elevated holy breath I take, empower me with the ability to radiate the comprehensive divine love of God to all life evolving on this sweet earth. And so it is, beloved, I am that I am. Dear ones, now breathe in deeply. Feel this life secured through you in perfect alignment with your divine plan and the highest good for you. Inhaling, exhaling. And when you're ready, you may open your eyes. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Patricia. That was uh, yeah, very profound and uh, very empowering. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, also everyone, we'd love to hear your feedback. And also, if you have a question, you can tap it on the chat box, whether on Zoom or on YouTube. Or uh, if you are on Zoom, also you can raise your hand if you want to talk to Patricia. Patricia, and... Uh, uh, before that, uh, I would love if you can tell us uh, about the free gifts that you are offering and the name it's, it is time for you to be financially free. free. Yeah. And I'll, I will add the link um, <coughs> on Zoom. It's already available on YouTube. And for those who will be listening on the replay, it will receive this on the email and also on the website and YouTube. Um, and also the link is you can go to yourdivineuniqueness.com forward slash Patricia, yourdivineuniqueness.com forward slash Patricia. So, um, yeah, would you like to talk about that? Sure. My gift is a booklet that's called It's Time for You to Be Financially Free. This is such a critical time for us not to be just overwhelmed with all that's going on in the outer world. And we've all heard about the infinite abundance of God and that that's our divine birthright and all of those things. And it never 
seem to be manifesting in the outer world. You know, whenever even religious organizations or other people asking you for money, there always seemed to be a contingency plan uh, going on somehow, an ulterior motive, I should have said, uh, going on about that. But what the beings of light have revealed to us is such wonderful, practical, tangible information. And it literally changed my life financially when I began applying what they were sharing with me in the outer world. The reality is, is that in the beginning, everything was given to us that we needed. We had all the air we needed to breathe. We had material for clothing and shelter. We had food. We had all of the essence of the water and the elemental kingdom supporting us in our life force. And when we fell into this dense, we lost awareness of that. And so we started disconnecting from that knowing. And this is where this fragmented human ego started developing and telling us that our purpose and reason for being is to gratify the physical senses and that all of uh, all that uh whatever it needed to do to accomplish that you know lie cheat steal kill to get what it wanted and to hoard it and all of that kind of stuff created this incredible imbalance and so now what's happening is the beings of light said if we will just observe what's taking place in the outer world all of the food, shelter, everything that we needed to sustain our physical bodies was given to us in the beginning before the fall. And so that was for free. We didn't have to pay. We didn't have to work. Now the vast majority of humanity are working from morning till night, struggling to make the money to put food on the table, a shelter over their head, clothing, health care, all of those kind of things. So now our whole life force, our gift of life is being spent on trying to uh, pay for what our father, mother, God gave us for free. Mm-hmm. So in order to reverse that, that's a major part of the reversal of our fall from grace. They've given us wonderful, tangible, specific information, ways to transmute poverty consciousness and ways to begin opening the flow to God's abundance. And I put all of that in that little booklet. And as I said, that information transformed my life. And we've been sharing it for free for decades. And it's shared, assisted in for literally hundreds of thousands of people at this particular point. So it's a gift to you and read it and pay attention to it and you'll change your life. Beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Patricia. Uh, very grateful to you. And, uh, yeah, so everyone, um, yeah, I really recommend you that you, you guess the, the ebook and again, the, the link. Um, I will put it again on the chat box and, um, there is the person, uh, special gifts uh, on the webcast page. Later it will be available on the replay on YouTube and the email you will receive. And, um, yeah, so for, the questions. So we have a question from Linda. Is the fifth dimension a consciousness or an actual reality we will create? The fifth dimension is a frequency of vibration. It is actually a reality. You know, and the easiest way to explain it is that we are in the midst of this shift of the ages. And it began in as we were You know, we started learning about it in 1987 with harmonic convergence. And then in 2012, we had this cosmic moment of the shift of the ages. And we're in the process of doing this now. 
And the shift of the ages is a moment in time that occurs every so many millions of years when cycles within cycles within cycles throughout the whole of creation dovetail into the rhythmic momentum of the heartbeat of our Father, Mother, God. And during that moment, our Father, Mother, God inbreathed all creation up the spiral of evolution to the next octave of our learning experience. And there's reasons, and I won't go into it here, why we're moving from the third uh, and not moving into the fourth, but from the third, we're t- skipping. And it's because of our fall that we got held behind and left behind. But, you know, when we talk about people going through the um, near-death experience, they talk about moving through a dark tunnel, which is just a sea of negativity and misqualified energy around the earth into the light. And when they're in that light, they often communicate with their loved ones that have crossed over. And that dimension used to be what we considered the fifth dimension. And the fifth dimension is that higher frequency. You know, and this is because we're moving into this. This is why all the prophecies said there's no, you know, in the new heaven and the new earth, there's no aging and no disease and no poverty and all of that. And we're in these youthful prime bodies is because when we move into the fifth dimension, we're in the fifth, we're in the dimension that our loved ones, we used to think of as the heavenly realms where they were. With the shift of the ages that took place on 2012, that dimension moved into the sixth dimension. So our loved ones are vibrating at the frequency of the sixth dimension, those that have left the physical plane and gone through the transition that we call death. We are ascending into the frequency where where they were, and there's none of that. We're in our fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies. So it's actually a frequency of vibration. So we are raising up just like we are multidimensional beings and all of our other aspects are vibrating at frequencies beyond our sight. We're moving into this fifth dimensional frequency as well. Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. It does, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patricia. And also thank you, Linda, for your question. We have uh, Pat. Can you unmute yourself? Yes. That, oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Patricia. I'm I'm so honored by you for years. I have the, your energy and your messages have helped me evolve into a higher place of being. Thank and you. each day, each day is a new experience for me to understand who I am. And, uh, Basically, I see my body seems very off balance, you know, lightheaded a lot. And and I think it's the frequencies coming into the earth that I'm trying to deal with. Mm. What do you feel on that? There's no doubt that the frequencies are really intense. Our I am presence is raising the vibration of each and every one of us the maximum that we can withstand in every 24-hour period. And in addition to that, there's tremendous waves of solar activity and energies that are coming in. I always encourage people to check anything if you're having specific symptoms, to check it out medically, to don't just assume they're what they are calling ascension symptoms. Don't just assume 
have everything checked out. And if everything, if nothing comes up in your test and everything seems to be normal, then it probably is that. And as we were talking about earlier, the more we do to raise our vibration, the less uncomfortable those situations will be. So having, and this, I have no judgment about this. Everybody needs to follow their own path of what they feel. But the closer you can get to a plant-based uh, diet, to uh, organic foods, to listening to beautiful music, drinking pure water, breathing clean air, being in nature, you know, all of the things that raise your heart up, loving your family, being in playful situations, everything you do to raise your vibrations will make those symptoms less intense. Good. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Pat. So we have feedback from Linda. Thank you for your guidance. As a teacher, this is rejuvenating and uh, uh, elevating. Thank you for offering the clarity needed to keep sharing and shining in this world. Oh, you're very welcome. We're all so blessed to be able to do this work. It is literally, the beings of light have said, and this has nothing to do with ego. Uh, they aren't doing this to make us have swelled heads, but they have said because of this literally changing the this consciousness for, of the sons and daughters of God through all creation, that the greatest privilege and honor of any soul in any level of evolution is physical embodiment on planet Earth during this cosmic moment. That's pretty awesome. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you, Patricia, and also Linda. Um, can we can we take uh, one more question if you have yeah. time? Okay. Yeah. Is the ascension causing a lack of sleep? I wake uh, most nights around uh, about 3 a.m., wide awake and un- unable to go back to sleep. Uh, yes, it's all kinds of things that are going on at this time with our physical bodies and our experience. There's no such thing as our soul, the I am presence being unconscious. So when we go to sleep, our I am presence goes into the inner realms and and we do all kinds of work and things in the inner realm. So I would encourage you, we, we need to be able to get enough rest. So I would encourage you to do the things that you know that would help you stay asleep. Don't drink caffeine late in the afternoon. You know, all of the things that would listen to beautiful music for heaven's sakes. Don't watch the news. <laughs> There's nothing that's less peaceful or restful than watching the news. Um, so do things that would normally make you rest and then ask your I am presence to take you into the inner temples at night and to help you bring back consciously the memories which you will be able to do of what's occurring in in the inner realms and then also if you wake up and can't go to sleep just start invoking the light you know one of the just very simple because you don't want your mind to get too active but one of the simple things the breath connects us to source so just breathing in and saying i and exhaling exhaling and saying am just instead of counting sheet just say i Am, you know, and just do that and just feel yourself release and relax into that breath. But the more agitated or the more upset you get about it, the less you'll be able to sleep. So God's not going to kill us in this process. So you'll be okay. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, Anna Maria. Um, yes, yeah, shirt. Uh, perfect. Thank you. I visualize violet flame through all humanity and the planets. And, uh, yeah. And there's so much love from our audience to you, Patricia, Patricia in the chat box. So thank you. Thank well, you been my love to you too. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, so also it's been an honor for us. Patricia, thank you so much um, for the time you spent with us and all the inspiration and information you shared with us. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, everyone, uh, again, thank, thank you so much for uh, co-creating with us. This really um, powerful call today. So thank you for your presence, whether live or on the replay. And um, Again, uh, you will find the link for the um, for the free gift that Patricia is offering to us. Um, now it's on the live events page, and also it will, it will be available on the replay page, the email you receive, and on YouTube. Or you can go go to the link yourdivineuniqueness.com forward slash Patricia. Yourdivineuniqueness.com forward slash Patricia. And um, yeah, so that's everyone. I'm sending you so much love, and I will see you on the next call. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Okay. Well done, Patty. Okay, we're going to do our next one. This is um, about 58 minutes. Yeah. And it's with Greg Braden. Bruce Lipton and Lynn Haggerty. Discover why you don't need technology to take a giant leap forward (coughs) in human development. Something about the power of 8 plus 12. Uh, which makes 20. And if you break that down to 2, you've got divine feminine energy. Rama's getting there. <laughs> yes, Tegan, yes, Tegan. Did you find it, darling? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. A moment of silence. Electrons, slow, slow electrons today. Blaze by a fire.
Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve Farrell, the co-founder and worldwide executive director for Humanities Team, and I'm excited to be here with you for this important, newly expanded program, Smarter, Stronger, Faster, Discover Why You Don't Need Technology to Take a Giant Leap Forward in Human Development. This program is with best-selling authors Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, and Lynn McTaggart. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got a really powerful program in store for you. As we get started, I'm going to introduce Greg, Bruce, and Lynn. Greg Braden is a five-time New York Times best-selling author, researcher, educator, lecturer, and internationally renowned as a pioneer of bridging modern science, spirituality, and human potential. His research has led to 15 film credits and 12 award-winning books now published in over 40 languages. Welcome, Greg. Uh, Steve, I am so excited to be with you today, and I'm so honored to be with my esteemed colleagues, my dear friends, and I, I just want a, a special welcome for everyone is sharing a part of their day with us today. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Greg. And Bruce H. Lipton, Ph.D., is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit, stem cell biologist, best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. He has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as keynote presenter for national and international conferences. And uh, welcome to the program, Bruce. Oh, thank you, Steve. And I really want to thank our audience out there because this is a time of awakening. There's chaos in the world, but uh, what's really happening is an evolutionary upheaval. And we're here to help go through this chaos and come out the other end smiling. Are we ever? Boy, such an important program, too. Lynn McTaggart is an award-winning journalist, researcher, and the author of seven books, including The Power of Eight and the worldwide bestsellers, The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Bond, all considered seminal books of the new science and now translated into 30 languages. She's also architect of The Intention Experiment, a global laboratory involving thousands of readers around the world testing the power of group thoughts to heal the world. And uh, welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much, Steve, and thank you for including me. I'm honored to be with this group. I'm honored to talk about this subject. I think there couldn't be a more important time, Steve, um, where we're looking at technology for answers. And what we're going to be talking about is how much of those answers we have inside ourselves already. So I'm thrilled to be part of this. Why, so true, Lynn. Me too. And uh, my gosh, what an important time to be bringing a program like this out. So let me just share, Greg, Bruce, and Lynn have helped hundreds of thousands of people all over the world to harness the fullness of their human capacity so they may evolve into their peak human potential. This is the first time they've collaborated on a program such as this. Now, let's talk to Greg, Bruce, and Lynn about the exciting topics we'll be exploring with them today. And uh, Greg, uh, to get us started, you want to talk a little bit about the concept of transhumanism that's blurring the line between human and machine and what it means for us as evolving humans. Oh, that's a big topic, Steve, and I think it's a, it's a perfect place to begin. You know, it's uh, it's been said that the best way to hide something is to keep it in plain sight. And I think this conversation could not be a, a, a better, more beautiful demonstration of that principle. There is a movement that actually began early in the 20th century uh, to, to fundamentally change the way the human body, the way our biology is presented in the world. 
it is based upon a false assumption. So I'm just going to share with you this this false assumption. <clears throat> the assumption is that we are flawed as a carbon-based form of life, that humans are flawed by their nature. And because we are flawed, that we need something outside of us to be successful in life, successful in the world, and to be healthy in our bodies. And that something is technology. We're being taught that we are victims of circumstances beyond our control in the world. And as victims, we need a savior. So these ideas, this thinking originated early in the 20th century when there was a technological revolution then. Now this technology has evolved to the point where it is taking leaps and bounds. It's not a linear progression. Try this 30 seconds bedtime ritual to reverse memory loss. It's so simple you can do it from the comfort of your home. Did you know everyone who suffers from memory loss has one thing in common? A breakthrough discovery by an award-winning scientist. We're talking about exponential progression of technology. The thinking is that we need to replace aspects of the human body with computer chips, with wires, with chemicals to augment our, our natural capacities. So when we talk about transhumanism, it means different things to different people, but there are essentially three phases. One of them we're already using openly, and that is a prosthetic phase where we use uh, very specialized kinds of contact lenses, for example, to augment eyesight or, you know, artificial hips, uh, heart replacement, skin replacement. And, you know, these things are, are all good in our lives. They, they, people that need them, I'm happy that it's there. The second phase is where we're entering right now, the second and the third, is where the body itself is being replaced with robotics and artificial intelligence. And this is where we enter into the slippery slope. The third phase is the thinking that our consciousness can be reduced to ones and zeros on a computer chip and that we can live our lives in a digital reality, in a digital universe. And we're going to talk about that more in, in this webinar today. So I, I want to be very clear on this. As a scientist, I've seen this all my life. Science and technology typically advance before the morality of how we can apply these things in our lives. And working in the industry, I had this conversation all the time. Scientists would say to me, there are two schools of thought, Steve. They would say, number one, because we have the knowledge to create this technology, it gives us the right to do so. And there's another school of thought that says, whoa, not so fast. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. So the big question that we're asking ourselves now is how much of ourselves do we want to give away to the technology? And here's the reason it's important, Steve, because what the science shows is once we begin to replace our natural biology with artificial technology, our capabilities begin to atrophy. Neurons in the brain begin to atrophy. Properties of the blood begin to atrophy. Organs and organ functions begin to atrophy, and we lose the essence of our humanness, including things, emotional components like empathy, sympathy, compassion, and the ability to self-regulate our bodies. So the technology is here to say this conversation is about this question, how much of ourselves do we give away to the technology 
We can't answer that until we know who we are. That's what this program is all about. Greg, that uh, really sets the table beautifully. So then let me uh, come back over to you. Uh, Futurist John Nesbitt has said that the greatest breakthroughs of the 21st century will not, won't, occur because of technology. They will occur because of an expanding concept of what it means to be human. Can, can you respond to this? Absolutely. Um, such a great question, Steve. What we don't understand, because we constantly look to things outside, is how extraordinary this human body is. We have not tapped the vast majority of the capabilities that we have. What I'm talking about is our capacity to heal, our capacity to create out there in the world. I mean, consider this, Steve. Consider a breastfeeding mother. When her baby gets sick, it's not just that she provides antibodies when the baby is well, but when the baby is sick, her breast milk changes in order to uh, treat that illness. Now, that is artificial intelligence on a grand scale. But think about it also that so much of our healing happens with thoughts and words. And that's the thing I'm really fascinated by is the idea that we are actually in control so much of the time of our ability to heal. So before we start looking outside, to all of those new, new things that Greg talked about, we really have to understand and maximize the extraordinary abilities we have to see beyond our senses, to heal ourselves, to heal the world. We have capacities we haven't even understood yet. So that's really the purpose of this discussion and of our modules is to really help people understand the magnificence of the human body, the magnificent powers we possess that are better, more extraordinary than really any mechanistic development and technology can ever approximate. Gosh, yeah, Lynn, so true. Thank you. And uh, there are more and more people that are sharing that we're coming into this age of consciousness that I think is, is focused on doing exactly what you're talking about, where we're just coming into these new understandings and we're, we're intentional about it. We're even metaphysical about it. Uh, but just coming from the dark ages of Darwinian, Newtonian science that, uh, unfortunately has been what, uh, what our world uh, view, our, our, our cultural story has been based on. Well, uh, Bruce, let me come up. This simple 30-second method reverses memory loss for good. It's so easy, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. An award-winning scientist from Osaka University in Japan has just made a terrifying discovery that changes everything we know about memory loss and brain disease. Uh, Bruce, let me come over to you here. So uh, technology, consciousness, and evolution has grown into an, icon an iconic theme. You train people all over the world to develop their untapped human capacities. Do you believe that we've only scratched the surface of what is possible when we consider our intrinsic human potential without the need for technological enhancements. Thank you for that very complicated question, <laughs> your friend. Uh, because there, the fact is, no, we haven't even tapped into who we really are. And, and to really start off this uh, discussion, I really like to say this, is that 
the most the most valid science on this planet uh, is quantum physics. And I say that for a very simple reason is that uh, theoretically, when quantum physics was proposed, there was a whole bunch of insights and ideas about how the universe works. And nearly 100 percent of those ideas from 1927 turned out to be valid in our new insight of quantum physics. The most important principle was actually stated back in 1927 by one of the founders of quantum physics, Max Planck. And he wrote back then, the mind is the matrix of all matter. What he meant by that was in quantum physics, the reality we are experiencing is a consequence of our consciousness. Uh, and therefore, we are creating our lives. Uh, and in fact, even now in a recent um, article in Nature, one of the most prestigious scientific journals on the planet, it's Richard Con Henry, uh, a quantum physicist from Johns Hopkins, concluded that the universe is immaterial. It's mental and spiritual. Again, reinforcing the idea that our consciousness, our mental activity is what is creating our life experience. Uh, then I look around and I say to people, well, how's that working out for you? Uh, are you creating that heaven on earth that we would all love to experience? And of course, the answer is no. Uh, the world is in such great chaos that actually we're facing what is called the sixth mass extinction of life, where our consciousness as we're operating today is actually precipitating our own extinction. So the question is, then, if we are creating this with consciousness, then how come all of this chaos is going on? And the answer turns out that while we're creating with consciousness, the, the brain is an information processor. It is a vast computer, uh, and there are parallels between a computer and human consciousness in this regard. Both of them are operating information processors, the brain, the computer. But the interesting correlation here is simply this. If if we go back and I say in the old days we used to go buy a computer and bring it home and push start and it would boot up. And I say, okay, let's do something. Let's make a drawing. Let's write a spreadsheet or let's create. The answer was, no, you can't do that. And I say, why not? Because first you have to put programs into a computer before you can use that computer. And this is really in the human development. Uh, the brain can boot up in the last trimester of pregnancy. It's ready to go, but it can't be used until programs are put in. So the first seven years of our life is actually when our brain is operating in a state of hypnosis, which in EEG terms is called theta vibration. And I say, why is this relevant? Because the first seven years of our life, we're in a state of hypnosis where we download the rules, the programs, of how to be a member of a family and how to be a member of a community. After age seven, then we become the creators because consciousness kicks in, self-consciousness. And I go, so what's relevant to that? I go, well, self-consciousness is the one that wants to manifest heaven on earth. And I go, well, then if we're capable of doing that, still won't explain why we're here. And the answer is simply this. Self-consciousness, the creative part of our mind, uh, can think as well as create. And he goes, so what? I go, Thinking is an inside job. I go, so what does that mean? I say, well, if you start to think about something, your self-conscious uh, assessment of the world is not looking out at the world anymore. Thinking is an inside process. And I go, well, what if I'm driving the car and then I'm thinking and I'm not paying attention to what's going on? I go, well, here's the important part. The subconscious has programs. Like I said, they, most of them were downloaded before age seven. But the subconscious is autopilot. The moment we are thinking, then the character of our life is not controlled by the creative conscious mind. It is now taken over by the subconscious mind, 
the autopilot. The big issue is only this. 95% of our life, we are thinking. And 95% of our life is not coming from our wishes and desires, creative mind. We are actually creating life from the programs that were downloaded in that first seven years. The Jesuits have told us that for 400 years. Give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. What they were saying very simply this is whatever programs went in before seven is what we will express 95% of our life. But it's subconscious. It means it's below conscious. And so when we are thinking, we're playing programs and we're not even paying attention. But the programs didn't come from our creativity. They came from what we downloaded from other people. Serious part is up to 60% of the programs we downloaded before age seven are disempowering, self-sabotaging and limiting beliefs. And now we find out 95% of our life is coming from that. The important part of this program and working with my dear colleague, Greg and Lynn, is that all of us have recognized the very serious part that yes, we are creating this world, but not creating with wishes and desires. The wake up call is to recognize this. We have been programmed. Have you seen this strange device? It was discovered in Artesia, New Mexico, and authorities don't want the public to know. And when we get out of the program, then we can manifest heaven on earth. And the simple example of that is in the movie The Matrix. Uh, Everyone thinks science fiction. I go, no, movie Matrix is documentary. Everyone has been programmed. Well, that's a fact of life. And then in the movie, they say, you take the red pill, you get out of the program. I say, well, what happens? Uh, And now I just want to close with this because in our lives, most of us have taken that red pill at one time. I said, well, what happens? We got out of the program. I said, then what happened? I said, we created a whole different experience. I said, when when was that time we took the red pill? And the answer is when we fell in love. Because when we fell in love, we stopped thinking. We stayed present. And I say, so what? I say, well, then we're not defaulting to subconscious programs. When we're staying present, we're creating with our conscious creative mind. I say, and what happened when we fell in love? No matter how much your life was blah, 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 blah. The day you fell in love, 24 hours later, you manifested heaven on earth, the honeymoon. And this is the clearest and most important understanding. And that is once we stay present and stop defaulting to the program, we did manifest heaven on earth. So the insight story that we want to offer in the episodes of this important series from uh, humanity's team, the emphasis is this. How can we take back control of that creative mind? And instead of living in the chaos that we're living in, all of us collectively manifest the experience of heaven on earth. That is our future. And the chaos we're experiencing right now is the push to say, we better stop doing what we're doing, take back the control, and through that control, manifest heaven on earth for everyone and everything on this planet. Amen. Amen and amen, Bruce. Yeah. And uh, boy, you know, as we know, when we're, we're reaching for heaven on earth here, but our feet are on the ground. This is a grounded process that we're talking about. Well, it, where you stay with us, you'll see what we mean here. This is, there's science to this whole process that we're discussing. So let me come over to uh, Greg here to talk about these scientific studies that are using brain implants that are going to trial now. And may seem to be, and many also seem to be excited about living near full time in the metaverse. 
Can you speak to the things that people might want to be mindful of as they uh, look at these things and more on that uh, are unfolding on the uh, in the technology environment? Absolutely, Steve. Thank you. I, I just want to build on everything that uh, Lynn and Bruce have said. Bruce, I'm in love with this conversation, so I'm in heaven on earth right now. <laughs> the the best science of the modern world is now revealing uh, a very different way of thinking about us, about the human body, Steve. And what what science is is now showing is that we literally are a highly advanced technologically sophisticated soft technology now when i say soft technology we're not talking about computer chips and wires and chemicals we're talking about neurons cell membranes and uh, ion potentials moving across cell walls and the ability to self-regulate all of these functions at will on demand in a way that far far exceeds anything that a computer or computer systems can do today. Computers are fast, and this this is absolutely true. The computers are fast, but here's the thing. A computer chip is made of a finite material, silica, that has finite boundaries that cannot be scaled beyond a certain level. Our neurons, we don't know how far we can scale. We don't know what the upper end of our capacities for thinking and memory and cognition and recall and empathy and sympathy and intuition and all of those and more. We don't know the upper end. And this is what Lynn and Bruce are saying. They're saying that with the technology that's coming on board, the threat is that we will relinquish our humanness, the very essence of what makes us human, give it away to the technology before we even know what it is that we're giving away. Now, the answer to your question, and to tie back into my first statement, the best way to hide something is keep it in plain sight. There's a very clever marketing campaign right now, especially targeting young people, that is making some of this technology look very hip and very sexy. And one of the the most recent examples is what you just mentioned, Steve. It's the metaverse. The metaverse is a digital reality that is now possible because of blockchain technology. It's a new, relatively new technology. The, The metaverse is an artificial reality where individuals in this world project themselves as avatars, as uh, uh, many me's in, into the digital world and they live their lives. Business decisions are made. Uh, business mergers and acquisitions happen. Real estate is being bought and sold. Intimate human relationships are happening and it's all in this, this metaverse. The problem is, and the science is very clear, is that when we begin to engage more and more in this artificial reality of the metaverse, more and more of our bodies begin to atrophy. I just, I have to read this. This is uh, because I want you to know this isn't just my opinion. Uh, As a scientist, I'm sharing the peer-reviewed science. This is from National Institutes of Health. The discoveries are that neurons are being constantly generated in the hippocampus of the human brain. It's not like we have a set amount When we don't use those, it's use it or lose it. And this is exactly what they're saying. Most of the cells that are generated in the brain will die unless they are engaged in an effortful learning experience within a week of when they are presented. 
When young people spend hours and days of their lives in this extraordinary world, they wake up in the morning and they put on a helmet and they have the extraordinary images and the sensations and the colors and the sounds in the digital reality, they are less willing to engage in uh, in real human experiences, the emotional exchanges that, that build uh, their ability to solve problems and social interactions. They're actually in these psychological terms um, are, are being developed to identify how deeply this is happening right now. A part of this, and this, Steve, this goes directly to your question, a part of, of what makes this possible is we now have computer chips that can be inserted into the human brain and allow the individual to directly interact with the computer hard drive with no wires, no keyboards, uh, and they're making this look very cool for, for young people. So for a young person, they say, you mean I, I can, I can do my gaming without a keyboard? Sweet. You know, who wouldn't want that? Because they have never been taught how precious and how rare and how extraordinary our soft technology is, the, the power of the human body. So I think what we're doing in this conversation, Steve, we're not telling people to or not to engage. We are giving people a heads up that there is a technological movement that is encouraging us to give ourselves away to the technology. Once we do that, we forever relinquish aspects, very unique aspects, as I mentioned before, empathy, sympathy, compassion, all of these things, they're gone. And once they're gone in one generation, they'll never come back in the next generation. We change as a species. Do we want to give ourselves away to AI and computers in exchange for being logical, for having fast processors, uh, in exchange for the very essence of the capabilities that we love and cherish, the emotions of our humanness. And when we encourage our young people to engage more and more in this artificial world, this is what they're losing, and this is where we stand right now. This is the whole purpose of this conversation is to alert people that these extraordinary potentials that we're only beginning to understand, we don't want to give them away now, we're just beginning to understand this soft technology, the extraordinary potential in this technology. Yeah, boy, thank you. Thank you, Greg. And uh, as you can see, there's so much passion here because truly we believe there is nothing more important we could be talking about right now than, than this topic, technology, consciousness, and evolution. Okay, let me go uh, go back to Bruce here. Uh, is there a way, Bruce, for us to take greater control of our health, our life experiences inside our own minds? Steve, this is one of the most important insights necessary to help us move from where we are today into the future world of heaven on earth. As I mentioned, yes, quantum physics recognizes that consciousness is creating our life experiences. The beautiful part is that biology in recent times has come to the exact same conclusion and actually precipitated a new field of study called epigenetics. And I go, what's relevant about that? And I said, well, all of us have been programmed to some degree that genes control the character of our lives. Uh, and since, as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with, we can't change the genes if we don't like the characters. And, and then we're told that genes turn on and off by themselves. That puts us consciously into a place of being a victim, meaning I can't control my life. My genes control my life. And then all of a sudden we start to look at patterns and, and blame it on our genetics. The new science of epigenetics changes all that because it recognizes, no, genes are simply blueprints 
to make the parts of the body called proteins. And I go, well, significance is this. A gene is a blueprint. I go, so relevance. I say, go into an architect's office and let's say she's working on a blueprint. You look over her shoulder and you say, hey, is your blueprint on or off? And she would look at you like, what are you, crazy? The blueprint doesn't turn on and off. I go, well, then how does it work? I say, there's an architect that engages the blueprint. The blueprint itself is not self-actualizing. And I go, this is exactly the same story about genes. Genes do not turn on and off and control who we are. It's our consciousness that is an architect. It is our consciousness that calls up the blueprints, the genes. It is our consciousness as an architect that can modify all of the blueprints. For every gene blueprint to make a protein, Based on how you see life, you can create over 3,000 different versions of proteins from the same blueprint based on consciousness. When I say so, relevance is simply this. As quantum physics has been telling us, it's our consciousness that is creating our life experiences, not only our internal one, but our external one. And the new science of epigenetics is actually a complete support of that original belief from 1927. We are manifesting and creating our life experiences. And as Greg mentioned, one of the most important aspects of this is that our biological mechanism is based on use or lose it. And I go, why? Because our biological mechanism is the ultimate in efficiency. If we're using something, then biology enhances it. If we stop using, biology will say, then why am I maintaining this? And so use it or lose it applies not just to the muscles as everyone thinks, Use it or lose it applies to every aspect of our biology, from the muscles to the brain. And when we start to rely on uh, AI, artificial intelligence, then we're not using this anymore. And all of a sudden, our functional aspects start to decrease. Human creativity has been decreasing over the last 20 or 30 years because we're not exercising our creative capabilities. Schools are not encouraging thinking anymore. Schools are encouraging reacting. Here's how you react. Here's how you respond. But what about using the creative character? And as Greg mentioned, if we stop using the creative character, the neurons that provide for that disappear. They are taken away. And as of today, we're asking our students in schools not to use creativity, but to actually study the facts of science and math and engineering and just regurgitate those back and forth. Where's the creativity? We lost it. And now we're going to think of, oh, well, let's be creative with artificial intelligence. I go, artificial intelligence has nothing on the power of our own creativity. Consciousness is who and what we are. And the evolution we're facing is not a physical change in the human body. It's a time for us to change our understanding of consciousness. We are not a victim of programs that we receive. We are the masters and creators of those programs. When we take that power back, AI is nothing compared to our great computer. There is no engineering of a computer that can match the consciousness of the human brain, and yet we want to trade it off and say, oh, the technology is better. And I go, no way. <laughs> it's our consciousness that is creating everything, including the AI. And what we need to do is come back to see how truly powerful we are as creators. Just to close very simply, I say, how about something like walking across hot coals? What do you mean? I go, 
It's your consciousness that allows an individual to walk across the hot coals without burning themselves. Yes. If the person's consciousness doubts they can do this, they get burned instantly. We're not exercising consciousness. We want to put it on the shelf and buy some AI. And I go, AI can't even match what we do. And all of a sudden you start to realize we will lose the wonderful powers of our biology if we trade it off for some technology that was created by somebody's consciousness, but not fully experiencing our consciousness. And this program by humanity's team is fundamental because it says knowledge is power. A more important way, a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And what Lynn and Greg and I are here to offer is empowerment because we have knowledge to offer you that you haven't been programmed with yet. And when you take that knowledge, you become the master of your life and not the victim of circumstances. Yeah, boy, uh, Matt, and you and, and Greg have brought in this notion of atrophy, bringing it around and around, which is so important because it's saying, even if you think this is no neat and cool and it to do this technology thing, that our, our uh, capacities are shrinking, atrophy shrinking. And what we're comparing that to is this reaching up and to heaven on earth, this fullness of our capacities where we're increasing like crazy. Uh, so th- this is the contrast we're wanting to bring around here that's so incredibly important uh, in this day and age. So, Lynn, uh, let me come back over to you. So can you talk about how our thoughts alone can affect and alter matter itself, including our own bodies and minds? Absolutely, Steve. Now, one of the problems we have is that we are operating according to an old set of rules. And that is really also the problem with AI. It's just an advancement of the old science. And the old science, Newtonian science and Darwinian science, really boil down to an understanding of the world as a batch of separate objects, very well-behaved objects, operating according to fixed laws in time and space. And then Darwinian science basically says there isn't enough to go around, so life must proceed through struggle. You know, the famous line, survival of the fittest. So that kind of idea of competitive individualism has seeped into our psyche. It is the leitmotif of our lives. And it is, again, what Bruce and Greg have been talking about, this sense that we're not good enough as we are. But the new science shows a very different story. That old science is out of date. The new science shows we're inextricably connected. Even our subatomic particles are connected through a quantum energy field. But also, we are connected through our thoughts. Our thoughts our trespassers, essentially. We're, we're beaming out 24-7. New science shows thoughts are not locked inside our brains. Consciousness is not inside our brain. The, uh, essentially, the language of our body is not chemistry and electricity alone. It's frequency. So we are energy. As Bruce has been talking about, consciousness is energy. My life is mental. Our consciousness is everything. And people think, oh, there's not much science about the power of intention. There's an extraordinary amount of science about the power of intention. We've seen the power of the placebo. The placebo works 60 to 70% of the time. 
There's an enormous body of evidence about the placebo effect. And what that boils down to is our consciousness, our mind is affecting our body. We see this all the time. But here's the other thing, Steve, that's so extraordinary that I talk about in my modules is aside from the power of thought, we have the power to see beyond our senses. We have the power to go back and forward in time. We have the power to forecast things. We have the power to heal. Now, aside from all of those studies in the lab, I've done 40 intention experiments where we've, I've worked with scientists around the world and invited my audience, my readers around the world to come on at a designated time and send intention to a particular thing. We have had of those 35, of those 40, 35 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. Everything from making seas to grow faster, to purifying water with our thoughts, to lowering violence in war-torn areas. And here's the other thing about it. Doing those kinds of intentional things in groups, whether it is the intention experiments or small groups of eight, like I talk about in my program, we find that there is an effect on the senders as well as the recipients. And we see this all the time in small groups too. There is a communal effect. And I want to just bring that round to the final comment about how things are going to atrophy. The science shows that we were meant to live in community. We live longer, happier, healthier lives if we do things for other people. We need to belong probably more than we need to eat or have water. And so one of the big problems of AI and the metaverse is it increases isolation. It increases the kind of human connection and belonging that is essential to our being. So that's probably the most extraordinary thing of all about us. When we're in community, amazing miracles happen. Yeah, boy, beautiful. And uh, there's so much that you covered there, but this aspect of that you that you uh, often share is that the senders are experiencing healing with the receivers, which is so awesome. I mean, this is isn't this beautiful? The community works this way. We're actually we're coming together for a common purpose and intention involving a receiver, and we're a sender. And guess what? We participate in the healing and the upside. I mean, so beautiful. Thank you, thank you, Len. So. So I want to thank you, Bruce, Lynn, and Greg, your extensive research and the work you've done training people all over the world and human capacity development has obviously led to tremendous insights and wisdom that you've shared with us today. I'm sure it will be invaluable as we continue our evolutionary journey as humans toward the next level of what is possible for us. Now, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this program, we have an exciting announcement to make. Humanities team, Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, and Lynn McTaggart are unveiling the newly expanded Technology, Consciousness, and Evolution eight-week masterclass. Is everyone ready to find out how you can continue the momentum you've created today by attending this free program with us? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> so uh, here we go. Let's uh, let's go ahead and unveil this here. Okay, there it is. Technology, Consciousness, and Evolution. Discover how to unleash your uh, your ultimate potential. Uh, and, and Greg, as we start off, do you want to share about how 
during this eight-week masterclass, we get to these possibilities for tapping into our untapped potentials and capacities. Sure, Steve. Thank you so much. You know, I'm so excited about this conversation. I don't want it to end. <laughs> so I, I just want to reiterate what we're saying. We're, none of us are saying that technology is good, bad, right, or wrong. Technology is with us. It's not going away. The question is the role that we invite it or the role that we allow it to play in our lives. Discovering how we can allow technology to serve us rather than allowing it to steal from us the the very cherished characteristics uh, that, that make us human, our, our uniqueness of the things that we've talked about, emotion, sympathy, empathy, compassion. So I'm, I'm excited because in this program, Technology, Consciousness, and Evolution, what we're doing, each of us, through our own lifetime of research, we have, we have over 120 years of collective experience in this course, Steve, and our own unique ways and where the overlap is. We each are sharing, number one, the information that gives us the reason to think differently. And this is really where our healing and our trust begins in our humanness. Because we are all programmed, we are all indoctrinated into this thinking that we are powerless victims and that we need something outside of us. So when we share the science, peer-reviewed science, we share the research, that's the foundation to shift the thinking. And then in addition to that, the, the kinds of experiences or the techniques that help us to, to make those shifts in our lives. I know we each have done this in our modules. Uh, in, in the way that we know best. So for, for my module specifically, uh, I'm sharing each module has a scientific principle and then the way to apply that in our lives, whether it's, it's a deepening awareness or whether it is actually a process to create coherence between the organs of the human body or to awaken deep states of intuition. Uh, cognition, super memory, super learning, super resilience. But all of those things, once we go through this program, it is both the solid foundation of a new awareness and then the techniques that allow us to bring that awareness into our lives and in the lives of our, our families, our communities, and our loved ones in a healthy way and in a meaningful way. So perhaps, Steve, for the first time, we begin exploring what it means to be human on these very, very deep levels. Yes, boy, and uh, so important and collectively and then getting down into these actual untapped potentials and how we can climb that ladder into these the fullness of our untapped potentials and capacities. Uh, thank you for uh, getting that discussion started here. Greg. And so let's go inside this program now to tell you a little bit more about it. As you can see, there are 24 original video modules. There are three brand new video modules, and then there are three mentoring sessions. There's actually a lot more, but uh, that gets this conversation started. So as we go down inside of this uh, masterclass, Technology, Consciousness, and Evolution, the first nine modules are with Greg Braden. And uh, Greg, do you want to just talk briefly about your nine modules? Sure, Steve. Well, you know, when we put this program together, we knew from our scientific background where this trend was headed. Uh, we had no idea it would move as quickly as it has or that it would be where it is now with the metaverse and things like that. So these first eight modules uh, are laying the foundation that I just described. Each module uh, describes a scientific 
principle, the, the battle for our story. There is a battle for who we are, what are our capabilities and what our potentials are. It's playing out in the mainstream media, in our classrooms and textbooks. And as we develop an awareness of that, we can become more aware of how we are buying in to the false assumptions and the obsolete beliefs of who we are and all the other modules and build upon this about the the transhumanism that is with us it's not going away the question is how much of ourselves do we want to merge with machines and ai the bottom line steve for me and all of this is the better we know ourselves the less dependent we become on the external technology and the more we can allow that technology to serve us and help us become the best version of ourselves rather than enslaving us and limiting our uniquely human potentials. So this is why I've I've organized uh, all of these modules in the way that I have. The Inconvenient Discovery, module number five, tells us that the the human genome experiment and the, the, the genome project actually began to reveal to the scientific community everything we're talking about here now because the genome doesn't work the way they thought it would work. And it opened the door to the question, if it's not what we thought it was, then what is it? Literally, module number six, we are the technology we've been waiting for. Every cell in our body functions as resistors, capacitors. We transmit light. We receive light. And all of these things we self-regulate through thought, feeling, emotion, breath, focus, Consciousness and the biofields programming them. This is what Lynn has just been talking about, how we use our soft technology to access and experience in the field. We are the field. So it's not like we have to connect with a field. It's how we engage with the field in our everyday lives and then the power of language to do this. But Steve, when we put this together originally, we didn't know where things were going. The new module, module number nine, expands upon where we are right now. The metaverse, how it works, what it's doing to our bodies, what it's doing to our minds, what it's doing to our children. And again, not to to make it go away, but to allow it to serve us in a healthy way. Uh, and it's up for everybody right now. So I, I know that was... Uh, very quick, uh, I want to honor our time here today, but this gives people a sense. Each of these modules has a technique, an application at the end when you finish that module. So you can take this idea and either uh, apply it in your body or apply it in your life with your family and your community in a healthy way. So I'm going to stop there, Steve, uh, because I know we have a lot more to go through. Okay, nice. Yeah, thank you for uh, for taking us through that, Craig. Beautiful. And uh, Bruce, so do you want to very briefly describe your uh, nine modules then that follow? I would love to briefly describe it, uh, Steve, but uh, thankfully the modules go very much deeper than I can say right now. But one of the modules emphasizes simply this. How do we get here? Why is life the way it is today? Is this an accident or what? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. What we start to recognize is a very simple fact that over history, civilization has gone through many different changes and experiencing a different form of civilization. I say, well, first of all, what is a civilization based on? And the answer turns out it's based on the answers to what are called the perennial questions. Perennial questions have been asked for over 10,000 years by humans, and they include three simple questions. How did we get here? Why are we here? And most importantly, now that we're here, how do we make the best of it? It turns out that a civilization's character is based on who provides the answers to those questions. 
And so over time, different answers have come up. And every time different answers to the questions come up, civilization changes. This is not the first civilization that's been here and one that is now in a downhill movement. Let's just very briefly state the the civilizations. 10,000 years ago, we were here in a civilization called animism. And this is a civilization where the thought leaders in that civilization uh, told us that we are living in a garden and that uh, we are here to take care of that garden. And that's sort of like the Native Americans or the Aboriginals or the Druids. Uh, and I say, fine, that they came up with those answers. But at some point, uh, civilization changed because then they started to recognize, well, there are forces that are controlling our life experiences. And then we assign gods to them. Well, this is a period where animism ends and polytheism takes over because now we have multiple gods, gods of the uh, of plants, gods of water, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we attribute all the actions to these gods. The next evolution said, wait a minute, there's not that many different gods. There's only one god, that's monotheism. Uh, and the answers to the questions are very profound. It said, how do we get here? Well, the first answer was divine intervention. Why are we here? Well, according to monotheism practice, we're here to live out plays of morality to see if we're worthy enough to go to heaven after we pass on. Uh, and then they say, how do you make the best of it in that uh, monotheistic culture? And the answer is follow the laws and rules of the Bible. However, that civilization ended when Charles Darwin came up and said, wait a minute. We didn't get here through divine intervention. We got here through an evolutionary process changing our genetics. Why are we here? Well, that that was a big problem because according to Darwinian theory, evolution was just a result of accidental mutations. And I say, well, if the mutations were accidental, then there's no purpose for us being here. And exactly that was the conclusion of science. But since science did offer us, how do we make the best of it? And that is the struggle for survival. Uh, as Lynn mentioned earlier, that we're here struggling to survive, and that's why we're we're fighting all the time. Well, the answers to those questions have recently changed. No, we got here through mutations, but there were an accident. They were adaptive mutations. Organisms keep adapting to an environment. Why why are we here? Is actually to bring balance and harmony. That goes back to the original animist. Yes, the planet is a garden, and look what we have done to it without our awareness. We are precipitating our own mass extinction at this moment because of our undermining of the web of life. And then how do we make the best of it? And Lynn also brought this up, and that was we start to live in harmony and community, not as individuals separated from each other. And if we look at the world today, it's kind of interesting as we're moving from a Darwinian world into a new holistic world that the, the powers to be don't want us to go there. They're, they're enforcing separation, distance, keep away from each other and all that. And I go, this is anti-evolution. And if we understand this, then we can say, wait, that philosophy is actually taking us away that we need to move into the future in a different way. Significance is the modules that are offered here tell the story of evolution, but then also go to the point of how and why uh, we end up with the world the way it is, but more importantly, how we can create the world that is in the one in front of us. Uh, and the last module that's just been added, which I really appreciate, actually provides the mechanisms of understanding how we got programmed to create the world by other people's beliefs and how we can change those programs 
to re-empower ourselves to manifest what evolution was all about, living in a garden. And, and the most important part about a garden is a garden is not a battleground. A garden is the height of cooperativity. And this is what we need to learn right now so we can survive into the future. Come together, change the programming that has taken us off the track, and, and build a better world. And between Greg's work and Lynn's work and my work, this is why all these modules come together. How can we re-empower ourselves and manifest heaven and on earth? And I'm so excited because the population is currently in that process of leaving the old behind and moving into a sustainable future. Okay, beautiful boy, and so important. We are, uh, and so viewers, of course, we're just skimming the surface here. There's so much more. We want to just to honor your time, not go much more than an hour, but uh, we invite you to come back and really, really read uh, thoughtfully this program page that covers the fullness of this uh, eight-week masterclass. Lynn uh, McTaggart then uh, has got the final line modules. Lynn, do you want to very briefly talk about your modules? Sure. So first I go through a, a primer on quantum physics and how it differs, how our real story, our new story differs from the old one, that we're, our, our consciousness is not locked inside our brain, that our understanding of life does not end with our senses, and that to affect something, you don't have to do something physical to it. You don't have to freeze it, drop it, burn it, or give it a good swift kick. And the new science demonstrates that we are connected not only with each other, not only with the rest of the world, but intergalactically. You have to think of us as an intergalactic superorganism. I also go into a lot of the new biology, building on what, what Bruce has about evolution and his brilliant epigenetics. I look at some of the aspects of mirror neurons, the fact that which demonstrate that if we see someone with having a thought or having an emotion or doing something physical, the very same neurons in us fire as if we were doing it too. I look at the fact that we are sending out tiny currents of light and that light is being sent back synchronicitously from other people. So thus demonstrating that our thoughts are not locked inside our, our skulls. They are essentially a very well-ordered life. I look at time and space. The new science shows that we are not creatures of time, that space is not really anything more than one great big here, and, and time, nothing more than one great big now, that we can access information in the past and the future. I look at our brains as a receiving mechanism, sending and receiving. And I look at so much of the evidence about the power of intention, as I mentioned earlier, and that we entrain with other people when we send them a loving thought. I also want people to understand about the power of community. So I go into a great deal of the science demonstrating that we were born to belong. We were born to be fair. We were born to connect. And in my new ninth module, I go into far more about 
thoughts and words and how they heal you and how to use them. What I'm trying to help people understand is the new science reveals that we are far more incredible than we ever thought we were before and how we can maximize that with thoughts and words and community to live a more miraculous life, a more miraculous life than any AI can offer. All right, so we're going straight into these untapped potentials and capacities. Uh, and again, we're giving you a thumbnail here because we have very little time. So I invite you to come back and, and thoughtfully uh, spend time here on this program page. We uh, we go deep here with this master class and think that this is maybe one of the most important things that we should be uh, focusing on now and in the years ahead. And, of course, mentoring is always extremely unique and a positive experience in humanities team. In fact, we get more comments on mentoring than on, on any component of our master classes. It's this opportunity where you have 60 minutes with Greg, with Bruce, with Lynn, where every conceivable question, comment, and life circumstance is thrown at them during the 60 minutes. Uh, it, it's really quite expansive to the master class experience. Also, then, when you receive these eight additional powerful bonuses, when you register for technology, consciousness, and evolution, and of course, the whole uh, idea here is to slingshot or propel your conscious journey uh, by offering these bonuses alongside the modules and alongside the mentoring program. As you can see, you get access to this master class and hundreds of other transformational education programs on the Humanity Stream Plus platform. Done. Oh. Okay. Well, we should do a real quick half hour piece, Rama. Oh. That's what we, well, we got. We got just a short period of time. Let's yeah, I don't need that. Well, I do. Oh. Pick one here. Let me just see. Uh, Lemuria Mu, Atlantis, and Egypt. Mm-hmm. Special with Johnny Enoch. That's mm-hmm. from the past, though. I don't have that one. Okay. Well, then, should we start the next one mm-hmm. and finish it after... Later, start the next one then. Okay, we'll get started with this next one. This next one is uh, Greg Braden again, and it's called Awakening Your Power to Self-Regulate, Longevity, Deep Intuition, and Resilience. And it's discussing our biological plasticity and our ability to change the DNA of our body. Oh, yes, that's with the addition of light, of course. Mm-hmm. And we do it with our consciousness, which is linking what they just got through having a little bit of a chat about. Yeah, you do not want to get hooked up to the board. No, you don't. I did it a long time ago. Oh, no, was that fun, Rama? No, it was not fun. Uh-huh, how come you thought that was going to be fun? Uh, let's say 
it means it's more than a theory or a hypothesis that someone has, has put up on the internet, you know, on YouTube or, you know, on some uh, internet chat room. Peer-reviewed science is uh, is the, the work, the scholarly research of uh, of scientists. Many of them are multidisciplinary scientists. Once they make a discovery and they believe they understand something to a greater degree than we have in the past, what they do is they circulate that uh, among their peers, hence the term peer-reviewed, and their peers take the opportunity to either shoot that idea down and find out where the holes are or to support the idea because it is based upon uh, things that they found to be true as well. So I'm going to be sharing discoveries based upon peer-reviewed science uh, that change the way we think, Steve, about ourselves, our relationship to our, our world and our own bodies, uh, such as the question you've just asked. So I, I just want to our, our viewers to know that these discoveries, they are published in peer-reviewed journals. Many of them are very obscure journals that very few people get to see. And a lot of the scientists simply don't have the, the platform that you and I are creating right now. So they don't have any way to share this information so I'm saying this because a lot of this you're not going to find in the mainstream. It's not in mainstream classrooms, mainstream textbooks, mainstream documentaries. On, on the one hand, on the other hand, it changes the way we think, the way we heal, the way we live, the way we solve our problems. And, and I just I think it's important to keep that in mind as, as we go through uh, these these discussions, because people are going to say, how come I've never heard about this? Or if I Google it, I'm not. Vision problems. Try adding this to a glass of water before bed. Every human has around 106 million cells in their eyes. Google it. I'm not finding much about it in Google uh, or, you know, whatever your search engine is. And uh, and this is the reason why. So uh, does that make sense, Steve, or any questions yeah, about that? Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that in because this is something Bruce emphasizes, as you know. Yeah. Well, is that among scientists, they say, of course, I know that. But uh, but this information is not out in the mainstream. And uh, so while scientists have been in the lab uh, understanding this in the mainstream, there's an absence of, of knowledge and wisdom. And, and that's hurting us, which is why we're bringing this program. It, it is. And this is why I appreciate you so much, Steve, because in many cases uh, there is I think it's fair to say there is a reluctance to share some of these discoveries because they change the story. And they, they make us think differently about what it is that we've been taught. And in some cases, and I personally have experienced this, there's a resistance to sharing these discoveries. And especially when it comes to big topics like, like human evolution and, and the role that DNA plays in the evolution, all of those things uh, I'm going to be talking about in this series. So I just want to lay that out up front. And now I'm going to answer a question specifically. And 2009 is when the Nobel Prize in Science uh, and Medicine, Physiology and Medicine, was awarded for the discovery of an enzyme that lives in every one of our bodies, Steve. So it's not like uh, this is relegated only to monks or nuns or yogis or mystics living on the mountaintop of a monastery halfway around the world. We all have a very specific enzyme in our bodies whose sole purpose it is to heal and repair and rejuvenate the portions of the DNA that are used as a biological marker to determine human aging. So I know there's a whole lot in that sentence. Let me unpack that just, just a little bit. Uh, on the ends of, of our chromosomes 
are specialized portions of, of DNA, and I know many of our, our viewers uh, are very familiar with this. They're called telomeres or telomeres, uh, and I've heard it pronounced both ways in, in the uh, science conferences. These are specialized portions of, of the DNA whose sole function it is is to protect the DNA when the cell divides. When a cell divides, uh, those chromosomes divide so that we have uh, the same complement of the chromosome in, in each of, of the new cells. The problem is that when that division happens, the division does not complete along the axis of the entire chromosome, and nature uh, accommodates that by creating this this specialized portion of the DNA so that if something is left behind, if a portion of the DNA is not copied, it's not the vital information inside, it's these telomeres on the ends. When we're born, we have a full complement of these telomeres. By the time we're 35, uh, we, we're down to about a half of, of what we have. And by the time we're in our 60s, uh, we're down to, to less than a third, typically. And here's the good news, Steve. The, the discovery that you asked me about in 2009, the discovery is of an enzyme that can be activated at any time in our lives to do three things. First of all, uh, to repair whatever damage has occurred to those telomeres, number one. Number two, to, uh, to stop the, the uh, degradation of those telomeres. And number three, to actually build them, to, to add new information onto the ends of these telomeres so that, in effect, according to the biological marker, we become younger when it comes to, to looking at the, at the DNA. So we all have this enzyme. It is called telomerase or telomerase. Again, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Uh, scientists knew about it. They just didn't know exactly what it did. And it was Carol Greider and a research team uh, at, uh, at Stanford University that began looking at where this enzyme is located, and they they realize the enzyme is only located at the ends near the ends of the telomeres, and they thought maybe there's a correlation there. And their work led them to understand that the role of the telomerase is to stop the degradation, to to heal and repair, and then actually rebuild, rejuvenate those uh, those telomeres. So in effect, our cells can become younger according to these biological markers, regardless of our chronological age. Uh, and it is, it is relatively easy to activate this enzyme, this longevity enzyme, as well as other factors through things. Some things are very familiar to us, lifestyle, so uh, certainly nutrition, uh, certainly movement, uh, certain kinds of exercise. But it's all about the environment, external and internal. When we talk about internal environment, we're talking about thoughts, feelings, emotions, and beliefs. This ties right into the work of another uh, one of my colleagues who will be in this series, Dr. Bruce Lipton, as well as the folks of HeartMath. So there are many places where we're going to see this dovetailing, beautiful dovetailing, a synergy of the work. Because I think when something's true, uh, certainly it's going to show up in a lot of ways, a lot of different places. And that's why uh, that's why this team has come together to bring this to you, our, our viewers, uh, in ways that you typically are not seeing. So it's a long answer to a short question, Steve. It's about, um, it's about activating the telomerase, uh, and allowing that enzyme to do what it is designed to do to give new life and healing to the DNA that is at the very core of our existence. Wow. Fabulous. What a way to get started here. We're uh, really setting the table uh, as well for this whole hour long conversation. Thank you, Greg. Okay, let me get to the second uh, 
question that I want to bring to you, uh, then how do we use the techniques of ancient uh, teachers who employed mirror neurons to catapult their students beyond their perceived limitations? This is another one of those discoveries. And we're talking about discoveries that have been made between the year 2001 and 2009. You know, science and scientists, medical science specifically, we have done transplants of organs and we've done very complex surgeries successfully for so long. The thinking has been that these successes are as they are because we understand pretty much all there is to know about the human body. So to see these new discoveries coming along so late in the game, it's exciting for me. Uh, it is powerful. Uh, it's controversial. And a lot of this, again, you're not seeing in the mainstream. So what you just asked me about, 2004, Italian scientists uh, discovered a specialized neuron in specific places in, in the human brain. Uh, the common name for these uh, is called mirror neurons. Now, this is uh, very, very controversial. So let me share the science, and then I'm going to share with you where I go beyond the science. I'm going to share some things, my opinion. That is not necessarily peer-reviewed, but I'm going to start with the peer-reviewed information. So mirror neurons, uh, what the science is now telling us is these neurons will fire when we're having an experience. So uh, I'm a musician, for example. When I'm, when I'm playing the guitar, my mirror neurons, you know, they're firing away. Or if I'm watching, uh, I was a martial artist when I was younger. I still am. I was a gymnast when I was younger. I was a runner. But when I see people doing those things, uh, and I'm having the experience. So when I'm, when I'm running, I'm performing the martial arts. I'm doing the, the, uh, the gymnastics. My mirror neurons are firing away. No surprise there. Here's where it gets really interesting. The science found is that our mirror neurons will fire both when we have the experience as well as when we witness someone else having the experience, even though we're not having it. So this is why, I mean, uh, we can lie on the couch on a Sunday afternoon watching the soccer game. So we're lying down, we're prone, motionless, relaxing, supposed, supposedly. And when something's happening with that soccer game, our heart begins to beat. We may begin to perspire, our muscles tense. And you think about this, I mean, we all know it's true, but think about the mechanism. Why would that be? We're just lying there. We're not in the soccer game. Here's the deal. The mirror neuron does not know the difference between having the experience and witnessing the experience. And that is one powerful, and in my opinion, tremendously underrated uh, ability, extraordinary ability that we all have. And you asked the question, Steve, about mystics and how they use this. Here's, here's where this gets really, really interesting. In my studies with ancient indigenous traditions, with the indigenous peoples of the world, when they wanted to teach their students something that pushed them, catapulted them beyond the limits of what those individuals had been conditioned to believe about themselves, what the teachers would do is they would demonstrate an extraordinary feat. Uh, martial artists may break a stack of bricks. Um, you know, the, um, we've seen people uh, experience and then walk on fire. We've seen the yogis in Tibet that actually push their hands into the rock of the, of the cave walls and continue pushing as if that rock is not there. And with all of these, what happens when the students see these, they have to change the way they think to accommodate yeah. what they have seen. The mirror neurons don't know the difference between witnessing and experiencing. What this means when it comes to our personal healing, for example, 
when we close our eyes and we go into those deep meditative states, are we focused on the disease or the illness? Or if we are focusing upon the, the healing that we know is possible, if we focus on the healing, the mirror neurons don't know the difference, they will send the signals to the brain and the heart and the body to begin producing the chemistry that matches what the mirror neurons are seeing. So I'm, I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, this is an entire module. I'm really excited to share this. And again, in my opinion, it is a tremendously underrated potential that we all have. Uh, and, and it goes far beyond what we have the opportunity to talk about in this brief period there, Steve. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about uh, catapulting uh, people beyond their perceived limitations, we're, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we've got talked about two things already that are huge, 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 huge. And, you know, again, as uh, as I've mentioned and as Greg has mentioned, we're going to come back and talk about uh, a program that we've been working months on uh, that's going to go a lot deeper into these things. But let's go to uh, the third thing here, which is another really cool one, Greg, and this is uh, accessing specialized cells in the human heart to awaken extraordinary abilities previously only available to monks, yogis, and mystics. Absolutely. And this is one of the places I mentioned the overlap between myself and my colleagues. Uh, this is where the Institute of HeartMath, uh, there's a tremendous overlap between what I'm sharing and, and what they're doing, although we do it in very different and very unique ways. And that's why one of the things I've found, everyone learns differently. And some people uh, are very left brain, some are very right brain, some like the science, some just say, you know, just tell me what to do. Uh, and so we're we've designed this course. And the overlap in, in some of the, the discoveries, uh, because of the different approaches, uh, and, and how we go about doing these. And this discovery is one of those. 1991. So again, this is relatively recently. 1991, scientists discovered 40,000, approximately, 40,000 specialized cells in the human heart. Uh, they are called sensory neurites. They are essentially brain-like cells, but they're not in the cranial brain. They're in the heart. But they function in a very similar capacity to the neurons in the brain. These sensory neurites in the heart, they think independently of the cranial brain. They feel independently of the cranial brain. This is, this is a big one. They remember independently of the cranial brain. And what that means for every one of us, we all have experienced some form of trauma in our lives, consciously or subconsciously, uh, in the womb, after birth, in our childhood or even as adults, uh, at some point, something happens that we don't have the tools to deal with. And, and our body interprets that as trauma. So when we don't have the tools to deal with it, we will put those memories uh, away. And uh, ideally, until we have the tools to deal with them, some people never deal with them. So the problems will show up in other ways in the body. And we all have gone through therapy uh, or counseling or conversations with friends or loved ones to help us deal with these things, therapy formally or informally. Uh, and we often do it from the mind and we, we get as far as we can get with that kind of therapy in the mind, whether it's talking with, with friends or lovers or, you know, spouses or counselors that are trained or therapists trained to do this or not. It, and you say, okay, I've, I've gone as far as I can, but something seems to be missing. This discovery tells us what it may be because we address the memories in the mind. What about the memories in the heart? These 40,000 specialized cells are concentrated in the heart in a way that is actually called the little brain in the heart. This is what scientists are calling it, the little brain in the heart. So when we go 
uh, to reconcile and resolve the experiences of the past that may be impacting our lives today. Uh, if the experiences aren't bothering us, you know, maybe there's no, no need to look at them. But those those traumas have a way of showing up later in life in unexpected ways. And if I'm just going to talk to our viewers, if you've taken your healing as far as you can go through your mind and through traditional uh, traditional methods and you feel there's something missing, this may be the missing piece because our heart has a memory that rarely is acknowledged. And when we begin to acknowledge that memory, it's like a switch goes off and it makes all the difference in the world in terms of, uh, of the resolution of the hurt of the past. And, and whether we like it or not, we all have experienced that hurt. It makes us who we are today. So I, I would like to say much more, Steve. I know we're limited on time, so I'm going to stop there and say this, this discovery of these 40,000 neurites and how we may harmonize these cells in our heart with the cells in our brain to create an, an optimal state of consciousness that is called heart-brain coherence. Uh, I've learned about this from indigenous people, from mystics, uh, healers, uh, kurandaros, shamans, uh, from Tibet and Nepal and India to the Yucatan to the southern Andes to the American desert southwest. People at HeartMath have taken this into the laboratory to validate what it is that's happening and, and hone in on the things that work, let's do more of them. The things that don't work, let's do less of them. And so we're going to bring all of this together uh, to, to cover this one topic. Wow, fabulous. You know, how did we ever start thinking of the heart as a pump? <laughs> Simply a pump, huh, Greg, because you, you know, yeah. as, you, as you bring in this uh, body of work that you are involved in, your research, and as you mentioned, also heart mass research, the heart clearly is so much more than a pump, isn't it? Well, you know, it goes back the early uh, early part of the, the 19th century, actually. Uh, and the idea was that the heart is simply a pump. And we all know that the heart pumps really well, but you can build a machine to do that. And what, what these new discoveries are telling us is that the heart, uh, the pump action of the heart may be the least, the least of what our hearts do. Uh, we've all heard that the brain is the master organ in the body. What the new studies now are showing, Steve, is while the brain is important and the brain sends the signals to the rest of the body to tell us what to do, the brain receives many of its instructions from the heart. And those instructions are based upon our perceptions, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and beliefs. All of a sudden, it puts us in the driver's seat. And that's where the self-regulation comes in. Very, very exciting. Yeah, boy, let me just mention to viewers here too, Greg, that, um, of course, this is one of the huge dimensions of this uh, new program where we really get into this might be somewhat of an abstract notion that we're talking about here now, but it won't be abstract any longer uh, if you um, uh, go through this uh, program that involves Greg, Bruce, and the HeartMath people where it's really getting into the whole function of how we live, really yeah. more in the place of the heart, uh, and we... Um, uh, learn to become conscious uh, so that when our mental and emotional self runs away with it, which so often happens in today's modern day world, we uh, say, oh, you know, it's happening again. And we create these processes to come back into uh, this uh, wisdom of the heart, this living and breathing from the heart. But, you know, a lot more on that later. Um, Greg, let me, um, so this is exciting. Let me come now to uh, question number four here, telling the difference between instinct and intuition and understanding the deeper language of intuition inside your own body. I love to see this is like the lightning round 
of science and spirituality is what we're doing right now. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Just tell me this, tell me this. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm enjoying, uh, this is my passion to be able to share these discoveries in our lives because it changes the way we live day in and day out. And I think all of us know our world is changing and there are reasons for that change. I've talked about in other programs, the convergence of cycles uh, that are shifting our, our society, that are shifting the way that we've got to solve our problems. We've got to think differently, Steve, than, than we ever have. And because the, the context of the world has changed, so that the way that we've always solved problems in the past must change as well. And what we're doing is we're offering the keys based upon peer-reviewed science to help us to do just that, to give us the reason to think differently about ourselves. So I, I'm enjoying this tremendously. Instinct versus intuition. This is a big one. You know, I, I'm asked this question so often um, in our, our live events. And, and people say, well, aren't they the same thing? And for many people, the, the belief is, is that instinct and intuition are the same. What I'd like to say is they're closely related, but they're two very different things. Yep. Instinct is, uh, is a response that is hardwired within us. It's hardwired in our consciousness, in our psyche, ultimately uh, even in our, our nervous system. Uh, whereas intuition uh, is not hardwired. Intuition takes into account many present simultaneous factors, uh, including instinct. So let, let me just give an example. Instinct. Uh, throughout the course of human existence, <laughs> okay, that was right. You might have to back up a minute when we start again, but time to take a break, everybody. This is really good. And uh, we are grateful to be alive and together and hanging out like this, everybody. So let's do it some more. Yet we'll take a little break. And now we'll be back with some music. And we'll take a look at the stars with Richard and Tanya and Kepacha as we come back. All right. So, Satnam for now, everyone. Satnam. That's talking stick to you, Richard. Thank you, brother. And good evening, audience. All right, we'll do a little astrology here for a little bit, and we'll start off like we usually do. So, Mars has gone direct, and it's sitting at 9 Gemini, and Mercury is sitting at 10 Capricorn. So. The spread there is uh, 149 degrees, and uh, we're a week out from the new moon. Right now, right now the the new the moon is uh, pretty close to exactly square to the sun, third quarter square, and the sun is conjunct Pluto. And Venus and Saturn have got Aquarius this is kind of strange because on the one hand you got Venus at 16 
Saturn's at 24. Now, Venus is sometimes called the uh, lesser Jupiter, for lack of a better term. It's a, a generally a, a beneficial uh, frequency, and Saturn is uh, the hand of restraint and discipline and the deliverer of no. Denial is a denial is a Saturn condition and the denial I'm talking about is the discipline to not do as opposed to the desire to do. So we got that going on in Aquarius. And Jupiter. Oh my gosh, Jupiter is up to four degrees of Aries. And as it continues to move into Aries, thank God for Saturn. Because things could overheat. Too much Jupiter is... is, over overheat, overactivity, uh, over too much of anything, and without that uh, Saturn restraint, the whole thing would blow up. Yeah, Richard. That uh, politically, you know, next Thursday the debt ceiling either it gets raised or everything could blow up. But um, I'm just wondering. The astrology says about that. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, that was going to be my my little conversation for the end of, for the for the end of the show to fill in at the end. I was going to say a, a few more words about that, but that's see that's where we're at. See, we got uh, Jupiter, is, Neptune, and Jupiter are the energetic causes of inflation and an overheated economy. All right. That's what that's what inflation is. It's too much too much energy following too few goods and services. All right. Think of think of the airline disaster over Christmas with Southwest. Right, so you, so we got major things going on here with the economy of the U.S. I could keep my remarks to the U.S. economy. All right, so latest reports tell us that um, the debt ceiling is is due, and Janet says she can keep things going until about the middle of June, and she's urging Congress to, uh, you know, do their thing now rather than, you know, rather than later. So the pressure is on, and the fight is going to be on about all things monetary. Now we know, and I don't understand this, we know with the debt, level that the U.S. corporation is carrying, 
And we also know that foreigners, uh, other countries in this case, um, and people with assets and, and money and stuff like that, they're they're coming they're coming in into they're moving assets into the U.S. All right, monetary assets. So we know that's going on. And the other thing, I might as well just do this now rather than later. I track, I've been tracking for years now, but mostly for, well, let's see, my, this page, my 924. All right. Going back to the last fall's equinox, gold was at 1644 and silver was at 1888. Okay, U.S. dollars, gold per ounce, right? Now, when you get to the winter solstice, just a month ago, all right, gold has come up about a hundred and fifty dollars. It was at on the on twelve seventeen. Gold was at seventeen ninety three. Oh my! Silver had moved to twenty three twenty one. Silver broke the twenty dollar price at the end of October. October twenty ninth, it was nineteen and a quarter. On uh, November fifth, it moved up to twenty eighty six, and today. Or this week, it's at twenty four dollars and a quarter. All right. So silver's moved up four dollars in two months, and gold has moved up two hundred and forty dollars since November fifth. All right, sixteen eighty one. To 1920 is where gold is sitting right now. And I don't know about the crystal market, but I'm going to take a I'm going to take a visit to my local uh, diamond and jewelry guy here in LJ this week and uh, have a little talk with him. I've got some stuff to trade, so if you got junk. Junk gold, junk silver. You got if you got rings and stuff with pretty rocks in them. I what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to pull some stones from two rings and sell the settings and think about redesigning what I want to do with those two stones, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I'm I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, I'm going to look at uh, Converting uh, some of my treasure into dollars, different kind of treasure, right? Silver coin, to be exact. I'm going to convert 100 ounces of silver into dollars. Mm. I'm going to take those dollars, and I'm going to give a couple of men a job. 
right? Mm-hmm. I'm in a charitable mood, right? And I've been my strategy I've been working on is how to get first of all get the most for my my money, but the two jobs I've got to do one is to take care of my truck it needs the front end reworked and that's going to be about a thousand dollars it's yeah it's steering linkage you know yep tie rod ends and uh that sort of stuff right because it, it's creak the poor old truck is creaking <laughs> it creaks any any time you turn left or right you know there, there's a now there's a permanent creak in it. Oh, creak, 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 creak. Right. Well, the the way they built this this truck is they didn't they didn't put grease fittings in it, so you can't you know relube this you know the linkage there and everything. So it's one of those cost saving things that Ford did back back in the early two thousands when I got this truck. But anyway, so a thousand dollars is going to the to the Ford dealer. And a mechanic, a mechanic is going to make a living, and he's going to get a job to fix my truck for me, all right, for maturity. And the other half of that deal, the other, the other thousand, I figure I can get. I should. I'm going to get over. I'm going to get. I'm going to. I'm going to trade a hundred ounces of, of silver. In for cash, right? So at the current prices, I should get about twenty five hundred dollars for my hundred ounces of silver. All right. Yeah. And the, the other, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going, I'm going to work on my landscaping, and I'm going to finish a project that I set aside like six or seven years ago. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a man over here with a with some equipment, and I'm gonna finish my amphitheater slash helicopter landing pad. Oh, very good. I'm gonna yeah. Uh, it's partly done, but what I gotta do is I gotta uh, finish digging out the the circular dish in, in the side of the hill and I'm going to I got a great I got a great plan and I'm going to I'm going to slant it and it's going to be like a dirt radar dish flat on the bottom round on the east and east side alright and I got to take down a, a few more trees which I can use for firewood and then I'll be able to get a rescue helicopter in here. Because there's no place near... If any of my neighbors needed an emergency airlift, there's no convenient place to land a helicopter. No, there isn't, but you can do it on your land. You've got room there. You do. I'm, I've, like I said, I'm making a helicopter landing pad slash community gathering place. Mm-hmm. 
because everything around here, it's all woods and hilly and everything. But my location uh, suits this. So this is like, it's for me, it's for the community, mm-hmm. and it's going to be really neat. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my my plan that I've been working on while Mercury's been retrograde here. See, mm-hmm. that pad can also be used for shuttlecraft as uh, folks. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It probably from what uh, just thinking about what I what I've seen on. Um, Next Generation Star Trek, or uh, what's that other one? Stargate? Uh-huh. A Stargate, a Stargate shuttlecraft. They were only about, what, 30 foot long? Yeah, about the size of a small RV. Yeah, uh, yeah a 25 foot RV. I'll be able to get an RV in here. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, my, that's my winter project. And my fifth house is ruled by Aquarius. Ooh. I got a fifth house Aquarius, and the fifth house is one of the creative houses. Mm-hmm. So let's go listen to Kaipacha and uh, I'll talk to you in a few minutes. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Day. I caught you with the weekly Paley report for January 11th of the big 2023. It's happening now. The new year has begun. We are starting off. I feel like it's already happening. Gotta love the trees. Gotta love the trees. It ain't just the river, it's the whole picture. I got two awesome Sabian symbols to share today. And, uh, yeah, those trees made me think of it. Anyway, uh, what's going on? Well, Mars goes direct tomorrow, but, I mean, it has been sitting at that same degree. It came back to like eight degrees in a couple minutes. Uh, for like a long freaking time, really, uh, 24 days, it's been at the same degree. That's one of the Sabian symbols I'll be sharing. Uh, eight degrees of Gemini plus, so I will read the ninth degree. Um, really from, uh, New Year's Day till January 24th, Mars is just hanging out at that same degree. But it is slowly turning around. Obviously, it's not turning around. It's an optical illusion. But I'm not going into that. Sun is still up there in Capricorn, baby. Moving in to conjunct with Pluto. But that's not going to be this week. I'll be talking about it next week. It's got a little bit to do with today's mantra. Mercury 
also up there in Capricorn, still retrograde until next Wednesday. Okay, so yeah, we're really at the kind of, uh, yeah, dead zone. <laughs> Mars stationing, Mercury's gonna station, after that Uranus is gonna station, blah, 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 blah. And then it's gonna be full steam ahead. In the meantime, the moon is moving around. Uh, she's in Virgo today. Uh, gonna oppose Neptune, obviously. Goes into Libra. Uh, trying the sun tomorrow. Uh, and then trying Pluto, right? Uh, uh, and then, and then she'll go into Scorpio. And, uh, you know, there's a lot going on here. Uh, a lot of aspects with the moon, but I'm gonna be reading the square. Third quarter square. She's now waxing. No, waning. I'm sorry. She's getting smaller in the sky. We had that full moon. Quite emotional, a eh? Full moon in Cancer. Did you pick up on that? Oh, my God. Lots to do with relationships these days, you guys. Uh, this Venus trying Mars. Venus is up there in Aquarius, and she is really wanting to shake things up. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. That trine is still uh, going on. And yesterday, Venus was square the moon's nodes. 10 degrees Aquarius to 10 Scorpio Taurus. There's a little swimming pool down there. Somebody built a little dam so I can jump in after I'm done working here. <laughs> what else? Venus squares Uranus on Saturday. Look out. Shake it up. Destabilize. Radicalize those relationships. Can also have to do with money, sense of self-worth. Let me look at the camera and talk about it. All right, what's going on here besides the cicadas? <laughs> wow, it stops raining for a couple of weeks and now it's cicada time. I mean, if it's not the wind and then it's not uh, the rapids or the beach, it's the cicadas. I hope you can hear me, and I'm going on whether you can or not. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about all kinds of stuff today, but, you know, I mean, they're all related to the mantra a little bit, yeah? About, and, and this is Jupiter conjuncting Chiron in Aries. That's going to be going on for a month. So we're going to be talking about, like, yeah, self-empowerment. Right now, the sun is in Capricorn along with Mercury and Pluto. This is get the job done. That's what the mantra today says. Yeah, you know, I've got it in me to get the job done. Boom, right? And Mercury, I didn't uh, mention in the aspects, it is going back to square Chiron again. It's in conjunct Mars. 150 degrees adjustment, not a super easy aspect, before it stations next week to go direct, where it's going to do this. So it's basically aspecting Chiron and Mars through its whole station starting to go forward again. And this is thoughts, thinking, business, that Mars and Gemini. I'm going to read the station that's uh, effective. This is the Sabian symbol. For the ninth degree of Gemini, 
where Mars is sitting from January 1st till January 24th. And it relates to Capricorn. It relates to the psychotics trying to take over the world. Okay, it relates to getting the job done. It relates to conquest. Let's hear what Dane has to say. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is all. You can get this book, The Astrological Mandala. You can download the PDF off of my uh, website, and I can put the link down in the notes. If you don't have it already, or if you haven't bought the book, it's just, the book, I think, is out of print, or it's, like, super expensive. There's not very many copies around anymore. But here we go, yeah? The, the symbol, you know, what the psychic saw, L.C. Wheeler saw for this ninth degree of Gemini, is a quiver full of arrows. The keynote, he says, is man's aggressive relationship to natural life as a basis for survival and conquest, which also relates to the North Node conjunct Uranus in Taurus, the sign of survival, yeah, physical survival. The bow and arrows represent symbolically our ability to extend the scope of our conquest of nature and to kill enemies in order to build a larger base for the collective development of a culture and an organized society. Implied in the symbol of the arrow is the piercing of a target. The mind is essentially a trans-piercing power. It goes through the object toward which it is aimed. It seeks to go through and beyond the obstacle in its path. And this usually implies the destruction of the obstacle. At a higher level, as in the Zen practice of archery, the obstacle is the ego. Again, we have very many different frequencies, octaves, or levels of expression of each one of these 12 archetypes of the zodiac, right? And so, you know, yes, we, you know, at one level, this is piercing, you know, and destroying the ego. That's the Zen way. And in a lower level, Okay, you know, it's, you know, conquest. Here we go. Let's, uh, at this phase, we, uh, you know, we are shown the archetypal symbol of man, the conqueror. This is Mars too, right? You know, it may be the conquest of outer nature or that of the instinctual drives and of the limiting power of the ego. It is always conquest. And this so relates to the other symbol for this month's, the third quarter square moon. I mean, I should, maybe I'll just go right into that and then kind of tie them together a little bit along with the mantra, okay? So this is Mars, and just get this sense, Mars is going direct tomorrow. So maybe Mars retrograde has been loading the bow 
pulling back the string, getting ready to release that arrow. Yeah. And when it goes direct, I'm telling you, the next three, four months, with all the planets direct, we are going to see the shit hit the fan. Wow. Yeah. In very many different ways. Hopefully, it's just each of us mastering our ego, getting obstacles out of our way. But on a global, collective level, it's conquest. It's a power grab. And we're going to see battles happening. Yeah. For who's got the most. The most money, the most territory, the most power, the most food, uh, the most oil, the most... I mean, yeah, there's. it's going to be a pretty much of a grab bag, I think, when Mars goes direct here. You know, starting from this degree, I mean, this kind of sets the tone for the next two years of the Mars cycle. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> now to bring it down to this monthly cycle of the moon, right? Third quarter square moon, and this is the 25th degree of Libra. And I like this one. This is much nicer. Yeah. The sight of an autumn leaf brings to a pilgrim the sudden revelation of the mystery of life and death. The ability to discover in every experience, every experience, <laughs> a transcendent or cosmic meaning. Yes! This is astrology. This is the spiritual path. This is what it's all about. Let's check it out. The mind open to the multifarious wonders of natural processes, like, like this river, yeah? Because it sees everything with fresh eyes, not only witnesses simple facts, but pierces through, like an arrow, right? Pierces through. Our consciousness pierces through appearances and perceives the great rhythms of universal life. Without such a faculty, the aspirant to spiritual realities is always looking for elsewhere elsewhere. I think of Monty Python in search of the Holy Grail. <laughs> we seek the Grail! Yet the Spirit, life, God is ever present here and now. And every death is an omen of rebirth. Right? I've said it a million times. This is what astrology teaches us. This is what nature teaches us. Every death leads to a new birth. You know, every sunrise leads to a sunset. You know, I mean, every, it's a cyclical unfoldment of evolution. Yeah? 
And this goes from lifetime to lifetime with reincarnation. So, you know, as soul beings, we are, you know, forever dying and being reborn. And this also is what ties in with the mantra for this week, yeah? That kind of came to me. There is sorrow involved with loss. And whether I win or lose, you know, we're playing the game. We're in the game. Whether we choose or don't choose, it is a choice. We are in the game. We are in the body. We are in the third dimension. We are on planet Earth. And we want to pierce through the veil. We want to pierce through the Maya. We want to pierce through the appearances. It's very trippy, right? Let me finish this. Yeah? So, here, we've got this cosmic process. The implications, yes, of the four preceding stages are brought to a new state of consciousness, which is truly the spiritual state. It is a state of clair-seeing or seeing through. This world is illusion only to the individual who cannot see through its phenomena and fails to apprehend the reality. These phenomena reveal even as they conceal it. I've struggled with this notion of, oh, this is all Maya, this is all illusion, you know, nothing really matters here, and that this is very real. When I trip on this rock and break my leg, I really experience pain. This is part of this Neptune in Pisces right now, yeah, for the next couple of years. The paradox. Apparently, canceling polarities coexist together in the same reality. Yeah. So, yes, this is Maya and illusion. And no, this is not Maya and illusion. Number one, it's very real. And as the Sabian symbol is telling us, if we pierce through this third dimensional reality, we will find that behind the phenomena, there is a wisdom teaching. Jupiter, yeah? You know, wisdom teaching in everything that happens. And so we're talking today, we're talking about this cycle, we're talking about this Capricorn. You know, there's battles that are won and lost. There are wars that are won and lost. There are courtroom cases that are won and lost. I just read how they're taking, you know, the Biden administration to court, you know, for unconstitutionally uh, telling all of big tech to censor the narrative that's been going down. We can only hope that these types of court cases that are now coming up are going to bring a revelation of a deeper underlying 
you know, covert attempt, right, to take over and rob individuals of their freedom of choice, which is part of this human experience. So yeah, we're going to see a lot of different things, but it's, it also has a lot to do with revelation. I think there's a lot of revelation coming. And you can be experiencing a lot of revelation right now. Venus square Uranus. Aha! This relationship is showing me this. This relationship is liberating me. Or I am liberating myself from this relationship. Or I'm in a place of conquest. <laughs> yeah, where I am wanting to, you know, start or overtake or deepen this relationship. This Venus trying Mars that's going on right now. I just did this relationship course. It came out really great. Part one of segment one. I can put a link to it down below. Part two is coming up on the 21st and the 22nd. You want to go for that. I think at the beginning of this Pele uh, uh, report, I'm, I'm going to put the uh, uh, the chart that I used in my talk on the truth about 2023. Because I also wanted to just kind of make this uh, today's Pele report a little more personal, if I got enough time. Um, because yeah, you know this you know this mantra. Let's check it out, right? I have what it takes to get the job done, even though sometimes it hurts. Because I know deep down inside that it's me who creates my work. I mean, yeah, this kind of, this is my, my morning download here, you know. I'm still trying to figure it out. I work with these mantras myself. And you can work with them through the week. Yeah, this, you know, this is really about Capricorn. This is really about Uranus conjunct the North Node in Taurus, the sign of self-worth. And this getting the job done, it's like, you know, moving forward, deciding, making choices that sometimes hurt. Yeah, you know. Yes, I love you, but this relationship is no longer working. And and there's a loss. And it hurts. But you got to get on and move, and move on. Yeah? You know, living in this country is no longer working for me. I have to move. I have to say goodbye. And it hurts. You know, Venus squaring the moon's nodes is saying that we have to let go of our past Scorpio soul contracts or unions in order to move forward into this North Node in Taurus, which is realizing my own, you know, my own ability to love myself, to, to maintain, you know, to take care of myself to be comfortable here on earth, to succeed, you know, to, to find wealth, to receive. Yeah, this is Uranus North Node in Taurus. And so sometimes this breaking away 
this saying goodbye, this moving forward, it hurts. It's painful. And you can feel like you're hurting other people. Or other, you know, or you can feel like other people are hurting you. But we're all moving now, like I said, you know. This note is staying, transiting through Taurus until July. And then it goes into Aries, which is going to be even more moving forward. So, to get a little more personal, who's this really affecting? Uh, we want to, and understand wherever there's loss, there's grief. You want to go through the five or seven stages of grief. They include, you know, uh, negotiating with God to keep it or get it back. And then maybe anger where it doesn't come back. Okay, you know, and then withdrawal or depression, and then, you know, find, I mean, coming down that river, down those rapids, to some calm. That's a nice pool behind me. It's going to be nice. <laughs> but let me talk about who's getting it, man. Who's getting it? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to start with, you know, uh, the youngest people, right? Around 30 years ago, if you're around 30, you're getting your Saturn return right now. Late Aquarius, early Pisces. Blocks, stops, obstacles, challenges, boom. Yeah, those born, you know, 30 years ago. 1993. Anybody born in 1993? You're getting your Saturn. Yeah. And Saturn rules grief. Yeah, Saturn rules, you know, some serious, sober reflection on where I have been and where I want to go. And I need to make some choices to move towards a new goal, yeah? Also, those, you know, who were born in 78, yeah, if you're around 44 years old, you were born with Saturn, you know, in late Leo, early Virgo. And that's boom, okay? Relationship, business partner, other partner, the world at large, or the boss, or whatever, you know, uh, where things are, yeah, really need to make a change there, really need to decide if you want to stay on the course you're on, can get pretty serious. Saturn can be kind of depressing sometimes. And if, uh, you know, Venus or the Moon are involved, it can be kind of lonely, have to do with relationships, also have to do with money, challenges, yeah. So those born in 78 or so, you're 44 years old, getting that. Who else? Yeah. Neptune square Neptune. If you're 37 to 39 years old, you guys born between 81 and 83, you're getting a Neptune square Neptune. And this is a very confusing time where things are very unclear and very uncertain and 
you know, it's like quicksand or fog or, you know, who am I and where am I going? I, you know, you know, this is a good time for you to like take a step back, go on retreat, go within, shoot that arrow through your ego. <laughs> yeah, meditate, silence, do art, music and dance. It's not a real good time for, you know, making big decisions, choices or changes, but doing an inward listening, yeah, in preparation. You're getting spiritualized. Open that crown chakra and it'll come clear, but, you know, it's it's a two, three year transit with Neptune. And it's very interesting because this is also with you that, who are from 38 to 40, you're getting Pluto square Pluto. Yeah. 82 to 84, you were born with Pluto in late Scorpio. I mean, uh, late Libra, early Scorpio. And this is, you know, this is that whole kind of midlife transition happening for everybody born between 81 and 84. Getting Neptune square Neptune, Pluto square Pluto. Yeah, this is a big crux for you guys. Yeah, pretty intense. Pluto square Pluto is a time of deep metamorphosis of your emotional, sexual relationship, yeah, nature of, yeah, and which way your soul really wants to go. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a very powerful time of change and you may need to confront in order to break out. You got to shed your skin peel the banana big opening for you people but it can hurt so the mantra for this week is really for you guys yeah who else you guys born between 78 and 79 43 to 44 years old you're getting Uranus opposite Uranus yeah you were born with Uranus and Scorpio and now Midlife, man, right? 43, 44, boom. Time to rebel, to liberate yourself, to go alternative, to break free, to start the revolution. And that can hurt. Maybe you don't want to traumatize other people. You don't want to hurt anybody. But you got to cut the cords and you got to break free. And that's not, you know, it's not easy to be the bad guy. A lot of times, Uranus is the bad guy. Yeah, Pluto is the bad guy. So, look at that one. And who else? Well, Chiron, if you were born in 71, if you're around 51 years old, you're in your Chiron return. And it's time to empower yourself. And it's time to own your desires. And it's time to in engage your will and be a little more selfish than you've been in the past. Because part of your past has been a fear of being shamed or made to feel guilty around speaking up for yourself, standing up for yourself, doing what you want, when you want, how you want, boom. I encourage you people to like really step into becoming an elder, taking responsibility for your choices, making choices, 
and becoming more autonomous and breaking free. So we can see this is a time period where there's a lot of shedding. There's a lot of letting go. A lot of letting go of what was once secure. What was once normal. What was once supporting me is no longer. So yeah, it's a little scary for everybody. <laughs> you, baby. Ow. You got this, though. Just keep on, repeat this mantra, man. Write it on your mirror or something, you know. I have what it takes to get the job done. Even though sometimes it hurts. Because I know deep down inside that it's me who creates my work. May you create a life that you love, that turns you on, that turns on the world, that inspires future generations. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the seeds of a new paradigm. We've got this. <laughs> You've got this, man. So we got to step it up. And you may need to take an arrow out of your quiver and shoot through the Maya. Shoot through the illusion. Find your truth. And fucking go for it. <laughs> Namaste. Pura vida. So much love. Well, that was very interesting. Yeah. Because as he was as he was going through those uh, chapters of life, I was I was recalling when I was thirty and when I was forty two and when I was fifty. Now he didn't. He didn't mention. He didn't mention. Uh, well, yeah, I think he mentioned. No, he didn't. But at fifty-nine, you work your second Saturn return. That's right. Along with your fifth Jupiter return. Oh my! Right, five times twelve is sixty. 
and two times thirty is sixty. Uh-huh. So w- once once you get past sixty, your path should be pretty pretty clear to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then a- after sixty, you're you're probably old enough to start counseling the younger ones. Yeah. So that's where that's at. Well, my friends, it's been an interesting week here in North Georgia. I had a dusting of snow overnight last night, so the ground was decorated with a a little frosting. Yeah. It was very, and it was twenty five degrees. Ooh. So it was well below freezing anyway. Yeah, burned been burning a running the wood stove a little hotter. Keep the house warm. Yeah. And uh uh now now that we've got see, I think, you know, we I've been I've been waiting for Jupiter to go direct, all right. Mercury to go direct. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's gonna go direct in just a couple of days here. And now that uh, Mars is direct, and see, being in Gemini, it's, it's everything relationship. Right? Gemini rules the voice as well as the written word. All right. So uh, the uh, the laws of the land, whatever land you're living in, right? That's all coming up for discussion. Yeah. And with Mars and Gemini, there's that quiver of arrows that everybody's got a quiver of arrows. So yes, expect expect a period of increased agitation. Mm-hmm. On the Let's say on the more personal level, it could uh, it could happen to you. You know, make sure your friendships are are good and tight and clean. You know, don't let don't let irritations um, get in the way. Get those get those cleared out with good heart heart conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at. That's where you're at. And uh, I wish you all a great and wonderful, safe week ahead. And uh, energy follows thought. Right, that's like number one in in the uh, in the metaphysical world of getting things done. Yes, energy follows thought. Whether it's Healing your body, you know, meditate, put your mind on that part of the body that's hurting, and uh, do that three nights in a row before you go to sleep, and you can usually get some results after three week, three nights or five nights or something like that, you know. And use what you know and share what you know to help one another. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to bid you all peace out.
out in a namaste, and then we're going to hang out here and listen to a little bit of Tanya. Yes. And uh, that's all from me for now, and I love you. I love you back, Richard, until we meet again. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Gabrielle, Wealth Astrometrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the forecast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers to help us navigate it in the most high vibrational way possible. And in this case, we're going to look at a very special topic, Friday the 13th and the impact of Venus and Mars this week. It's a very powerful week in terms of the divine feminine and sacred masculine coming together and merging within us in the numerology codes and astrology codes at the same time. So to begin this Venus Mars week, we have on Monday, January 9th, Venus trine to Mars and the trine is 120 degrees. It's harmonious. And with Venus and Mars, that means there's a wonderful, love, affectionate, passionate connection. We feel just the sense of connection. And it doesn't have to be between the masculine and feminine. It basically is connection to begin with, within us, that then reaches out and resolves any issues, personal or otherwise professional, this is a great time to let go, to discuss, and creatively feel very, very much engaged and on fire. And that begins this special Venus-Mars week, because next in line, on Thursday, the 12th of January, Mars, after being retrograde for two and a half months since October 30th, 2022, is stationing direct on the 12th. And the date, 1-12-2023, adds up to the number 11. So it's an 11 universal date. And that means that the portal, the 11 portal, opens up onto self-growth. So 12 is the number of the eternal student. And it's also the number of creativity because it reduces to 3. 1 plus 2 equals 3. So we have this beautiful dive into enhancing inner knowledge, inner wisdom, and also getting relaxed as a result and creating something special. Mediation, diplomacy are all impacted because of the number 11 as well. 11 reduces to 2. 2 is two people communicating, connecting, the whole Venus-Mars storyline. And so this is an incredible day on the numerology level. Now, on the astrology level, Mars is long retrograde, In Gemini, the sign of communication ruled by Mercury, this has been really deep in terms of our willingness to go into what drives us passionately and sharing that with the world. And now that Mars is at a standstill, which is when a planet has its greatest impact. So basically all this week, moving into the 12th, 13th, 14th, 
big Mars impact now because it is literally not moving and changing directions. So with the direct motion, which is slowly going to pick up starting with the 12th and 13th of January, communication slowly begins to quicken between you and others moving towards clarity. So if there was anything that needs to be clarified or brought into harmony or infused with fire, this will absolutely take off. And energetically, you just feel a sense of lightness because of the internal fire that allows you to move more quickly. And that movement theme will absolutely explode. It's going to expand in a huge way by the end of January. And I will get into why that is later on in one of our later star code forecasts, but it truly is going to be a magical shift. If you've been feeling with the two retrogrades we've been going through, Mercury and Mars, over the holidays, if you've been feeling sort of slow and basically the pace has really shifted where you're needing to be patient or things are not moving as fast as you planned and you're more tired and you need more sleep or whatever the case may be, all of that is about to change. And this is the first step, the Mars change of direction on the 12th of January. And so then we have Friday the 13th. There are two Friday the 13th in 2023. This is the first one. And it just so happens during this week of Mars stationing direct, Mars and Venus are intimately connected and the Venus-Mars trine. Why am I bringing up Venus? Well, Venus rules Friday. Friday is named in the English language after Freya, the Norse goddess connected to Venus. And then in French, Friday is Vendredi, which is named after Venus. And so this is the day that Venus owns. So Friday the 13th, and we're going to go into how that was created in a moment. Friday the 13th is a very, very fortunate day for the divine feminine. Now, because Mars just stationed direct the day before and is at a standstill, this is a Big energy surge, very magnetic. There's a lot that wants to be revealed and come out into the open. There's a, it's very magnetic energy. So be aware that this week, especially as we go into Thursday, Friday, Saturday, things will heat up. And on this day in the heavens, the sun sextiles Neptune. Neptune plays a big role because it is the ruler of Pisces and we're at the end of the Piscean age, moving into the Aquarian age, but Pisces plays a major role once we get into March. There's a lot happening in that sign. So this trine between the sun and and Neptune makes you very intuitive. You're listening more. Your ability to just listen to your inner voice is very dynamic, very much enhanced, and your dreams, everything is is vivid, your imagination, your creativity, your empathy, your compassion, and you just feel the sense of sweetness in your life, which is a very divine feminine theme. So that's on Friday the 13th that we have that transit between the sun and Neptune. So let's look a little bit more closely at this number 13. 13 is the number of the divine feminine, and the reason is We have, first of all, 13 weeks in a season. We have 13 lunations, which are moon cycles in a year. And the moon cycles govern the divine, the the feminine cycles. 
each of the four seasons have 13 weeks, which when you multiply by four, make up the 52-week year. And four governs the four seasons and the four directions that we have on Earth. So we have the moon cycles directly aligned with the earthly seasons. All of that is connected to the divine feminine. And 13 is also aligned to Venus. Venus has 13 cycles. And so there is this incredible connection here with the number 13 to the divine feminine. So what happened with this number 13? Why is the number 13 considered unlucky and Friday the 13th considered unlucky? In the last 2,000 years or so, the patriarchal systems in play wanted to eliminate this frequency of the 13 because it is so connected to the divine feminine. Hence, we don't have a lot of floors that are 13 floors and people are afraid. They're made to be afraid of this number culturally or religiously. And the moon cycle is not acknowledged. The Venus cycle, therefore, is not acknowledged because they're all connected to this number 13. So we have this energy that was in a way prevented from being infused in our life and it's totally natural energy. And 13 is so connected to both the light and the dark that they both exist, that we have shadow sides and then we have the visible, the positive, that when we eliminated culturally, religiously, this number, it took away the natural ability to shift, to change, to accept both the shadow and the light in our life without judgment. So it created a lot of division and it created a suppression of a whole frequency as well because the number 13 is so connected to the feminine. So when we look at the numbers that 13 is connected to, 13 reducing to four, having four seasons, four directions. 13 is aligned to energy itself and to time. It is aligned with cyclical, with the ability to accept cycles in your life and not be upset when you sometimes feel tired or like, you know, over the the holidays where we had two retrogrades going, Mercury and Mars. It's the ability to not always be going, moving forward, but also being reflective and receptive, (laughs) you know, having a balance between action and receptivity. So we are returning 13 to her glory, meaning we're welcoming the number 13 back into the whole incredible numerology family as an incredible number of just embracing light and dark, life itself, the ability to welcome the moon cycles, to bring them into our life and understand the importance of new moons and full moons, the ability to understand the importance of Venus in our life. Venus is so connected to the number 13. Venus is all about love and abundance and pleasure and what you value. And you can imagine a life that focuses on those frequencies is a life well lived. So we really are here to embrace the divine intelligence of this number 13 of Friday 
Freya, Vendredi, the whole day, even in German, Friday is Freitag, Frei is freedom, that's what it means. So you're free not to work on that day, right? You go home, you have your weekend. So there's so much beautiful energy connected to this day and this number. So if you just move into a place of accepting transformation and knowing that even when you're still, you are moving because you're in the present moment. So the stillness is a movement in itself because you're always breathing and the breath is your connection to the divine. So we don't have to be afraid of stillness of being receptive, of listening. It actually is a key part of moving forward without stagnancy or without carrying the load of the past. When we're still, we literally are in touch with what is most important in this moment. And so we leave behind the mind's chatter, which often controls what it is we are doing and thinking and saying. And so being in that place of the divine feminine and stillness is absolutely vital to a happy, joyful, beautiful, loving, and abundant life. So there's so much more I can share with you about the number 13, about Mars and Venus, and I have a wonderful free masterclass at venusmarscode.com where we go into the letters V and M. M is the 13th letter. Mars begins with M, which is amazing, right? And then the 13 phases of Venus are covered, the origins of the Mayan calendar, the five-pointed star of Venus. So much we cover in this free masterclass at venusmarscode.com. So enjoy that this week. It's really the perfect webinar to immerse yourself in as we experience these incredible codes. Have a wonderful, wonderful week and a beautiful Friday the 13th and Mars Direct. And I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. Freedom, Rama, the number. 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. 720-716-7301, right? Yes. And the pin code is what? 353-863-POUND. 863-POUND. So we will see everyone there. And then we'll be back here at the top of the following hour, right back at BBS Radio Station 2 tonight <laughs> for the rest of the evening after that. And... uh 
So we'll see you on that conference call, everyone, uh, for now. Namaste. See you there. See you there. I'll come back, everyone. Let's just get on with the rest of that. Break bread in peace. Oh, oh I think I'll play just... This is a little excerpt from Ilhan Omar on the Simone show this afternoon. I just thought it was pertinent. What's going on here? There's some fight in this thing for the good. Here we go. Greetings, everyone. You're watching Simone. Today, we are getting into the classified documents that were found in President Biden's Delaware home and in his former Washington office. Special counsel has been appointed, and my Republican friends say there's a double standard for former President Trump's document debacle at Mar-a-Lago. Not that news for them. It is not the same. Plus, is America going to default on its loans this week? Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sent a dire warning to members of Congress. What could that mean for the U.S. economy and whether a Republican-led House will avert a crisis or intentionally create one? I'll be talking to Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar and Republican Congressman Brandon Williams in just a moment. And today we begin our new series, Living Black History, where we are celebrating people who have been catalysts of change in our country. People like Reverend Jesse Jackson, who's joining us later this hour. I'm Simone Sanders Townsend, and I have something to say. in Washington is set at warp speed. Let's start with some breaking news. Just a few hours ago, we learned that more pages with classified markings were found at President Biden's home in Delaware. This is one day after a single page was found in a box stored in a room adjacent to his garage. Five additional pages were identified in the same spot on Thursday. Why did it take two days to find six pages, and why are we just finding out about this today? Well, White House lawyer Richard Sauber issued a statement saying, in part, the president's personal attorneys conducting the searches do not have active security clearances. Wednesday, the president's personal attorneys discovered one document with a classified marking consisting of one page in a room adjacent to the garage. At that point, the president's personal attorneys stopped searching the immediate area where the document was found. Because I have a security clearance, I went to Wilmington Thursday evening to facilitate providing the documents the president's personal counsel found on Wednesday to the Justice Department. While I was transferring it to the DOJ officials who accompanied me, five additional pages with classification markings were discovered among the material with it for a total of six pages. The DOJ officials with me immediately took possession of them. The statement goes on to say the White House is cooperating with the new special counsel. Now, at first glance, the daily drip of news about classified documents from the Obama administration found at the Penn Biden Center and at the president's home in Delaware, well, it may seem similar to former president Donald Trump's own document debacle. But the former president's allies are counting on you not to dig deeper. Why? Well, because you will realize that the differences far outweigh the similarities, okay? On Thursday, Attorney General Merrick Garland tasked the Trump-appointed former U.S. Attorney Robert Herr to look into the Biden classified documents. Here's A.G. Garland. The extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. 
This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. Okay, well, Republicans have predictably leapt to compare this to the current criminal investigation to former President Donald Trump's mishandling of classified documents. But there are nuances here, real nuances here, people. Okay, you'll notice that this Biden saga unfolded over the course of two months. Well, that's because immediately after, the president's own lawyers found the documents, his team returned them to the National Archives. And Donald Trump's case, the archives are actually looking for the hundreds of classified documents he was, you know, just had hanging around in Mar-a-Lago. It took several months of requests and an FBI search before the documents were finally back in the possession of the government. Donald Trump continues to claim that the documents belong to him, all while attacking the Department of Justice and National Archives for just doing their jobs. The same House Republicans who've defended Trump's document debacle, well, now they are jumping in to investigate President Biden. The House Judiciary Committee has sent a letter to Garland demanding all documents and communications surrounding the matter. There are some things to discuss here, people. Everything is not on the up and up. Let's unpack all this. Joining me now to discuss is Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. Welcome to you, Congresswoman. I appreciate you for coming and being on set. I want to start by getting your reaction to the news of today. Uh, six pages now, no additional pages uh, of classified documents having been found at President Biden's home in Delaware. Well, one, I'm glad that there is a special prosecutor that's been appointed to investigate. You are glad that there is a special yes, prosecutor. Tell me because why. Because anytime there is a deviance uh, in regards to security protocols that should be taken serious, it should be investigated. What I find interesting is that Republicans who have defended Trump after he literally stole classified documents, refused to turn them over, lied about having them, made up some story about how he declassified them, had to have his house raided in order for those documents to be found, are now only interested in investigating Biden, who has cooperated, who his own staff and former staff have themselves turned these documents in. So you have to understand, right, Republicans aren't really interested in upholding the law, in following security protocols. What they're interested in is playing a political game in not only wanting to investigate Biden. Mm -hmm. We are going to, I mean, uh, talk about political games. Uh, Speaker McCarthy and a number of Republicans um, have called for you not to be seated on committees. You are you? Is that correct? You are currently not. Uh, you do not currently have a uh, committee assignment. So no committee assignments have been uh, divvied out on the Democratic side and on the majority of the Republican side as well. What is the, um, the steering committee has not actually uh, done that. What I do want the public to understand is that since I've gotten sworn in in 2019, my first term, McCarthy has been promising to his donors and the Republican base that I should not sit on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Now, you have to look at this in a way that sort of exposes their hypocrisy, right? Republicans say they don't believe in cancel culture. They say they don't believe in stopping debate, that they're not scared of, you know, people having deviance in political opinions. But they specifically 
want to silence my voice as the only African born to ever serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee where I have been successfully doing my job for the last two terms and now look forward to doing it on a committee that no one of my background, no one of my ethnicity, of my culture has ever gotten the opportunity to be able to do so. Any word from Democratic leadership on uh, what they're going to do on this? The Democrats have appointed me to that committee twice already. They are going to appoint me to the committee and they're going to do everything to make sure that my unique voice, that my constituents continue to say they want on that committee is on that committee. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, right before the weekend, announced that the United States would hit its debt limit on January 19th, okay, that is literally right around the corner, and that even drastic measures from the Treasury Department would only keep us afloat until June of this year. How confident are you that Congress will do its job to avoid America defaulting? I wish I was confident, uh, but we have to understand that the Republicans now have the majority. Their agenda has been a dangerous one, as they have exposed it already. Um, I don't think that they are going to be able to come together. Um, we already know that Speaker McCarthy, in order to win this speakership, isn't right, it has to make for the American people. So what it is, is, it is dire. That means our education system is not going to be funded. Basic infrastructure, healthcare, all of the things that the American people rely on are not going to be funded. This is the kind of thing that people usually in Washington, we might not get along on a lot of things, but this is the kind of thing that we've always come together to try to make sure our bills are paid as a country. Uh, and I don't think that the Republicans are going to be able to do that, and the American people are going to suffer because of it. If you remember in 2019 mm-hmm. when I got this sworn in, it was the longest shutdown in history. It might be worse this time around. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, thank you very much for coming in. I'm going to ask one of okay. that's, that's, that's good enough for there. I just wanted to make that the, the news article of the day. But let's continue now. Uh, this is Greg Brady. Yes. And Stephen Farrell. Yep. Here we go. Here we go. Now to uh, question number four here, telling the difference between instinct and intuition and understanding the deeper language of intuition inside your own body. I love to see this is like the lightning round of science and spirituality is what we're doing right now. It's like boom, boom, boom. Just tell me this, tell me this. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, this is my passion to be able to share these discoveries in our lives because it changes the way we live day in and day out. And I think all of us know our world is changing and there are reasons for that change as I've talked about in other programs, the convergence of cycles uh, that are shifting our, our society, that are shifting the way that we've got to solve our problems. We've got to think differently, Steve, than, than we ever have. And because the, the context of the world has changed, so that the way that we've always solved problems in the past must change as well. And what we're doing is we're offering the keys based upon peer-reviewed science to help us to do just that, to give us the reason to think differently about ourselves. So I'm enjoying this tremendously. Instinct versus intuition. This is a big one. You know, I, I'm asked this question so often um, in our, our live events. And, and people say, well, aren't they the same thing? And for many people, the, the belief is, is that instinct and intuition are the same. What I'd like to say is they're closely related, but they're two very different things. Instinct is 
uh, is a response that is hardwired within us. It's hardwired in our consciousness, in our psyche, ultimately uh, even in our, our nervous system. Uh, whereas intuition uh, is not hardwired. Intuition takes into account many present simultaneous factors, uh, including instinct. So let, let me just give an example. Instinct. Uh, throughout the course of human existence, uh, more often than not, unfortunately, it has been true that for a woman to walk down uh, an unlighted street in a strange town alone late at night has not been a safe thing to do. Is that a fair statement, Steve? Would you say that's fair? That's a fair statement, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and, and especially, you know, when you think uh, about uh, 200,000 years of, of human existence, we've been around 200,000 years. So so there is, and men as well, this is true for men as well um, uh, in, in different ways. But both for males and females, the, the, the thinking is if you have the opportunity to walk down a lighted street or a dark street, if you're out in the open or you're in a, an alley, if it's late at night or during the day, and if you're in a familiar city or a strange city, we have very, very different ways of responding. Now, here's where this gets interesting. And if you really think about this, uh, we can be in a strange town late at night, two o'clock in the morning, a dark alley taking a shortcut to the hotel, and and our logic says, I would be at the hotel much faster if I go down this dark alley because the hotel is right there. Even if we personally have never had a bad experience, our instinct will say it's not a good idea because we're drawing upon the cumulative, the collective experience, the, the, the subconscious psyche that permeates, it's transmitted through DNA and the way that we think about ourselves. So we are drawing upon the experiences of all those who have come before us, even though we personally may never have had a bad experience. That's instinct. It's hardwired uh, to keep us safe. Intuition can certainly take instinct into account, but intuition also takes into account street smarts. It takes into account uh, the, the energy, the vibe, if you will, in the moment. Those those 40,000 specialized cells in the human heart are tuned to a field. And that field, if we learn to honor and trust what that field says to us, it is always informing us of what is true in the moment for us, not what has been true collectively for hundreds of thousands of years for other people in the past. So the intuition might say, okay, there's a dark alley. Uh, shortcut to the hotel. Uh, most people, you know, probably wouldn't do that. But in this instance, uh, I can see daylight on the other side. Uh, there's nobody else in that alley. And it feels to me, it feels like it's okay this one time. And intuition would tell us it's okay to take that shortcut to get back to the hotel a little closer, a little faster. So intuition works subconsciously and our subconscious is much faster than our thinking mind. All right. So intuition subconsciously is assessing our environment. It's assessing the situation. And it is also taking into account the instinct of the, the past as one of many factors. So again, we can go on and on about that. The question is, how do you know, how, how do you listen to your heart and how do you know when your heart 
is speaking to you truthfully, honestly, directly? Or how do you know that the voice that you're hearing is actually coming from your heart? Or is it coming from somewhere else? Is it the voice of your parents? You know, but uh, subconsciously, is it the voice of a, of a spirit guide, you know, telling you not to do something? Is it the voice of your ego? Is it the voice of fear? All really good questions are all related, and it all comes down to how we interpret the messages from our heart. And that's what we're going to get into in this course. <laughs> well, fabulous. Well, we, uh, we're certainly getting to some uh, perennial wisdom here, <laughs> newly developed, I'll call it, or, you know, at least in terms of the peer-reviewed science that uh, – is, is surfacing all of this. This is really extraordinary. Two things. First of all, many of the things that I'm offering are very, very different from what I was trained to accept as a scientist. I'm going to be the first to admit that. And we owe it to ourselves to question. We owe it to ourselves to do due diligence. And that's why I'm going to give references to where this research comes from so you all can do your due, due diligence. If I say something to you and you say, no way, how come I don't know about that? I'm going to give you the reference so you can go check it out. Uh, and if you've got a problem with the information, it's not with me, it's, it's with the science. Because this is what the science is saying. Number one, uh, it is very different than what I've been taught. But number two, the other thing that, um, that I, I want to say about this is the science can only tell us the nuts and bolts of how something works. And that's all science is designed to do. Science can only tell us how something works the way that we apply that something in our lives, that is where we drop on the wisdom of our ancestors. Human experience, 5,000 years of recorded human history, has, has had the opportunity to apply these things. So how we apply it, that is up to us. And this is what sets this course apart from other courses, Steve. I'm going to be talking about the application. But for me personally, how have I applied these things? in my life, in addition to the science that tells me that they're true. Well, yeah, and I can't wait to get to that, uh, which we will, just in a moment, a few words. Let me, let me first just share some a couple quick things. Uh, one, as uh, Greg points out, Darwin was a geologist, uh, and, and Greg is a geologist. So, you know, when we're talking about, when Greg talks about science and peer-reviewed science and so on, you know, the, most people want to go all the way back and talk about uh, what Darwin's work was, you know, I would suggest that this uh, contemporary work he's done where the, this combining problem solving with science, it's extraordinary because it really, when we talk about catapulting people beyond limiting beliefs, that sounds like it might be marketing language mumbo jumbo. It is not. This is real. The, uh, truly, this is, this is real. Um, so, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll share more. I want to, um, I want to just also say one other thing, Greg, at this point that I, I so much appreciate about you is um you know you've got all these friends in the in the uh, science community and you've uncovered you talked about this uh, this arc that is not that was never bridged between mammal and man and that uh, and and actually you go a lot deeper in talking about the science of man and how it's quite different and for for 2000 years has been and it's that there is no arc there is no connection uh and just the the courage I want to just say that you have to uh, to have done this work and to stay connected to, to a scientist who, as you mentioned in your book, they back away from you when you share, you know, this is really, let's talk about what is true. So I just want to, I want to thank you for that. I really applaud you for that because this is, this science is so badly needed now when we've got all of these challenges, both individually and collectively. And I think you have created a very strong way out 
through uh, through the science and body of work that you've done. Thank you, Steve. You know, for me, it comes down to, to one fundamental question that I asked myself 33 plus years ago. And the question is simply this. Our world is changing. How can we how can we embrace that change in a healthy way unless we're honest with ourselves about the change? Unless we're honest with ourselves about our origin, our history, our past, unless we're honest with what the evidence is saying to us, how can we possibly embrace this change uh, and not just survive, but thrive? That's the key. How do we thrive in this new world and in, in a really healthy way? And my answer to that question is, is what we're doing here. It's by being honest uh, with what the science is sharing with us. And when I deviate from that, when I say, okay, here's the science, and now here's what I think it means to me, I'm going to be really straight with you, my viewers. I'm going to be honest about where I separate my opinions from the science so you can make those delineations uh, on your own. So thank you for acknowledging that, Steve. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Well, uh, and that's the beautiful thing about uh, today's program and the program we're going to talk about is there's an underlying science, a, a cement foundation, if you will, underneath of this that that uh, is really creating an, an incredibly uh, empowering path for us individually and collectively. But let me uh, let me get to this last question that I want to pose for you here, Craig, and it's uh, approaching life knowing that your body is designed to constantly repair, rejuvenate, and heal, creating chemistry in your cells that mirrors that awareness. And you, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but sure. we can come back and go deeper here. Yeah, I'm just, I'm going to begin. There, there's a, a fundamental difference in the way that we have, between the way that we have been taught to think about ourselves and what the science is telling us about the way we actually function. And so everything that I'm going to do in the course, or the way I'm going to answer this question, it all comes down to this fundamental difference. So let me just lay out this, this way of thinking uh, first, if, if you will, Steve. We have been taught that life, uh, we come into this world, so you can think of it this way, the two very different models. We've been taught that we come into this world as a vessel that has X amount of life, and we don't know how much that is. And we go through our lives day after day after day, and each day we use up a little bit of that life until we reach a point where we've depleted the vessel and we can no longer sustain ourselves. And we call that old age senescence, and, and ultimately we call it death. Okay, that is a, a conventional, it's called the standard model. It's, it's a, a conventional way of thinking. What the science is showing us now is that there is another model that offers us a very, very different sense of our existence, it looks like this. We come into the world as a vessel. We have X amount of life, and we begin to live. Here's the difference. Rather than using up that life force little by little by little until we deplete it at some unspecified date, what the science is showing us is that life is cyclic, and that's true within our bodies, that life is we can rejuvenate and regenerate the life in our bodies rather than using it up. It's the difference between a linear model and a cyclic model. So in a cyclic model, we are constantly replenishing the vessel. And there are many ways to replenish the vessel. And I'm going to talk about that in the, in the program. But the science is showing us very clearly. DNA, for example, we know that uh, DNA repairs and rejuvenates itself uh, about every two weeks, we know that the, the brain 
rejuvenates itself in about one year, about 360, 65 days. All the cells have, have, uh, actually regenerated themselves within that period of time. The muscles in our bodies, our bones, every organ, each organ has a different cyclic period. But what the science is showing us, Steve, is that every organ in the human body now has been documented with the ability to heal and repair, or repair and heal itself. Even the organs we were told could not, spinal cord tissue, pancreatic tissue, heart tissue, brain tissue, the key is they must be given the right environment the right environment for that cyclic repair and rebuilding to occur. Now, when I say environment, what does that mean? Could be the external environment. That's typically what people think of, and that is important. You know, fresh air, uh, you know, uh, the water that we bathe with, and, and ultimately we take into our bodies, that's all important. There's a nutritional environment. Uh, what is it that we use to nourish our food? Do we give ourselves, this is a key question, when we sit down, to eat. Do we eat to stop being hungry or do we eat to, to furnish ourselves with the highest quality of nutrition that is available in that moment in time? It's a fundamental question that each of us owe it to ourselves to ask. And the way we answer that question determines that part of that internal environment, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and beliefs, the energetic environment, uh, many different ways of thinking of the environment. The point is that rather than than accepting this linear way of thinking about life, uh, that we lose some of that life every day, and that each year we we have less and less and less of a component of life. If we can begin thinking in terms of of the cyclic nature of uh, of the environment, and that what that means to me, this is really good news. It means if you've got something happening in your body and you don't like what's happening in your body, you can teach the DNA, you can reprogram that DNA. The science that supports this is called epigenetics. Uh, now, what I'm sharing with you goes beyond what a scientist, an epigenetic scientist may say, because they're looking at petri dishes and they're looking at controlled laboratory environments. I'm working with shamans, curandaros, healers, mystics who have used these principles for 5,000 years in recorded human history. They don't know the science, but they know how to apply these principles in their lives, and they know how to embrace these deep truths of human existence. But, Steve, I believe that we are living a time, because the world is changing so quickly, we owe it to ourselves to draw upon every iota of information that is honest. This is the key. Truthful, honest, factual information. We owe it to ourselves to draw upon everything that we have to cross those traditional boundaries between science and spirituality and indigenous wisdom uh, and mysticism, where it makes sense to cross those boundaries, to cross those boundaries because in nature those boundaries don't exist. Nature doesn't know the difference between biology and geology and chemistry and physics. Nature doesn't know the difference between, uh, you know, the, the, the healing that's possible and the healing that exists because it's all part of, of a continuum. So when we begin to think differently, and again, I'm going to keep coming back to this. The whole point of this program for me is honest, truthful, factual discoveries, information that helps us, gives us the reason to think differently about ourselves and our relationship to the world. And then once we know it's there, we can draw on it when we need it. But I'm just going to give a caution, Steve, to our viewers, a heads up. 
once you have seen the new discoveries, once you have seen the new information, you cannot unsee them. So by witnessing, by watching these programs, by watching this series, when you make new discoveries about yourself, that's where your workshop begins. Because at that moment, you have to say either I'm going to discount what I've heard or I'm going to make room for what I've heard in my life. I'm going to change the way I think about myself, my relationships, my relationship to money, my relationship to my body, my relationship, uh, my most intimate and romantic relationships. It all comes down to the way we think about ourselves and solve our problems. We're offering a smorgasbord of new tools to be able to do that. And, uh, and this is, this is one of the places where I think this, uh, this all comes to bear upon our lives today. So you can't separate your life today from what's happening in the world out there. It's all, it's all in the mix. And as we embrace the new tools, the changes don't look nearly as scary. The better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are to deal with whatever life uh, brings to our doorstep. And, and that's the, the whole point. Oh, fantastic. Well, we've really set the table here, I think, Craig. Thank you. Uh, our so, lightning round is, is, is our lightning round finished now? Oh man, lightning round is finished now. We're gonna we're gonna segue over into our new program, this collaboration of months and months and months. But you know, uh, let me just say, uh, well, let me say a few things first. First, uh, for thank you, that was uh, that was terrific. Uh, these things that we've just talked about, and also congratulations again on Human by Design. It's just oh, a thank you. very uh, powerful and important book. Uh, so let's talk about now. Uh, this uh, this program that we've created, this eight-week master's program, sure. um, I'll go ahead and share the name of it, uh, so drumroll, please, here. <laughs> it's called The Science of Self-Empowerment, Cellular Consciousness, Heart Intelligence, and the Untold Human Story. So we'll unpack that. We'll uh, we'll talk about that. But I want to just, just say uh, that uh, for me, what this is, is it's a map uh, based on science, peer-reviewed science, uh, to this, for this individual and collective journey that we're, that is so important on the earth right now. And, uh, it's not only a map and a journey, but it's with, I'm going to call it Sherpas. <laughs> uh, Greg, Bruce Lipton, Deborah Rosman, and Howard Martin as, as our Sherpas that are, you know, climbing, uh, us to this, to this, uh, mountaintop where we can really live in an empowered, uh, and, and just super fulfilling way. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. But, uh, Greg, let me, you know, we've been working on this for, uh, for, for months. We've been collaborating. Just your off the top, you know, kind of, uh, thoughts. And then we'll, we'll actually, I'm going to share screen in a little bit. We'll actually go and look at uh, the program page and talk a little bit about it. But, but first, just your thoughts on this collaboration. Well, my, my first thought is I've been called many things and never a Sherpa. And I, I really, I like this. <laughs> Because, because I do love to climb mountains and the higher, the higher, the better. So I am really honored to be a Sherpa among the Sherpas. Steve, could you do me a favor? That is such an awesome title. Would you please read that title one more time? I will. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, let me also want to give credit where credit's due. Um, this literally has been a, a many month collaboration and Greg, uh, working with Bruce Lipton, also with, uh, our heart math leaders, uh, Deborah Rosman and Howard Martin. Uh, they they actually helped refine the title because we had a little different title, but it's called The Science of Self-Empowerment, Cellular Consciousness, that's Bruce Lipton, Heart Intelligence, that's Heart Now, and The Untold Human Story, 
uh, and that's Greg. And, uh, you know, as you know, uh, we, we spent weeks, you all did, just coming down on this thing, which, which is, which is beautiful because this is exactly what this eight week master's program is about. Uh, so, you, you know, let me throw this over to you, Greg, just to talk about your, your own wisdom and intuition and the things that surfaced that guided you to this thing. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for reading that again. Uh, and you know, the, I put myself in the place of our community uh, because I'm one of you. I'm a student of life. I'm a student of the new discoveries. Uh, and if I were you sitting there behind a computer and I saw this course offered, uh, the first thing that I would would look at is, is the title. And what does that title mean to me? And uh, where this really came to bear for me personally, Steve, you know, I can, I'm, I'm accustomed to doing programs all by myself. I've done, you know, courses by myself, multi-week courses. Bruce Lipton has, HeartMath has as well. What makes this program a little bit different, this isn't a Greg Braden course. It's not a Bruce Lipton course. It is uh, a, a convergence of what Greg and Bruce and Deborah Rosman and Howard Martin and the HeartMath folks, what we found, but we're bringing it together uh, we'll each have our own portion, of course, but we're we're collaborating to bring a story, and it is a new human story that we are sharing. And I think this is this is what's so so powerful. You know, Scott Turo, an American author, he said, "Who are we? Who are we?" But the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and believe—that's the key. What is the story that you tell yourself about who you are? your relationship to your body, your relationship to the earth, your relationship to the past, to the future, to the cosmos, to a higher power, consciously and subconsciously. What story do you tell yourself that's been instilled from your community, from your family, from your religion, from your educational background, from the textbooks, from the science, the very science that we're talking about right now. New discoveries have overturned 150 years of scientific thinking, on the one hand, on the other hand, we are still, maybe not you and me when I say we, but our society is still teaching obsolete science to our young people in the classroom today. We're leaving a world of change to our young people, and we're asking them to solve it through the same thinking that led to the problems that we're seeing today. It makes no sense at all. So this is why this this title, it was important for me to offer a title that was honest about what each of us would be doing, yet gave us the, the latitude to cover a lot of new ground. And I'll tell you one of the things that happened, Steve, between the time you and I started talking about this and when I'm actually recording these modules, new discoveries have already come to light. And because of the way we created the title, I can incorporate those new discoveries and still honor the title. So, uh, so that that's a little bit about the title. Can I talk a little about this this course? Uh, my my question, yeah. Steve. Yeah. The time you want, I'll start sharing screen. That uh, well, so people. The, can... uh, I want to see what the screen's going to say. Yeah, here we go. So you <laughs> so, can see. Yeah, one of the things that that I've learned. Um, I'm just again, I'm going to speak directly to to our listeners. In the 33 years that I've been doing this work, in, in one form or another. Everyone learns differently, but one of the things I've learned is that our audiences have become much more sophisticated, Steve, than they were even a few years ago. And because of that, uh, my 
sense is we don't have to go back to ground zero and re-explain everything that we do. Uh, and I've also discovered that, that we can be much more concise. So the way this program is laid out, these aren't lengthy lectures. These are 15-minute, uh, very concise, very, uh, very impactful, very compelling visual uh, explorations of the discoveries and then my opportunity to share what these discoveries have meant in my life, how I apply them in my life, uh, so that our, our viewers, uh, can maybe say, you know, if, if Greg applied it in his life this way, maybe it will mean something similar to me in mine. This comes, uh, when it comes to meditations and healings. Uh, when it comes to the, the way super learning, super resilience, all the things we're going to talk about. So so I don't want listeners to think that they're going to have to commit to a long, drawn-out lecture. I wanted this to be visual, so it is a, a, a very highly visual component, but these are 15-minute information-packed segments uh, along with the uh, the personal experience that gives meaning to those segments. Remember I, I said earlier, science can only tell us how things work, and it's up to us to apply those things in our lives. I'm using that model, both the left and the right brain, the science that tells us what the new discovery is and then how I've applied that discovery in my life. So uh, in the time we have remaining, Steve, I'm, I'm just going to run through. I've got eight segments. Are you okay? Can I run through these really quickly? Yeah, I've got them on the screen. Perfect. Oh, okay. Well, here they are. So my first segment, I'm gonna t- I am going to talk about the new human story beyond Darwin's idea of evolution. When people hear this, they think, Greg, you know, Darwin, 1859, survival of the strongest. Maybe he was wrong. What difference does it make? This surprises a lot of people. The biggest issues, the social issues that are tearing the fabric of our families, our relationships, our society, and our nation apart are based upon the way we've been taught to think about ourselves. And a lot of that comes from Darwin's theories proposed about 150 years ago. It tells us nature is based upon conflict, struggle, scarcity, uh, and competition. We now know that is not true, that nature is actually based upon cooperation and mutual aid. And the more of that struggle and competition you see, that tells us how far off the mark we are. New discoveries have overturned the idea that we are the product of Darwin's idea of evolution. The DNA studies are showing us that humans appeared on Earth suddenly 200,000 years ago, that we did not evolve slowly, gradually over long periods of time. This is what the DNA is telling us, very different from what I I was taught to believe. Evolution is a fact in nature. It breaks down when it comes to humans. And I want to share with you what those new discoveries are. I'm going to show you very, very precisely. That's the first, first module. The second one, I want to talk to you about the biological path to human potential. We are embracing just a fraction of the potential that is available to us as we learn to harmonize and bring systems of our bodies into coherence. All right? I know that may sound complex to some people. I'm just going to make it very, very simple. When we go through life, we may function on autopilot uh, and we can get by, or we can we can embrace the ability that no other form of life can embrace. It's called self-regulation. We are the only form of life that can sit down in a moment in time and say, in this moment, I choose, I choose to enhance my longevity 
enzymes. I choose to enhance my resilience, to create tremendous resilience to the change in my life. I choose uh, to, to embrace my deep states of intuition, my super learning, my ability for super learning, and all of these things. We're the only ones that can do that. I'm going to talk about this in module number two, the maximum human potential. So these are, I'm just giving you in these first two modules the, the level of depth that we're going to go into. Let me share what the rest of the modules are here. Deep intuition on demand. How do we create that intuition when we want it and when we need it rather than allowing life to bring it to us when it is convenient for life to do so? Mirror neurons and super learning. We talked about that a little bit in this program. How do we activate? How do we embrace the power of those, those mirror neurons? The mystery and meaning of the gamma brain state. There now is a, an additional brain state beyond, beyond what we were led to believe in our textbooks in the past that allows us to embrace brain potential in ways that sound like science fiction, but it is science faction. <laughs> science faction. It is science fact and it is awesome. I'm making up new words as we go here, Steve. Uh, the, that's the gamma brain state. Uh, we've talked about cyclic healing. I'm going to go into depth about what are the parameters? What are the nutritional parameters? What are the environmental parameters that help with the cyclic healing? And we're going to bring all this together in the last module and heart math comes in with this as well. Because when we optimize the systems in the human body, that's good for us. But what I didn't say is we're actually harmonizing with natural systems that are good for the planet. They are good for our communities, good for our societies. They bring about peace cooperation, and if we could ever use that, I can't think of a better time than right now. So this is just to very quickly give you a sense of what these eight weeks are going to be about. Uh, I'm very excited. I've never offered this material in this way before, and uh, so that challenge has been exciting for me to be able to, to bring this together in a very concise way in a new way that's meaningful and impactful for you. Hopefully, it will help you in, in your life. So, Steve, sure. that's, that's what I'm going to say about this. Yeah, no, beautiful. And let me just share. I'm going to go ahead and uh, also I want to mention, I'm going to scroll down and you'll see this, but I want to just mention it now. Uh, truly, the instructor team are Sherpas because they're actually each doing mentoring sessions. So Greg has a mentoring session, Bruce has a mentoring session, and then Howard Martin and Deborah Rosman have mentoring sessions also. So the first uh, program up, the first eight modules are with uh, Bruce Lipton. Uh, he'll, uh, he's doing a course, a webinar as part of this series also to talk about his, uh, his, uh, program here is eight modules. Then, uh, Greg's program, The Untold Human Story is up, uh, next. By, by the way, Bruce's is called Cellular Consciousness. Uh, and then, uh, The Untold Human Story is, uh, Greg's. And then the third, uh, eight, uh, modules in this series is, uh, Heart Intelligence. And that's, uh, Deborah Rosman and Howard Martin. You can read a lot more about them. Here are some of the things that, uh, You'll get out of this program, this uh, eight-week program. As you can see, you get access to this masterclass and hundreds of other transformational education programs on the Humanity Stream Plus platform. Be sure to explore the library and check out the one-click feature that gives you access to programs by... <laughs> okay. So now what? Oh, yes. Let's. Yes, we're going to play Mer Meredith, Regina Meredith. Uh, okay. As our sister um, 
Padme was describing that she went to see Freddie Silva make a presentation today. And he said that he and Regina Meredith have traveled many places and long time connected at the heart level, heart level, uh, doing the work together. So this is interesting because Regina Meredith's guest is Matthias De Stefano. Now that's going to be interesting. How do emotions create a thread of energy that connects past life experiences? Just make sure everybody can hear well. Yes. How do emotions create a thread of energy that connects past life experiences? Matthias de Stefano awakened the memories of his many past lives in ancient times that predated the dynasties of ancient Egypt and sharing his thoughts on the nature of time, memory, and emotion. De Stefano explains how every moment resonates throughout the universe as a vibration that is stored as energy. As we remember the events of the past, we are also bringing back the emotional energy of that past life. As we learn to better tap into the coherence of our mind and body consciousness, we become better equipped to transmute the stress of a global transition, which is exactly where we are right now, everybody. Since early childhood, Matthias de Stefano has had perfect past life recall of incarnations spanning thousands of years throughout many galaxies. He is the host of the Gaia series initiation and the subject of the documentary series Journey of Remembering. And we're ready, right, Rama? Mm -hmm. 48 minutes we got here. Let's get started. Vibration resonance, and your past lives. Here we go. And there was a picture of the pyramids. When I saw it, everything moved like in a tunnel, and I was a woman, and I was really worried. That was the first memories I got. Emotion is basically a chakra moving constantly. So the best way to transmit an information from one time to another is through the emotion because it's like a train with all the wheels. So our mind is creating an idea of how good it is to not feel that. But our body is saying, yeah, but to get there, you have to go through pain. We are evolving so fast that we cannot be aware of how good we are. Basically, that's the politics of democracy, and that worked for thousands of years because there was no phones. Right. <laughs> Today, we have the tools to be connected, to have a voice, but in order to get there, we need to live a huge crisis, which is the crisis of being a sheep. We're out of time, but I want to ask you one thing. What are some of the things you just love doing or eating or whatever? 
Many of you watching this one are familiar with Matthias de Stefano. He's brought a wealth of knowledge from his past lives to all of us over the last couple of years and really has so much more to offer in terms of the kind of the mechanics of it, such as the notion that emotions are what really ground us into a lot of our past lives. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. Welcome, to Matthias. Yeah, thank so you for inviting to, me. Yes, it's so good to see you. So let's just start a little bit at the beginning right now, and that is you as a teenager and what started happening in history class to you in this <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> well, it, it's been all my life. For sure that I had this connection with other beings from other dimensions that for me were just part of the family. Uh, I had no idea um, that they were from other sides. Um, and there was one day when I was 12 years old that they told me, you will, you will, you won't see us any, anymore. You won't be able to watch us to, to see our shapes anymore, but you will start to remember next Sunday, next uh, Monday, you will start to remember. Hmm. So, Pay attention to everything we talk to you and just write it down and make drawings. Don't, don't, uh, let it in your mind. Mm-hmm. That was the only advice. And, um, so I stopped seeing them and, uh, how was that for you? That was very tough because it was like losing part of family. family. Like yeah. if they just said, okay, we have to move to another country and. Left you. Maybe we can call sometime, but <laughs> yeah, but we were an orphan. It. Yeah, yeah, it, it felt like that. It was yeah. like losing my um, grand, um, uh, like a big brother, yeah, or something like this, like yeah. part of family, uh, that someone who was guiding me. Yeah. So now here we go. You're on your own. Yeah. And uh, let's hop to when you start being experiencing things through common information that was coming up in your life, and boom, the memories come back. Yeah, so that was that Monday or Tuesday, I think. Um, we had this history class, and um, the teacher gave us these uh, copies uh, with, like, ancient history. So begin- from the very beginning, the very beginning, 3,500 years. Oh, when humanity BC. began. Yeah, well, well the, the, <laughs> the, the first civilizations and stuff. Yeah. And there was a picture of the pyramids, which until that moment for me was nothing. But when I saw it, I had a... Um, headache, like it was a, um, like a pain here. And, uh, I just saw like everything moved like in a tunnel. And I saw the pyramids, only one. Actually, it took many years until I saw the three. Mm-hmm. I was only seeing one, the one in the middle. Was that because you were seeing from different time frames? <clears throat> uh, I, th- I thought it was different time frames, mm-hmm. but also I thought that I was emotionally in, uh, uh, linked to that pyramid even more than the others. Okay. So my mind just got rid of the other sure. ones and said, just focused this is, on what was yeah. important. Yeah. Um, so, but I saw them, I saw it white, um, and everything was very different. There were trees. The, well, it was green. covered in, at one time in white. It was white. It was, I don't know if it was, it was limestone, yeah. but it was covered in yeah. white. Yeah. In white. That's yeah. In alabaster. White. Alabaster. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, they were shining, yes. you know, like stars on earth. Yes. And, and I saw that image and the second image I had was in front of the, of the Sphinx, which was like a red lion. Mm-hmm. And I was a woman aside of my husband mm-hmm. and I was really worried. Mm-hmm. And that was the first memories I got that day. And from that moment on, every day I had another memory. Sometimes it was part of the language, sometimes something that happened in my family, sometimes something that happened in 
in the village. Um, so it was all mixed. I couldn't really put the whole picture together until I was like 17, 18. Um, and what did you figure out? How, what was that story about? Why was it important you were seeing it? I, I realized that I was remembering that story because I was in the mirror time of that story. Like uh, I am right at the other side of the timeline of that. So I'm mirroring that moment. That's why for me it was more important than all the rest. And um, and also because um, I decided something in that moment, in that life, that, would, that uh, I said in that time, I had to finish it in my mirror time, which is now. Uh, okay, so what did it, A, we'll get into mirror time. What is it you had to finish? Um, I had to do a reconnection of the network of consciousness. Um, for, the, for that time was different because it was Leo time. So it was all about the governments and the, and the families, the structure of the, of the main families being ruling the planet and trying to, to settle the power in the, in the main sources, which were like the pyramids or other pyramids around the world. And for the new time, it would be networks, how every individual should be its own government and creating a new net, network besides the pyramids, like creating it in a different way. So, Which is the timeline we're in now. That's exactly. what's required of us now. Yeah. Did you get a sense of the dynastic period at all? Dynastic? No. Well, it, it was kind of a dynasty, but yeah. it was not Egyptian. Okay, it was It was not Egypt, Egypt, but it was, it was not, not So it might Egyptian have been culture. even... Okay, so if, you know, some of the people and some of the traditions that talk about the age of the Great Pyramid put mm-hmm. it at 85 to 100,000 years old, mm-hmm. you could have been looking at history... Prior to any of the dynastic periods. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the people in Egypt, uh, that were from the dynastic period, they rebuilt the pyramids. Mm-hmm. They did some works. Yeah. Repairing them. They weren't the original. But they weren't the original yeah. ones creating them. Okay, now let's talk about the opposite timeline and what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some theories, um, that may well very be, very well be true that everything has its mirrored opposite. Yeah. So whatever we are in now has us in our mirrored opposite in that timeline. Mm-hmm. You explain it, how you see it, understand it, and why. How did you know that was it? Was it because of what you know and came to do that you figured that out, or is there something maybe more linear as an explanation? Well, I, I understood that when I was sixteen or, or seventeen, I guess, um, about uh, how we can interpret things, like uh, for example, from uh, the third dimension point of view or the fourth dimension point of view is depending on which dimension you want to explain something. Yes. It, it changes. So yeah. it's not linear. The explanation right. is not like this happens because of this and mm-hmm. this and this. Uh, it's according to which dimension you explain it. So from our point of view, that is the past. So it's something that already happened mm-hmm. and that condition our civilization today through time. Uh, from the point of view of the fourth dimension, that is still happening. Mm-hmm. And um, because that's still happening, it's conditioning us today as our actions today is conditioning what is happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on the point of view. But the thing is that all in the universe has a positive and a negative and everything uh, flows in a cycle, ups and downs, in and out. So everything moves uh, in this kind of uh, cycles. So when we talk about time, 
um, a way of understanding this is like uh, talking about uh, vibration. Vibration mm-hmm. is like the space point of view of the universe. So everything is vibrating. And the frequency is the time point of view of the space. So frequency is basically how many times that vibration moves through space. Mm-hmm. And so you can calculate the time through. This can be very short or very long. Exactly. Uh, it can explanation be short time or, yes. or fast. Yes. yes. You know, so uh, that's the frequency. Frequency right. is how many intervals. Intervals. Yeah. If you have. So when we relate that to the movement of the planet, mm-hmm. for example, the planet moves like 72 degrees. Um, its axis it moves in a circle, spinning uh, 72 degrees every. Um, um, it, it moves uh, every 200 years or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but uh, it is spinning constantly. Mm-hmm. So it moves. Um, it moves it, its axis, uh, uh, pointing in a new star, northern star, mm-hmm. every 2,500 years. So that means that um, when it makes the whole turn, it's in the same point. So the same things kind of the same things mm-hmm. would happen. So the opposite side is the one that reflects what is happening. So um, it's like a clock. So could you say in your personal life, you had started something that wasn't completed at that time, and it took until this time around mm-hmm. in that kind of frequency band yeah. before you were ready. So that would be called your mirrored timeline before mm-hmm. you were ready to resonate back with that and pick it up and take it further? Yes, it's like... Um, so it doesn't have a determinate number of years in it. It's determined on the situation. Yes, yeah. it's on the situation. Uh, it's it's like if you have a circle, mm-hmm. like a clock, with many chords. Yeah. Okay, so those chords are resounding constantly, mm-hmm. but the only way the chord can sound perfectly is if one side and the other side, the opposite side, are very well tied. Right. So if there is a tension mm-hmm. between the lines... That means that whatever happens here in the opposite will create a possibility in this one. Yes. So it will resound if we are very well known, uh, um, if we have awareness of what happens the other side. So as an example, you're talking about something that could have happened 20, 30, 40, 50,000 years ago, mm-hmm. whatever, wherever it was pegged in pre-dynastic Egypt into this day and time. But on the other hand, maybe it was something that happened 80 years ago in another lifetime that was started and the resonance was created and is now going to be picked up. Would that be considered still its opposite timeline? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's always a... It's the uh, resonance that's yeah, created. It's, it's not a specific moment. Yes. Uh, it's every every moment yeah. has its own... Well, that's helpful. It, it's its own line. Um, so... So you spin something into motion in one lifetime, whenever that was, mm-hmm. and there comes a time when you come back into resonance to complete or carry forward? Yeah, mm-hmm. because the resonance that I set in that moment are flowing through the resonance to this moment. Yes. So I'm receiving directly that yeah. information. And the reason why I am receiving it is because I did everything in that moment so I could listen to myself in this moment. Mm-hmm. So. Most of the people don't do exactly that way. Uh, it's just, uh, most of the people just let it go through the biological way, mm-hmm. which takes a long time, long time mm-hmm. and many, um, many misconceptions of what is happening. 
Uh, so some people, they just throw a line straight instead of doing the whole turn. Yes. So that's why some people can remember exactly what happened mm-hmm. in the opposite time. Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Another thing you talk about is the notion of emotions and how emotion plays into our being able to resonate back into a period mm-hmm. or forward into a period. And we can talk about that. What is the role of emotion in uh, past life recall? Well, emotion basically means uh, motion. It's movement. Mm-hmm. That's the word. So everything that is in movement has an emotion. That's basically what it is. So we move through emotions, which are basically the hormones, um, um, the reactions of our glands, making hormones that activate the, the body, the neurons to do an action. So what we call an emotion is not something outside our body, but it's something produced in our body through motion of energy. So in order for something to be able to move, it needs a positive and a negative energy that creates polarity. Polarity creates movement because of magnetism. So it spins. So that's the movement. And that's what creates this movement constantly like this that we used to call in Sanskrit, like in India, chakra. Chakra means wheel, basically mm-hmm. something that is mm-hmm. moving. So emotion is basically a chakra moving constantly, which allows us to move forward. So what this means, that um, that the information in the universe is storage through movement. It's constantly evolving. Evolving basically means to roll down. So uh, it's something that is constantly moving. So the best way to transmit an information from one time to another is through the emotion because it's like a train with all the wheels moving. It doesn't also have almost like a magnetic, more... A magnetic quality to it mm-hmm. that kind of draws you almost in a sticky way into the visceral reality of the emotion, which mm-hmm. also means trauma, which is yeah, all the levels, all of, of it throughout our history mm-hmm. of incarnations. Yeah, right. They all, they all, all the 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 emotions, mm-hmm. the most horrible ones, darkest one till the most light ones. They are all like a library. Yes, they are storages of information and part of the subconscious that carries forward. Yeah. So 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 we have all the emotions that our ancestors and our previous lives have been feeling. Mm-hmm. So they shaped us where we are now. So through emotions, we can awaken what was happening in that time. Mm-hmm. That's why when we try to remember a past life, usually it comes with an emotion. And it's through the emotion that we can remember better. Yes, in fact, looking at it through the lens of emotion, it seems that a lot of time when people go into past lives, it is trauma yeah. that kind of draws them back. Clearly, when there's trauma, there's something that's been blunted mm-hmm. and has not been allowed to be properly handled or finished or whatnot. So it makes sense you want to transform that ultimately. But what's interesting to me is it seems that when you have the density of those emotions and trauma, you can kind of go back into it fairly easily. When it's an event that is very fine and ephemeral, it's not, it doesn't have the same stickiness and draw and the same pulling power. Yeah. It almost doesn't seem fair that we can, we can easily recall all of the stuff that's painful and all the beautiful, beautiful ephemeral stuff seems to have just floated away. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Well, basically it's because our, our mind is designed to expand 
but our body is designed to survive. What this means? That the body is basically uh, a conjunction of cells that has been evolving, trying to survive in a very hostile environment. So the cells are trying to pay attention to the pain, right? not the pleasure, mainly. That <laughs> because, makes total sense. Yeah, Absolutely. So, because if I feel pain, that means that I will understand where is the problem so I can solve yes. our mind, our brain, sorry. Our brain has been designed to interpret the pain so it can live longer. Mm-hmm. So all our body is designed to pay attention to the conflicts and the pain, the suffering. For so, the survival of the physical. For the survival of the physical. Yeah. So our mind is creating an idea of how good it is to not feel that. But our body is saying, yeah, but to get there, you have to go through pain. So pay attention to pain. That's why our when we remember a past life, usually our brain is saying, okay, let's go to the trauma to try to solve it. <laughs> because the mind is like constantly looking for a conflict in order to try to dissolve the conflict mm-hmm. and make it pleasure um, or make it more stable. Um, so, in, but in order to do that, it has to go and look for every painful thing. So it's, it's on high alert, looking yeah, for its threats. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while we live an animal life, uh, because we are still living through that um, animal state of survival, because we need stuff to survive, to eat, to live, to feel secure, to have a partner, all these kind of things are animal um, point of view. So all these things takes us to pain because we are trying to solve something to survive. When you transcend the survival, which is you don't need anything else, you're just in another state of level of consciousness that you don't need anything. Right. So pain disappear. Right. Because the cell doesn't need to survive anymore. Right. So that's why the enlightened ones, they don't really suffer. Right. But in order to get enlightened, they have to suffer much than any other. Yeah. Because they needed to transcend they had to cr- the pain confronted and yes. of every one of the cells. Yes, yes. That's why when you when you see in the past times when you see all the masters, they have suffered so much. They had to suffer a lot in certain periods of time, so they could transcend the pain of every cell mm-hmm. and to teach the cells, each one of them, that there is no reason why You're to survive. Safe. Yeah. So because we don't exist. Right. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Yeah, so, okay, now let's let's take it out to a mass consciousness scale, and we could talk for many, many hours about the nature of mind, mm-hmm. higher mind, lower mind, multi-dimensional mind, mm-hmm. and it could get so esoteric and out there, it people would start falling asleep probably. So, oh yeah. So let's <laughs> so let's focus on a collective trauma, such as the inundations, and I will say personally. Um, I went through a regression with Dolores Cannon and where, where I ended up, I didn't know that's where I was going. I ended up in the final day of one of the Atlantis uh, destructions mm-hmm. and the mass trauma that was created that, that at that time created a really directive that we needed to go into a state of amnesia and subsequent incarnations mm-hmm. because too much had been lost that we'd have no incentive to incarnate. Yeah blasted ourselves to the stone ages, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other story. So here we, so many people are here now 
that have these in, these incredibly deep wounds collectively mm-hmm. from being uh, dying in mass, whether it's an inundation, whether it's explosion, land masses sinking and so forth. Let's talk about hmm. kind of collectively understood, agreed upon trauma. Well, I will try to take the human emotion of this and, and trying to put it outside of humanity yeah. uh, so we can get it in a different way. Yeah. We have to think that humans, besides our individual consciousness, we are basically cells of a planet. So we are evolving cells in a planet that we work as groups in order to have synapses mm-hmm. so we can share information. So when we are trying to collectively like an organism to we are trying to transcend something or to transform something we all have to have the same um action we have we all have to have, have the same reaction yeah collectively agreed upon reality to transform a whole thing yeah so um when you suffer yourself you are changing one concept of your own group when you have a, a massive uh, thing you can transcend that all together as a big organism. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, um, <clears throat> we don't usually think about this, but every one of our organs inside our body, imagine that every cell in that organ is like a whole culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you um, um, if you drink Coke, <laughs> let's say, um, every day, for example, um, your liver will start to say, hey, I cannot handle this, you know, like maybe once a week. I can, but so it's the organism, the whole organism that will start to suffer. Uh, it's not just one cell mm-hmm. in that organism. Mm-hmm. So the whole organism will start to suffer and will start to to suffer the pain as a collective. So the same thing happened in the whole planet with the group with a country, with a region. So it's like an organ feeling something that is wrong, that is being, that that, that is wrong and that we all have to pay attention because it's a big part, it's an organ inside a body. Mm -hmm. So that memory creates a transcendental idea of a whole collective mind that helps to change faster um, something that that was stuck in that territory. Mm-hmm. An earthquake, mm-hmm. um, a war, um, these kind of things are something that change completely as a massive suffering change completely into another state of consciousness. I usually explain what happened in the, in the Second World War. Like it was horrible what happened. And what happened took us to immediately in a very fast way to human rights, to new countries being born, to um, free speech. Um, new technologies. New technologies. Also having people moved around involuntarily mm-hmm. who started falling in love and and having children and creating whole new DNA strands and bloodlines yeah. from people mixing blood. Mm-hmm. Wars do that. Yeah. So it basically, if you if you... If that war wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. we would be still, like if it is the, the 1900s, we would be still living like yeah, that it's, time. It's very true, yes. Uh, so it was a collective suffering 
that pushed up the consciousness of thousands of people. Yes. And transformed the world in the way we see it today. And that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at where you have everybody just simply wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> and now everything's gone. Mm-hmm. Your technology is gone. Everything's gone except your soul, of course. I mean, yeah. the spirit still exists, <laughs> but the rest of everything is pretty much gone. Yeah. Uh, so now how, what is the benefit in that where you have kind of a total wipeout? Like what? Sorry? A wipeout where m- most of the population is gone from a large region. Oh, like in some periods of time happen. Mass extinctions, inundations, <clears throat> you know, the mm-hmm. Great Flood, uh, the Atlantean destructions mm. and such. Where, where, where do you see looking back as the benefit of those destructions compared to something like World War II, which simply opened a lot of different doors? Mm-hmm. Well, if that's a problem that usually Christians have. Uh, sorry, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so usually Christianity and, um, and, um, also, but become, uh, Christianity comes from Judaism mm-hmm. and also share the same root with Islam. Yes. Uh, those main religions has been designed in a way of thinking that there is a paradise where everything is fine and that's our goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, we come from suffering and we have to escape from suffering because it was a punishment from God. Mm-hmm. And we have to escape from that. Oh, I was raised that way. Okay. Yeah, I know so that, that. that. even, even I didn't you, believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never but even it. though your cells yeah. had the environment, That's right. you know, like going to church or yeah. listening to these kind of things yeah. or going to synagogue. And these kind of thoughts, like we came from suffering because yeah. God punished us because we did something wrong. Yeah. And now we have to, you know, go to the paradise and do good things in order to get inside. Um, so this kind of thoughts have created an idea that we are suffering and we have to escape suffering. But when you go to Asia, India and stuff, it's not like that. It's, right. it's like, oh yeah, Shiva. Yeah. It's the destroyer of things right. so we can create something new. Exactly. So <laughs> let's get it. So let's get yeah. into that. These periods where you've gained a certain amount of evolution as a species, certain amount of technological advancement, and it's it's taken away or it's gone. Yeah. Now it's suddenly gone. So when you look this, at this from a multidimensional point of view, would you say it's because that epoch period of history had reached the height of what it was capable of? And that, that was it. It wasn't going to go any further anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. it was just a period. It's like the frequency has the, sorry, the, the vibration has frequencies. Mm-hmm. So you should never go this way because this is not natural. Mm-hmm. The natural thing is the harmony. Yes. In frequency and vibration. We couldn't, we, we wouldn't be able to talk without the silence. We wouldn't be able to, to have music without the silence. We, you know, this kind of thing. So Same in the body, as you say, cellularly, yeah. the anabolism and catabolism mm-hmm. of every cell, life yeah. and death. You, you wouldn't enjoy the sun without yeah, the night. Exactly. And this kind of things. So sometimes everything has a period. So we evolve into a state of consciousness and then we have to change it to create a new one. Because when even if you create the perfect system, eventually it will be the worst system if it keeps going. Mm-hmm. So, for example... Um, Feudalism was a perfect system for Europe. Um, kingdoms was a perfect system for Middle East. Uh, but in this period, we say those are bad things. Why? It's because we are going into another way, mm-hmm. into democracy or something different that is coming with networks. Mm-hmm. Democracy is now old too. It's not working anymore. So 
we have to go to another thing. So this kind of um, things, it doesn't mean that democracy wasn't good, that republics wasn't good, that kingdoms wasn't, weren't good, that feudalism wasn't good, that mm-hmm. dictatorship wasn't good. It was the perfect solution in, solution that, moment. in that moment. Yeah. And, it, and there was no other option in that moment because of the context. And also the consciousness of the people yeah. at the, uh, in of that course. region at that time, of yeah. course. So everything has to be, it's, it's hard to say destroy um, when, when we talk about these things, but uh, it needs to be transformed. Mm-hmm. So change the form into another thing. And every time that, we've, that we change something and we are used to that previous something, we suffer because we don't like that change because that's all what we knew. The cells were, were used to that. So that's why everything is like a kind of a crisis when we transform. Mm-hmm. But when you see the whole history, it was because of those changes that we were able to be who, who we are now. Mm-hmm. It was because of the explosion in Sumatra 72,000 years ago that we basically became humans as we know today. It was because of the glaciation in Europe that humans spread along Asia and North America. Uh, it was because of the drought in Africa created in the Sahara that people left the rainforest and left to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wars in the Middle East, not these ones, but the, the, the first ones were the ones taking people to advances in technology, in religion and everything. Uh, new, uh, the, the, the conflicts in, in, in the Mediterranean Sea created the Greek philosophy. Um, so, um, everything that today we see as, oh, that was horrible was what helped us to be what we are now. And, um, people is complaining about this time, but actually this time is the best time we had. It's true. <laughs> in the whole history of humanity. That's what I say. I mean, a hundred years ago, we would literally watch somebody being hung on a Saturday afternoon for entertainment. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was in- interesting. I mean, actually entertainment, watching a person suffer. That was very, very recently. In some yeah. parts of the world, it still exists. Exactly. Yes, uh, I agree with you. So, um, Women couldn't vote like no. what fifty years ago. Fifty years ago, <laughs> like this what? half of the world's population didn't yeah. count. Our yeah. minds, our thoughts, our desires exactly. didn't matter. So, so it's it's like a we are evol- we are evolving so fast that we cannot be um, aware of how good we are. Yes, we cannot enjoy the really good things that we have accomplished because we are thinking about the whole chaos that is in the world today. And the only reason why we are now understanding the conflicts is because we can we have internet mm-hmm. because it we're always connected. happened these kind of things yeah but we were disconnected now we are connected we can know everything that happens so that's why we say oh this is a crazy time no uh, it's over mostly 2000 years ago was a crazy, crazy time, time. <laughs> <laughs> true and mostly it's just overwhelm of being essentially shocked by so much all at once, all the time, every day. And it's our own doing and our own choice mm-hmm. that we're allowing that to happen. And you brought up democracy a bit ago. And um, I'm going to talk to you about what, what you see as what comes next. Mm-hmm. Democracy, in the truest sense of the word, is every vote, every person. Every person matters on this planet. That's the truest sense of democracy. It's not even... The power not, of the population. That's right. It's not a political thing. Mm-hmm. So looking at it in the way that everyone matters, mm-hmm. where do you see 
the planet kind of going. Everybody talks about the years 2027 and these years coming up where changes are going to happen. What do you see as that next way of, I won't even say politics, but let's use that as a substitute word. Well, I would say government. Um, government means to sail in Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, so because the first governments in the world were, were basically the king or the representative going on a boat to talk to another island. Mm-hmm. Um, so that idea was like, we are governing mm-hmm. an island. We're governing. So they were sailing from one island to another and talking to the leaders. Uh, so politics is basically the organizational structure of a city, a police, which is a small place. So we are now a network. So right. politics doesn't work. Right. Because we, we, we try to put our politics with mm-hmm. our morality, which means the mm-hmm. way we see things in one place into a different place. Like, mm-hmm. for example, we, we cannot say how to live, uh, how the, uh, the Americans telling the Arabian people how to live. Right. It's like, <laughs> Doesn't no, work. it doesn't work. It's been so, proven. It doesn't yeah. work. Yes. <laughs> the British trying to tell the Indians how to live. Yeah, exactly. Work. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. So um, each one of us has a unique way of understanding reality, of understanding the world. So that's different politics. And that's good. But uh, what do you think is, governmentally as in terms of bodies that have yeah. to have some sort of say on behalf of the people? Governmentally, the problem is that... Um, even if we have kind of a democracy, which is not really democracy, mm-hmm. I call it a, a fake feudalism. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. The way it's been structured, yeah. yes. Uh, it, it was structured just because uh, people wanted to be part of everything. So they made it part of everything, but they made it part of feudalism, mm-hmm. not democracy really as it, as, it, as it was designed in Greek times mm-hmm. 3,000 years ago. Um, so we kind of... Um, think that we have democracy. But these times are trying to show us something different. Governments are a person that sails to another government, to another place, sorry, another politics, to talk in regard of these people. So these people choose this person to go and talk. Basically, that's a politics of democracy and a government representation. going. Yeah, yeah, representation. And that worked for thousands of years because there was no phones. Right. <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically um, we haven't had internet. Today, everyone has a voice. Uh, from the, sorry, but from mm-hmm. the most stupid person mm-hmm. to the most clever person, we all have a exactly. voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Even if you're just filming yourself popping bubblegum, exactly. you have a voice. You have a voice. And you could have a million a lot followers of people, if yeah. you blow a big enough, beautiful enough bubble. Exactly. Yeah. So talking about representative today it's very old mm-hmm. because today the people that has the solutions for the for the population are not politics mm-hmm. are people that has solutions and people that has solutions can talk to other people that has a problem and eventually solve them it doesn't matter where they live which before it was very different very complicated so i'm i'm thinking that the next step is to create another system that the Greeks have never talked about um, because they had an internet. Uh, so all the different types of government have been designed in a world that wasn't connected. Right. Mm-hmm. And today we have the tools to be connected, to have a voice, and to be able to create 
projects and solve problems to people without anyone representing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in order to get there, we need to leave a huge crisis, which is the crisis of the shepherd, the crisis of being a sheep. Yes. Uh, basically behind. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, I always love to tell this to the people. Um, the only reason why shepherds exist is because the ships believe they are ships. So they need a shepherd. Um, so it's, it's because of the people not dealing with their own conflicts that we need governments today. So And not wanting the responsibility, exactly. ultimately. Responsibility is the first thing. Yes. So if we don't take our own responsibilities, always will come someone to take the responsibility. So we cannot blame a politician by taking the responsibility. <laughs> and those people take the power just because we allow them to. So they're going to become less and less relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess one of the things that we should do is not fight against them. But to build something different. Underneath, absolutely. Yeah, so put our energy in building something new Mm -hmm. and eventually invite them to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you create energy of conflict Mm -hmm. and you waste all the energy. Absolutely. Just trying to survive again. Whoever, whatever is is trying to run a certain game here, Mm -hmm. uh, that's their game. We don't have to play the game anymore. That's what you're saying. We (laughs) unplug from the game, create the solutions, connect together, Mm -hmm. become a connected species, which we are. And And also it's important to know this. Uh, There are countries and regions in this world or people in this world that still need someone to lead them. And And leave it to that. That's fine. Yeah, they will eventually get Mm -hmm. there. They will eventually understand that. Uh, But we are still thinking as animals, as mammals, needing someone to lead. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that we all feel that we don't need them, mm-hmm. but we don't know how to handle our own lives. Yeah. So that's why I, I used to call the new system ontocracy, mm-hmm. which is the power of the being. Mm-hmm. In, in order to get there, you have to acknowledge that you have the power and not the power of the government, the power of your own life. Mm-hmm. And in order to that, you have to change many things, how you eat, how you live, how you relate with others. So it's a very long process to get to ontocracy. Um, it's starting. it's starting. All the little young beings that are being born have different preferences, different yeah. ways of learning than what happened 20, 50, 100, 150 years ago. Yeah. It's already starting mm-hmm. with each generation. Yeah. It, it's, a, yeah. it's a slow process. It's a slow process. Don't yeah. think it's going to be a revolution overnight. No. It won't. And I also want to bring up the whole yeah. notion so we can talk about it for a moment. And that is the value in having as Joan Grant called it, far memory. She had, like you, splendid, detailed memories of so many lifetimes as you do. And as you bring through your part, you're bringing through what you see, what you've experienced. Other people are bringing through maybe from the same period of history where they were in the story Mm -hmm. and what they see and what they experienced and how important it is for people to start either choosing to or allowing themselves to understand they're capable of it, remembering because you and I were talking off camera, it's the tapestry of everyone's memories together. And you need some anchor people like you that have quite a lot of memory to say, well, this was kind of going on then so people can look at it and say, oh, yeah, okay, this is what I saw then too. Yeah. To really start understanding who we are and where what we've come from. Mm-hmm. And so 
it's wonderful that you've come in this lifetime with farm memory mm-hmm. that encourages other people to bring their pieces and understanding of those periods of time to the table. Yeah. There, there's Lots no of voices only, are needed. Yeah, there's no only one truth. Yes, exactly. There is a fact that has many ways of seeing it as a truth. Mm-hmm. So many truths, one fact. And if you try to explain the fact, uh, it won't be actually the whole truth. No, because you can say this happened at this time, but there are a thousand ways to interpret it. Exactly. So, yes. so that's why um, I, I love to say what I say is not the truth. It is just a perspective, perspective. of truth. Exactly. And so for this is another one, encouraging our children, listening to our little children. Mm-hmm. These people have memories they're trying to bring through. They just may not have the exact words that you understand. And, yeah. and how to start encouraging people, grandparents, parents, friends of little children, to start listening to the things they're saying about what happened to them. Yeah, it's really important to give them the confidence. So by the time they reach teenage years like you, mm-hmm. they can really full on start taking on their memory. Yeah. So any any thought about that, about the just the importance of all of us starting to remember? Yes, we, we are. We are a living memory of this planet. We don't remember just because our cells are trying to protect us. Right. So um, when we start to open ourselves to the memory we will eventually know that we all have the ability to remember. It's not just a few of us that can remember. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I, I was able to remember in this life is because uh, I never had the limitations in my environment to say that's wrong or and shut up. And that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, I was born in an agnostic family, but even though they didn't believe in anything, they were open to creativity. Mm-hmm. So my mother was uh, was an artist. She she was painting, and uh, she loved to to read books. I don't, but but she loved to read books. And so when I start to tell the stories, she was able to listen to me because she loves story. Yeah, she loves stories. She loved all the things mm-hmm. that I was sharing. Yeah, and she was like, oh, and what happened? How? Yeah, I did know? that with my son. Yeah. it's wonderful to do that because yeah. there's so much in the little child. Yeah, but sometimes when we are conditioned by our society or don't talk this with this person, mm-hmm. don't, don't do this, then, um, or or try to uh, to put the memory or, or the thoughts in only one current of thinking. Right. Um, so you are conditioning that person to forget. Um, so it's very important to listen more than questioning. Um, like... Um, uh, listen what they have to say, not questioning or saying this is not like that or this is not true right. or you are kidding me and this kind of Don't words. try to condition their experience. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And basically, um, basically all the geniuses, the, the people that changed the world, uh, they did it because they thought like children, mm-hmm. because they had no limits in their minds and they were playing with reality. But in, in Dreamtime and this reality, and they took them both seriously. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. And and that's something that is very important for us to remember as an adult. Mm-hmm. As adults, um, remember that um, you are children still mm-hmm. because we are constantly learning. It's not a moment that we say, oh, we are adults and we know everything. No, we, we learn until the day we die. So we are constantly 
children. And if you allow the children to keep being children um, and playing with the mind and games mm-hmm. and, and, and using imagination, imagination is something that it seems like our societies have designed only for kids. Mm-hmm. And when you become a teenager, you can use imagination anymore because you're you're getting you crazy. Get down to facts. Yeah. yeah, you have to go to facts mm-hmm. and you have to good make good at school and you have to pay attention to this. Don't go to the you know to the moon and blah blah yeah. with ideas. So we kind of when we are 13, 14 years old, we're we are start to be killed mm-hmm. by society by telling us what is true, what you should not think, and when you stop imagination, you stop many minds that are able to remember. Yes. To remember not only the past, but also the future. Yes, and we can have a whole other discussion about that mm-hmm. next time. Yeah. We're out of time, but I want to ask you one thing. You, Matthias, the kid in you, what are some of the things, and just ground down into the gravity of Earth life, what are some of the things you just love doing or eating or whatever? You, Matthias. I play a lot. I love to still play like a kid. So what kind of play do you do? Well, I, I love to go play in the rain. Like yesterday we took <laughs> bicycles, for example, and riding in the, in, the, in the rain and going to the cinema and doing crazy stuff, uh, going to play games and, and yeah. uh, I don't know, uh, do stuff with the, with the mud or, or I don't know, whatever. Anything that's play. Yeah. Play uh, imagination. Going always to a new place, discover something new. But maybe it's because my moon is in Sagittarius. Oh, that, well, that's part of it. <laughs> but but <laughs> it um, that's why, yeah. But I yeah. I usually keep the inner child very alive all the time. I, I make a lot of jokes. I, I, I lose some followers because of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, keep on losing followers. It's yeah, okay. That, sometimes I do that on purpose. Yes. Good. <laughs> if people yeah. are being overly sensitive, they're not getting the message anyway. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, you do. You have this wonderful, playful, very, very, very youthful. Well, you are young, but even more youthful energy about you and a sparkle in your eyes. Mm-hmm. So you're, you can see that you're constantly remembering, renewing, regenerating. And yeah. that's a lovely thing to see. And it's lovely having you with me on set. And Thank let's you. have another conversation later, maybe about the future. Sure. Thanks. You can go to at least four dozen other shows of Matthias here on Gaia and dive deeper into this and many of his other topics. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. (laughs) All right. We're going to play here. This is interesting. This is called How Astrology Saved Rock and Roll. And this is George Nury up to something here with someone. Her name is Deborah Silverman. Oh, we mm-hmm. had visits with her before. Did astrologer Deborah Silverman's guidance save one of the most famous rock bands in the world? Silverman explains how astrology can be used as a ther- therapeutic tool to understand and respond to the relationships in a more conscious way. She describes the energetic influence of the planets, known as the zodiac, that has a unique cosmic imprint on us, whether we recognize it or not. Deborah Silverman is a psychotherapist and expert astrologer with more than 40 years of experience sought out by 
a list. So, excuse me, sought out by A-list celebrities. She is the author of the book, The Missing Element, Inspiring Compassion for the Human Condition. Again, this is uh, Deborah Silverman, and her host here is George Nury. And this is 38 Minutes, and so let's get started. Mm. Yeah. I was 10 years old and I saw in the cartoon section the word astrology and something lit up. Really? I did a session for Sting, ended up traveling for a year and a half, the police reunion tour, playing mediator and also doing readings. The shamanic astrologers asking the most important question, what is your purpose? What is your soul doing here? Because the shaman is here to wake you up and alter your traditional point of view. It's not something I've publicly said. Here we go. I'm going to disclose. Uh, Breaking news right now. Right now. Ding, ding, ding. You took a look at my chart. Let's call it up. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Deborah Silverman with us, an expert astrologer, psychotherapist, and author with more than 40 years of experience. And she has taught thousands of people through her online astrology school since 2015. Deborah, welcome to the program. Thank you. So glad to be here. How did you get involved in astrology? It was when the first time I was 10 years old in the Detroit News. And I saw in the cartoon section the word astrology and something lit up. Really? That was how young I was. By the time I was 21, I was doing charts. It was like if you would have put a kid by a piano who had never taken piano That's lessons. Right, they fell the in whole, love with it. it just came through. It was almost like a memory that had come back to me. And before I knew it, self-taught, I became a well-known astrologer. It's one of those deep callings that came with me. Did anyone else help you and school you? I went to graduate school. I have a degree in clinical psychology, but the graduate school is a little bit intimidated by the fact that I was bringing astrology into yes, all my classes. They don't want to hear that. Those two didn't go together. But what you don't know is Carl Jung was an astrologer, and he was quoted to say, psychology will be a dinosaur science until it includes astrology. So he was doing it, but he couldn't tell anyone because it has such a bad stigma. You have worked with some interesting talent in your day. Can you throw us a couple names? Yes. So I ended up meeting Sting's best friend, unbeknownst to me, within two days after doing a reading for him, got a phone call from Sting, who had just arrived in Denver, was about to start his tour with the police, and said, you just met my best friend, and he can't stop talking. And I want a reading. And so then I ended up traveling for a year and a half with Sting and his the police reunion tour, playing the game of mediator and also doing readings for all the people, and he became one of my best allies. Anybody else? Aaron Rodgers is now, people are so surprised to hear this, the tattoo just came out recently about astrology. He's one of my students. Okay. And Madonna, I heard. And Madonna, yes. Yes, it's true. I don't like dropping those names, but I know they impress people. I always thought it was funny. I was the same astrologer the day before I did all those famous people, but to get endorsed by celebrities has a lot of clout in our Well, it it helps your credibility. Yeah, it gave me credibility. It just enhances the things that you do. What does karma mean to you? Karma is a very strange word. You really don't know. It's a logical word that's been passed from the Eastern times. But in astrology, it's very loud. 
I can look at a chart and see where your challenges will be. The parts of your character that over lifetimes, this is my theory, I'm not sure I can validate this, but it's certainly been obvious over all these years. There are certain patterns in your behavior that repeat, that are annoying, that are personality traits that make you feel uncomfortable. And I can look at the chart and call it out and say, this is part of your character that's not going away. And we can call that karma, we can call that lessons. But the more that you learn about it, the less that the karma becomes difficult and suddenly it becomes good karma because your awareness is on. What I've always said about karma, what goes around comes around. That's another way of saying it. Yes. So in other words, past lives, Akashic records, stories that have happened before return to you. And so you get to see part of your behavior that came back from your last life. Sometimes, like for me, for example, I had the good karma of knowing astrology at a very young age. Difficult patterns come when you have really difficult times in relationships or you have health issues. That happens. And it's right in the chart. Deborah, what is a birth chart? Based on the moment of your birth, the city you were born in, and your birth date, we can execute a chart. All important statistics. Three very important details that you can't make a chart without. And it used to be it took so much math. Like it was involved, it took hours and hours. Now we have a button we push on a computer and there's the chart. And you're going to do a little chart reading for me a little bit later on in the program. Exactly. And I just want you to know what it looks like because people have never seen their chart and it follows you around throughout your whole lifetime. It's that moment of birth where the planets were that influences your character and your karma for the rest of your life. Where did you get my data? I can't tell. It's a little secret. Anyways, you can put anyone that's famous, honestly, their name in and say what their chart is and it's in the archives of the internet. So I love doing that, meeting someone, hearing a story, looking at their chart and beginning to understand what was their destiny and how does it show up based on astrology. How important are factors within your life to the astrology that is tied into it? Because I've always been fascinated by how a planetary alignment can affect somebody's life. Exactly. So this is where I'm a psychotherapist. I have a master's in clinical psychology. So the part of your life that shows up with your personality and uniquely to you is dependent on the chart and how that shows up. So there's a marriage between the destiny of your lifetime, your family, your upbringing, and then the chart's influence. And that's where it gets really interesting. That's fascinating. It makes an endless fascination. Sounds like you love doing what you do. Oh, my God. I'm so in love with it. It's almost 45 years, and I'm still captured. Every single chart I see, the part of it is I came as a skeptic. I was cautious. Because I couldn't understand. It made no sense. And every single reading, especially in graduate school, when I would do therapy, and someone would sit with me and tell me all the things that were wrong with them, and I'd say, wait a minute, let me explain this to you in a different angle. And it would change their point of view completely from judging themselves to understanding themselves. What does an old soul mean to you? You can see it in a chart. There are certain beings, and you know this when you meet someone where they have wisdom. Instantly. And you can look in their eyes or you can feel it in their energy. And yes, you can see it in their chart. It simply means someone who's done their work. We come into this lifetime with the weirdest personalities. Raise your hand if you have an ego. Oh, look, everyone's raising their hand. We have these weird personalities. The difference, though, is who has the wherewithal, the wisdom, the appetite to learn. And that's an old soul who takes difficulties, hardships, depression, anxiety, all these words that are present, and ask the question, what am I supposed to be learning from this? Deborah, if reincarnation is real, does that mean they're all born at the same time all the time? Or is it different for you? Definitely changes. And there's a clue in astrology, it's called the South Node, that tells me what your last lifetime theme was. 
So there's our okay. indications in astrology that represent the past lives. But the goal of the game is to keep moving. So no, you don't come back the same sign every time. On Gaia's program, Microdose, they talk about the purpose of reincarnation. Past lives explain something in current life. Because the past lives have a direct connection to life today. They explain something we're working on to change in life today, which is what we call karma. They also can explain a relationship, a phobia, a, you know, a physical symptom. The soul is required to evolve and we're required to learn. So we gather karma and we also gather dharma. And that's what we're working on in our current life. Karma is a free will decision we made in a past life that perhaps wasn't the best decision. It's, you know, it's not a permanent black mark on your soul. It's something you can balance in a subsequent life. You have a life plan, life intentions, and then you basically come in with free will. Many humans experience profound suffering during their lifetime. So why would a soul choose to come into body knowing it will be painful. It's perfectly plausible to me that from the framework outside of this one, we would choose to come into it knowing that we were going to be having a certain kind of suffering because we know from that framework that it's time limited, that you'll be out of it. But then once you get into this framework, see that knowledge is blocked so that you're faced there with the raw suffering uh, without the insight maybe that event that you chose it in the first place but also that it will be over throughout many regression therapy sessions patients not only recall previous human lives but the lives of intelligent off-planet alien species i'm regressing a lot of clients in the last 10 to 12 years who discover their interplanetary souls meaning they don't regularly come here they come here on occasion and they come to Earth, if I oversimplify the explanation, because they're highly evolved and they come from evolved, healthy locations. They come to teach us how to progress as humanity. What do you think of that, Deborah? I love that and I totally agree. The reincarnation, the evolution of a, a soul continues right. and the chart is the imprint or the signature of this lifetime, what you agreed to do. So where you came from and how old you are shows up in this life with a specific mission and a purpose. If you looked at the chart of a little baby, would you be able to pinpoint what their future might be like? That's one of my favorite to things to do. Can you imagine if your parent understood your character as a child and they directed you to what you were built Before for? Before it even developed. Yeah, yeah, so this is one of my greatest pleasures is giving parenting the insight. Do okay. they listen, the parents? They do, and they say to me, they listen to the session again and again and re-listen to it because once the child starts to develop and they realize, for example, a child doesn't like to go to the party because they're very water and quiet, mm -hmm. don't push them. Or the child who can't stop asking questions, encourage it. So you learn the natural tendency and you encourage it. And then the parent and the child are in rapport. And you can see that Absolutely. at a chart? Absolutely. At a newborn? At a newborn. From That's the moment dramatic. of conception. If the, and this is interesting that every hospital you go to, they take a picture of that moment. They write down the time. That's so incredible. This is not a... A coincidence that across time we've known the significance. We didn't know it consciously, but this has been carried on across time. Is the birth time when the little child takes its first breath? Is exactly. that how they time it? Exactly. That is something. 
It's fascinating to understand that there's a cosmic imprint that's waiting for the parents and waiting for the person, the child, to become themselves. And there's all this language and information. What is a shamanic astrologer? So there's a distinction between, we all must know this by now, between the ego and the soul. The ego is traditional astrology. Where am I going to grow up? What am I going to be? Who am I going to be with? What's the nature of my interest? The question from the shamanic astrologer is, tell me about your soul's growth. Just like what we just heard. How many lifetimes? What are you here to do? So the shamanic astrologer is looking at what are the lessons this lifetime? What is your purpose for being here? How can I support you to be fully accepting of your fate? Because often for the human condition, it's so confusing and it's so troublesome. So the shamanic astrologer is asking the most important question. What is your soul doing here? How do you become a shamanic astrologer? You know, I think it comes from inheriting an old past life desire to not just work with the surface level of the superficial, the ego, but actually going deep enough. And it's not something you call yourself. I would never say that. That's a word. It's just like it's an inherent truth that I love to work at the deepest level of the psychological patterns that have been imprinted with pain. That's the shamanic journey is how do I take you up and out? The shaman shaman in olden times had skeletons and had drums and dressed up funny. and You'd come into their little tent and you'd be scared because the shaman is here to wake you up out of the illusion and alter your traditional point of view. So then you shake your head and go, oh, thank you for reminding me because we forget. We come down here with amnesia and that's what the chart is meant to do. And a shamanic astrologer reminds you and then you go, oh, my God, that's so true of me. That's right. There are what, 12 zodiac signs? 12 zodiac signs, 10 planets. All right. Are they all different? Every single sign has a unique flavor. They're based on the four elements, water, air, earth, and fire, the oldest foundation of all of our ancient cultures. All indigenous people pray to four directions. The Egyptians work with the four elements. The Hawaiians work with hula with the four elements. It's the oldest common truth. Wisdom source are the elements, and that is the source of astrology. Is there a culture, Deborah, that is more into this than the other one? Well, the Mayans had a complete astrology system different than ours. The Western astrologers, what we work with is one system. There's Eastern astrology, the Vedic system. So they all, so many ancient systems, the Jews, the ancient Jews. Is one better than another? There's no way we're ever going to say one's better than the other. They all carry wisdom. And then you pick your favorite. Mine, of course, is Western astrology. And you dive in and you stay true. I honor all of the astrologers. How did the ancients know this? It was brought to us, and I can say this on Gaia, I'm convinced that the intelligence that is so advanced, how could it be possible that 4,000 years ago they knew the planet's directions and they knew how to execute the mathematics? Without telescopes, so without I think, anything. I think it was the ETs. It's not something I've publicly said. Here we go. I'm going to disclose. Uh, yeah, here we go. Breaking but news right now. Right now. Ding, ding, ding. There's no way we could have known the intelligence, the airtight system, astrology. I came as a skeptic and was so wanting to make it wrong. And there hasn't been a session I've ever sat with someone to not say, this explains everything. So you're saying it's possible ETs came to this planet and unveiled the planetary alignments to these humans. They drop the information as a matrix, just like the pyramids. There are things we can't explain, the seven wonders. There's influences that go beyond the mind. Astrology invites you to go beyond the mind and open up the heart and allow the spiritual language to begin. Kundalini is very important. Barbara Hanclough, who's an astrologer, she's a great astrologer, was on Gaia's Open Minds. The 30s are a hard decade. 
I, I found that was a difficult, it was a wonderful decade. And then mm-hmm. that's when I had my beautiful son, which was the most wonderful thing I did in this lifetime. But at the same time, I just found it a very challenging decade mm-hmm. in terms of navigating to find out who and what you are. Mm-hmm. And as I talk to people, it seems the 30s, for many people, yeah. is difficult. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So the first transit that the book is, is working with is Saturn return, which occurs for all of us when we're 29 to 30 years old. And at that point, we make a change in our physical matrix, which would be jobs or marriages or having a child or whatever. And if you watch people closely, everybody makes a major change at age 29 to 30. You just can't find anybody who does right. it. But as soon as they make that major change and shift their reality at that physical plane level, then they start processing themselves emotionally. And at this point in time for humans, the most difficult part of our learning process is definitely emotional. So all the way through the 30s, actually we're having a rocky emotional um, journey because when we come up to midlife crisis, then we're going to have an emotional crisis. The issue, as I understand it, would be that when we're ready at, at, at a certain point, which has to do with the astrological transits, then what can happen is this breakthrough from higher realms of consciousness and higher dimensions of consciousness can, can come into our field and can influence, influence us to go to very high levels of consciousness. And so when you think about it from this perspective and what Dr. Gerber had to say about it, it's not just Kundalini rising, it's also an opening to higher dimensions. Now, of course, in ancient spiritual traditions, they've always thought of Kundalini rising as an open to spiritual consciousness. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a process of energy that's going in two directions um, from within us. Deborah, I've always wondered if you had the astrological chart of political candidates before they were elected. And we outlined all of them, you know, the Democrat, the Republican, the Libertarian, and just laid it right out. But you have their charts for each one. Could you be able to predict the type of president they might be or something 100%. like that? 100%. It's given me great compassion because when you see a president's chart and you understand their character from Trump to Obama, which I've studied at length, right. it makes so much sense. And compassion becomes part of the, the conversation because you see how can they not be that particular person. So the order that Obama is, the amazing communicator, he's double error, and the amount of fire that Trump has that controls his ego. It's so right there in the chart, not making a judgment call, right. but just naming the person. It is what it is. It is what it is. And the personality traits are so obvious. Can people change, even though their astrological chart is what it is, if you were to spell out to somebody, look, you've got these traits, these things are good, but these aren't, can they fix that? Well, that's the whole point of coming to a shamanic astrologer is you want to understand the broken records where you keep repeating yourself, where things aren't working. You want to understand where your strengths are, where suddenly you're finding your gifts and it's flowing. And yes, you can change it. It's called awareness. So as soon as there's awareness, it's not like you can totally change your stripes, but you can take the high road or the low road. Do you think most people are aware of their pluses and minuses it's always funny when i do a reading and they go oh my god she knows me better than i do it becomes very obvious those traits that they came with are going to carry on throughout their whole lifetime that they, is how they know some of those and they don't have language for it this is the handicap without studying astrology you're doing your own nature with studying astrology your awareness increases your language and then comes the compassion like oh my dad, for example, had no air in his chart. My brother took my class. 
And all those years, he was so frustrated that my dad never talked. Then he found out, oh, he has no ear. And that became a doorway of compassion. And suddenly he understood why it was he was so angry with them. And the whole thing changed. That's fascinating. As a psychotherapist, as an astrologer, do you combine both abilities? A hundred percent. Just like Carl Jung, every single chart that Carl Jung, the original psychiatrist had, he worked in therapy with the chart. Same for me. So every session that I would do, when someone would start complaining about their character or about their husband, I'd say, excuse me, I'm going to explain to you this character. And I've had care people come in who literally were on the way to the divorce lawyer. I sat wow. with the husband and wife and said, let me describe. And then they were like, why are you trying to change this person? And by the way, here's the high road of someone who doesn't talk. They're sensitive. Or here's the high road of that loud personality. They inspire. And so I provide a language to create understanding of the very thing that bugs you so much. What are the four elements? So that's a perfect bridge. There's water, air, earth, and fire. So water is those people that don't talk very much. They're quiet. They're internal. They're shy. They're vulnerable. They're musicians. They're dancers. They're the artists. You call them water people? Those are water people. They're highly sensitive. They cry very easily. That's a clue for water. Air is what you and I are. We talk and we think and we communicate and we read and we ask millions of questions and we're airheads. Our minds are going at the speed of light and we have information all the time. Grasping everything. We so can. interested. Earth people are grounded, just as the word sounds. They're stable. They love spreadsheets. They love cleaning. They love organizing. They love to put things into form. And they're very controlling because they want you to do it the right way as compared to air that said, what was the right way? And then last is the fire personality, super bold. Super enthusiastic. The athletes, they're very driven and they love to show up and show off. Because when you see a fire, what do you do? You stop and stare and they go, how do I look? So there's four different elements. The water person would hate to have you looking at them. The fire person loves it. And that's the distinction. With 12 zodiac signs and only four elements, there's an overlap. Good catch. So there's three for each one and they are distinct, universal. Like you can really talk about the Gemini who loves to talk as distinct from the Aquarius who loves to go off into science. There's distinctions Uh, in each element. Interesting. You took a look at my chart. Let's call it up. Let's call up George's chart. And up in the left-hand corner, you can see my birthday, June 4th, 1950. The time. The time I was born. And the place. 10.33 a.m. in Detroit, Michigan. And on the right, the chart. So in the category of the elements, you have that big triangle. Can you see that? Yeah. So the sun is the circle and the dot at the top. The moon looks like the moon over there to the right. And then down at the bottom is Neptune. That's called a grand trine in air. And I just described air. So now I can say to you, your strong element is air. And guess what air is? The communicator, the networker, the interviewer, the curious one. Your chart was built for the job that you have. Interesting. I was already determined what I was going to be. And so you interviewed people and you asked questions. And I know that at 21, I was listening to one of your interviews. You started your first interview in astrology every seven years after 21. She was just speaking to Saturn return. You enter your destiny somewhere about 21. You find it by 28 to 29. It shows up. So everyone goes through these cycles. And yours is all about air and thinking and talking and communicating. And look, here you are. Is there anything there that scares you? I would say that if there's anything scary is part of you needs a lot of attention. You do have Leo rising. So no, well, a, but I'm not a braggadocious person. No, you're I mean, not a braggadocious person. I've never person. needed that. No, but you seem to be in a position where you're drawing attention. It's not a bad, this is my point. 
So you have a gift of being able to perform Leo rising, but it doesn't come with your ego. And that's the distinction of the low road is ego. The high road is I'm just sharing my radiance, my love for communicating. If I used my ego, would it make me a different kind of person? It would make you much bolder and much more demanding. So the ego is hungry. It's starving. Obnoxious. And obnoxious, right. The ego starves for attention. It has a neediness. It's always hungry for guana. And the soul, on the other hand, is the part that wants to give. And this is really the dance of astrology. How do I blend my ego and my soul? The need I have to be human and the need I have to be spiritual. Deborah, is any of this therapeutic? Well, as a psychotherapist, all of it is. Because every session that I do, I get to help people fall in love with themselves right in front of me. I've had someone call me once and say, after I finished the first man session, his wife called and she said, I think you knew him better than we do. Can we have a session together? And that is the therapeutic tool. I get to show someone who they are in a lens of love. And suddenly they see themselves as though they had never seen that part of themselves before. So great example is you. At worst, your communication would be, ter- you know, to some people, he's always asking questions. But the high road is, yeah, that was his function. I want thing. answers. I want to understand. My appetite to learn never stops, said George. Matthias de Stefano on the Gaia program initiation also talked about similar things about building blocks of reality. As I said before, the main structures that were created in the universe, the main beings that created everyone else after them, were the species of earth, fire, water, and air. And these four beings are related to the construction of every reality through the mineral world, the water, and the aspects of the light and aspects of gases. So every being that were evolving from those four uh, statements, the four pillars of the reality, um, were the projection, the physical projection of the time in the other dimensions. So while for the spirit, the process means express, experiment, integrate, and transcend, for us in the matter, we will relate these four statements of the, of the spirit, like the water, the earth, the fire, and air. So these four aspects in the physical world are the ones that helps us to understand the concepts of the divine. So each one of them, the four of them, has a process itself to be accomplished in order for a being to evolve from the matter to the divine. This process brings us to understand that from the very deep reality, the beings in the material world has to look to the stars and to reach the pattern of the divine from the very darkness to the light. And that process of growth is different in every planet, but the meaning and the concept is almost the same. What do you think of him? That was a little abstract. I like to speak super simple. So here's how it works for me. All right, good. Water is the emotional realm. It's the ability for us to really care. And we can get too sensitive or we can be very compassionate. Air is the ability to communicate. We can talk straight and be very 
honest and transparent, or we can talk in circles and get confused. Earth is the part of us that wants to ground and fulfill our purpose here and be detail-oriented, or it gets controlling and it gets caught with, I'm not good enough, I should, and it gets caught in a negativity. And then last fire is our heartbeat. We can't live without any of these elements. Fire is the joy. Makes me just excited listening to all these people talk about their their spirituality. And that's fire, the joy and the exuberance. So there's a necessary relationship with all four elements. You can't live without water. Can't live without air. Oh, you can't. Can't live without earth. Can't live without fire. So these elements in my language are really psychological. And the more that you understand the balance of like four wheels in a car, if one of them goes down of those four elements, the system breaks. So all my life's work is, is turning people's observer on to realize, well, which of my elements, this is the book I wrote, The Missing Element, which of my elements is off center so that I can live a life that's balanced? That's my whole life's work. Deborah, when the astrologers talk about Mercury retrograde, what does that mean? It's actually reality that when looking from Earth, Mercury appears to be going backwards. And it simply means that the physical reality of communicating and computers and airplanes are going to slightly be altered. I used to try to pretend because I'm so practical that it wasn't true. It sounded like a theory. But if you pay attention, it's really true that during Mercury retrograde, there's more glitches. It's simply that there's an energetic going in the opposite direction of the Earth. It's They say it's like when two trains are traveling together and at the same speed, suddenly one looks like it's going backwards. And that's what Mercury retrograde is. Have you ever had any surprises in astrology? It's constantly surprising me. I am never, ever. You're still learning new things. Every single chart that I do, every reading that I do is an individual soul. It's, It's shocking to think there's 8 billion people here and even identical twins aren't the same. And all of them carry karma, destiny, purpose that's unique to their soul. So every single session I do, I'm like, did that really just appear in a completely unique way? And yes, that's what keeps my fascination. I had a palm reader on Coast to Coast a couple of weeks ago and asked them about identical twins. And I said, are their palm prints and fingerprints the same? If they're identical twins, you would think they would be. He said, no, they're not. They're different. Exactly. Every single soul. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? That there's 8 billion people here and every soul has volunteered to come here. No one got pushed on the bus. We came with a chart, with a destiny and a purpose. And my job, said the astrologer, is to help you remember what did you come to do? And usually, like you, it's already occurred, as you would expect. Right. But to put words to it and to articulate the timing. Astrology is all about timing. So we can see, like, when will the season change? When will your life change? When will Saturn return come? When will Uranus opposite Uranus happen? These are eras in life that I can predict with confidence that will describe change. Has astrology surprised you ever? I am constantly in awe. It's never ending. And I'm so excited that you're opening your another doorway with my language because my simple surprise is it never stops informing the soul. Never. Never. And it's never, ever ending. For me, after 45 years, I'm still just as fascinated as I was when I started. Where do you see astrology going in the next 25 years? Well, if you notice on all social media, there's such a popularity because we've entered the Aquarian age. You probably heard that term. Yes. There was a woman called Alice Bailey who wrote in the 19, early 1900s, who wrote 19 books. I don't know if you know her work, but 19. she she was Huge. downloaded through a man called Dwa Cool. That was channeled through her and she called out that there would be this change called the Aquarian age 
where we would make a decision as a collective, will we make it through this threshold? Because we're at a critical moment when there's this many people and there's this much ecological trauma that is occurring. The question has to be asked of the astrologer, will we survive? And what will it take for me as an individual to show up with my highest self, my best version, so I can facilitate the transition we're in? What would you say is the most heartwarming thing you've done with astrology? I've watched people fall in love. I watched people understand their children. I think the greatest gift is watching someone who doesn't really like their job and I give them back to themselves and they find what they really want to do and their life force comes back, their enthusiasm comes back because people in the wrong spot doing something against their chart is very disheartening. Why do people need an astrologer to decide what their career should be like or because what a relationship we, we conform all the time. We try to mm. pretend that we want people to like us and we do what our parents expected or society demanded. And then all of a sudden you get true to your own nature and you find your own rhythm and your own authenticity. And the next thing you know, your energy comes back, you find your calling and you fulfill your purpose. I don't know why else anyone would come to earth if they didn't want to fulfill their purpose. Is there anything about astrology that has scared you? I think the problem with astrologers is they talk in jargon. And a lot of time when you listen to them or you go into it, there's a lot of prediction and people say things like, oh, this is a scary chart. That is not true. God did not make a mistake when she made you. That was a perfect moment and there was a purpose to it. And seeing through the eyes of love, it becomes so healing. So I don't find it scary. What I find scary is all the jargon and the confusion and the amount of words. I like when astrology comes down to ground level and it's practical and there's really an application that you can see and it changes people's lives. I know when I have astrologers on Coast to Coast, my radio show, and we take phone calls, every line is lit. And as soon as one person gets off, that other line is lit. And do you know why that is? Because it's in the, the chambers of our mind, the memory of our zeitgeist is we all know that there was something handed to us that's ancient and timeless and stable. In all ages. And my grandmother knew what sign she was. This has been carried across time. And so while the new age has brought so many other doorways, astrology is one of the oldest, simplest, and consistent. We know the sun's coming up tomorrow. We know the moon's coming up tonight. And we know the exact degree brought to us by the Egyptians 4,000 years ago. Is that shocking? Not only is it shocking, but what is the birth time have to do with astrology great question so at the moment of your birth we know where the planet it's like a snapshot and depending on exactly where they're positioned so for example your leo rising that was determined by your moment of birth all the planets we know that day where they'll be but where in the sky are they and that's required to know the time the city i mean it's very accurate it's a science Absolutely. the oldest science on earth it really is let's take a look at Matthias again he's going to talk about the cosmic clock it was also a clock to understand it was not just for individuals, it was for the whole planet. That helps us to understand that the process in a daily life that we have from being born, grow, and then die, was the three processes that we also as civilizations, as material realities, we also live. That helps us to understand that there is a rise of an empire at the, the moment that the empire reached the highest point of information and rule, and then there is the fall of an empire. So everyone in the history of humanity knew that through this clock, we could understand the processes in which we would rise and fall. That helps us know that 
whatever is going to happen in history, it would be related to the portals and the concepts of the divine in the skies. It's impossible for a civilization to keep going exactly the same always because you need to go through the 12 phases of reality. So this big clock is helping us to understand that no matter what we do, after 2,000 years, our civilization and the idea of the civilization will change, will die, and another one will born. This is also the idea, not only for humans and the planets in the physical shape, to understand that everything in the universe is bounded by time. So everything that is happening in our physical realities and in our energetical realities through time and space are just the clock that the spiritual mind has to understand when is the time to be body, when is the time to be soul, when is the time to be spirit, and how the three of them in the four realities can help us to understand the self and what are we capable of. Deborah, is astrology a science? It is. It's all based on numbers, actual time of you were born, Why? the birthday, everything is in very, very detailed. If people want readings from you, how do they find you? I have 20 astrologers that I've trained, certified astrologers. I have 20 a, astrologers? Yes, that, have been, that have been really rigorously trained. I have a school where I teach people how to do this Why? and make a career. It's taught thousands. Already. And it's my greatest passion to watch someone that doesn't even believe to start with, Watch them take level one and fall in love with themselves. Take level two and learn how to execute a chart. And level three, where they start doing readings. So, How do they find you? They just go to Deborah Silverman Astrology. I have a website. I have an Instagram. I have a Facebook. I have a YouTube. I'm a social media phenomenon because I'm older than I look. And I've been in this world for so many years. And then I realized, wow, the Aquarian age has arrived. We've got the Internet to communicate in ways that we never had before. You're 23 years old. When did you start doing <laughs> yeah, you this? haven't seen my chart yet. Not far off from you. I have definitely aged well because I figured out the four elements and I'm in love with this experience here. And it's so wonderful at Gaia to see how much you're tickling and, and inspiring people to think and open their mind because that's what's required to make it through this. Well, this company loves the area we've been talking about. I know. And it's necessary because as we get through this threshold, as the planet moves into this very strong cycle, it's called Pluto return in America, what he was just describing. Every 240 years, a civilization goes up and it goes down. And when Pluto exactly. returns, there's a death. And it's not to be mistaken with something's wrong. It's to be understood as an astrologer that timing is everything. And once you're in the flow and you're conscious and your observers on and you're aware of the cycles, you're not scared anymore. But we have had good times in life. We've had bad times in life. There's life and there's death. There's aging and there's youth. And I'm really enjoying the whole thing. Don't point at me when you say aging. <laughs> I'm aging too. You just can't tell. The truth is everything moves in cycles. And astrology is all about timing. And when you understand that time goes on forever in every direction and that there's ETs or higher intelligence watching us, it's not so scary. We just can't understand it because we can't see it. And that's the value of studying astrology. It's very comforting to know that we can totally trust where those planets are. They're consistent, they're stable, and they are not changing. Deborah, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. That's been my pleasure. I'm a Gemini. Planetary alignments decided a long time ago that I'd be doing this program, and I'm glad I'm with you on Beyond Belief. <laughs> Okay, let's do one more. All right. This 
is called Living Architect Architecture of Ancient Egypt. Is the megalithic architecture of Egypt alive and able to function as an energy technology, offering first-hand experience from their joint explorations throughout Egypt? Author Billy Carson joins host Jimmy Church to unravel the mysterious, the mis- mysteries of ancient advanced engineering at different sites from rarely accessed locations, uh, such as tunnels below the Sphinx in Giza, to subterranean aqueous temple sites like Dendera. Carson and Church share their mystical experiences and what new discoveries could mean for our past and our future. And this is 35 minutes, and let's go. Ready. television host Jimmy Church and I'm here to uncover the truth about some of life's biggest mysteries. If this is revealed everything has to be rewritten. My guest today is Billy Carson CEO, entrepreneur and best-selling author who is an expert on ancient civilizations and the mysteries of Egypt's past. So these structures were built in a specific way to actually harness the natural earth energies so the architecture is like living architecture. Technical assistant Josh. Josh, can you pull up the map? Yeah. Also joins us to help set the scenes. Join us as we deep dive to get to the bottom of some of the most intriguing questions of our time. Something energetic was happening back then. What exactly it is, we don't know. But somebody had technology. Welcome to Into the Vortex. I'm your host, Jimmy Church, and today our guest is Billy Carson, and we're going to be discussing Egypt. Billy is a best-selling author of Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. I wrote the foreword to that book. Yes. Uh, Billy, welcome to Into the Vortex. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's great to have you, but before we get started, it's going to be a great conversation today. Uh, but I have to ask you, Josh, what has attracted you to Egypt? What is appealing? Uh, I'm definitely drawn to Giza and the Sphinx. I know it's a little cliche, but I, I need to see it in this life. It's on my bucket list. What about spirituality? Well, I hear uh, people have some interesting experiences, especially inside some of the uh, megalithic structures, particularly Giza. And um, I'm interested to know what, what that experience is like. This conversation is exactly uh, what you need. Mm-hmm. And for me, Billy, the spiritual, the physical side of, of visiting these sites yeah. and, and you, of course, leading me through all of this. It was profound. Mm-hmm. It was life changing. It was certainly a paradigm shift. Uh, for me, I think it was, uh, one of the most important experiences of my life outside of, you know, the birth of my daughter, Nicole, right. but it, it was that extraordinary to me. What is, the appeal mm-hmm. to Egypt over the last 5,000 years where 
tourism isn't a new thing. Yeah. The Greeks were tourists, mm-hmm. you know, at right. 1000 BC. Uh, what's the appeal? Egypt is built over a very strong energy vortex on Earth. Here we are in the vortex, right? The show. And so we know this by looking at Earth's magnetic field map from USGS.gov and overlaying it over Cairo. And you can see that there's this huge magnetic field there. And coincidentally, a lot of megalithic structures are there as well. So these structures were built in a specific way to actually harness the natural Earth energies. And also ancient knowledge and wisdom was built into the construction technique. So the architecture is like living architecture. And because of this, you have all the people saying they have all different types of incredible spiritual experiences. And that's why Egypt draws so many people. It also somehow taps into the psyche and the consciousness of a person where it's almost as if they feel like they've been there before and they have to go back and revisit the place. So it's pretty interesting. It's 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 a tangible experience. Yeah. Um, I personally now have uh, visited these temple sites and yeah. these pyramids and had one profound experience after another. Most of them caught me by surprise. Mm-hmm. Is there one temple complex for you where uh, these things occur? For me, it's really Dendera, the Dendera Temple Complex. It's an amazing site. you got to drive way out into the desert, about three hours out into the desert to get there. And when you see this massive megalithic structure just coming up out of the middle of nowhere, it takes your breath away. And as you walk about a quarter of a mile to get to the front door and go inside, and you see these, you know, super megalithic columns. And then a temple priest takes you into this underground crypt where you can see evidence of what looks like to be technology and an ancient storehouse of wisdom in this underground shaft. It just really blows you away. And for me, that's one of the places where people seem to have a lot of experiences. Several people had the most incredible experience at Dendera. Some saw lights. Some had a spiritual experience. Some heard things. Uh, I saw a lot of tears, a lot of tears there, a lot lot of emotions, a lot of tears, uh, including myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dendera was an extreme emotional experience for me. And it's not only uh, the the vibrations of the divine feminine, Mm -hmm. which is just everywhere. It's a it's a feminine temple, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the cinematic experience of uh, the artwork and the carving and the colors. There's that part of it, too. Mm-hmm. And then as as you're walking through, you can feel these energy sectors yeah. uh, coming in that mm-hmm. that reach in and tap into you. Yeah. Um, this is unexpected yeah. in, in that if you go in there not knowing what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a coach with me, mm-hmm. you are going to be affected, aren't you? You are. You're going to be affected. You're not going to realize that it's going to happen because it surprises you. And all of a sudden emotion grabs you. And I think it has a lot to do with the divine feminine. There's such a feminine energy there that kind of really gives you a certain level of balance. So, so a balance that a lot of people have been missing, didn't even know it wasn't, was missing because we live in a predominantly um, male energy type of a atmosphere right now in this current state of affairs on earth as a civilization. And our balance between masculine and feminine is actually off, even in women. And that's the way the programming's been working. And so you go there, and all of a sudden, the harmony hits you. And that's when the emotions kick in. I'm going to stay on Dendera, and I've got a video clip that we're going to run here in just a second. Mm -hmm. But so much talk about the Great Pyramid, and it's deserved, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, how many uh, people it took to build it and how many years. And 
we're li- dealing with the the orthodox uh, dogma of, of yeah. what we've been told about the Great Pyramid over the years. Yeah. And we understand that. But when you go to a site like Dendera or mm-hmm. Abydos or, yeah. or Karnak or these these temple sites mm-hmm. have the same amount of size, the same amount of engineering, yeah. and are just as complex and probably took the same amount of time as as it took to build the Great Pyramid. Right. Uh, these sites are everywhere, all over Egypt. Yeah, they're all over Egypt. The architectural floor plan or the, 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 the architectural, I guess, the master architect, I should say, really did a great job laying out how to build these things, the technology and the techniques to build them. You can see what looks like, in some cases, uh, tool markings. You can see evidence of advanced tooling and advanced technologies. These were not built with chicken bones and copper tools. No, they certainly weren't. And, <laughs> and, and you see it everywhere. Yeah. Um, so we were allowed the opportunity. Um, uh, it was my birthday, by the way, Josh. Billy, and through uh, his contacts mm-hmm. there in Egypt, uh, got us some access to these sites that uh, at Dendera that hadn't been opened and, and accessed for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Billy, we go to so much has been made of the Dendera light bulb, yeah. right? Under the crypt, uh, right. the main temple of Dendera. Yeah. Um, so we go through a ceremony mm-hmm. and Billy is given uh, the keys uh, to access this temple outside of yeah. of uh, Dendera on the ground. I need a vacation with you. It, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. Yeah. And we weren't allowed to talk. Mm-hmm. And we weren't allowed to photograph. Right. Billy and I enter this uh, very sacred space. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Billy and I are standing there. We look up and we saw another Dendera light bulb right. on the wall. Yeah. And now we weren't allowed to react. Right. Yeah. We, we couldn't talk. We couldn't, we couldn't do anything. So what what went through your mind as we looked up yeah. and there was a another Dendera well, first, bulb. I mean, just to back up, the fact that I was given the key by the temple priests to unlock and open a place that only literally administration had access to. That was mind blowing. And I got to do this on our tour in front of all of our you know group, and which was amazing and a blessing. And I unlock it and we go in and then see that when when you've been told and we've been taught that the only light bulbs that existed were the ones in that underground crypt, which we had just come out of not right. too long ago. And now here's more evidence that isn't in any, any, no mainstream document, no mainstream documentaries. I have never found it on Google. It's there. And it's like, oh, my God, this is like backing up. They knew this technology. This wasn't a fluke. This existed. Billy and I, Josh, uh, we were told by the, the temple priest. No talk. Mm-hmm. We go in and we see this light bulb and we want to scream and jump up and down and we're pointing at it and looking at it, but to see it in pristine uh, condition. Yeah. Um, and so after, after this experience, and it was profound, we come out of the temple and then I am told that we are going to enter an underground pharaonic lake. Now we're in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Um, why don't you go ahead and roll this clip? And uh, we're told that the, it, it's out and it's a stairway that's going to go down about five stories, about 50 feet underneath the desert. And I can't see where this is at. Right. Um, go ahead and roll the clip. 
As we walk across Billy, uh, it's Billy and I and the priest, and then we're told that I, you can see there, there's the three stones, and that's the stairway going down. And then I'm told I can't photograph and, and I can't speak. Right. Uh, so as we, this is a stairway going down into the, underneath the desert, five stories. Mm-hmm. There's the temple priest, and he turns to me and says, up. Turn off the no, camera. No, no. <laughs> and, and so here uh, yeah. we enter. And this was one of the most profound spiritual experiences of, of my entire life. And I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. This is a sacred site, Billy, where yeah. the pharaohs would go mm-hmm. to cleanse and right. spiritually uh, cleanse themselves right. with this uh, crystal mm-hmm. purified yeah. cool water. Mm-hmm. Deep underneath uh, the Sahara Desert. Yeah, uh, you've done it. Yeah. Um, did you have the same spiritual experience as as I went through? Absolutely. When you go down there, first of all, you don't know what to expect. You know, and you can't like, see. You can't see. It's pitch black, and then you come to this ice cold water in the middle of the desert, that far underground. You're like, wow, and it's crystal clear, and you're, you're dousing it, you know, on yourself, and you're kind of really giving yourself a self baptism. You get really emotional because it's like very. Wow. It's hard to not get emotional when you when you think about it. Uh, and, and it's like not you think there's eight billion people on Earth right now and less than one tenth of one percent of those people will even ever get a chance to go. And less than one percent of those people will ever get to even see what I just saw and touch what I just touched and be a part of what I just did. So it was really emotional, really spiritual. And what a blessing to be able to give our whole group the opportunity to go down there and do that, because that was unexpected. I didn't know they were going to give us access to that this time. So, Josh, I go down Mm -hmm. and we get to the bottom. I can't see. I can kind of hear water, which was a strange experience. You can't see in front of you. Your senses are cut off. You go from the extreme heat of, of the desert. Now you're down in this cool underground lake Mm -hmm. and I walked out uh, into the water and splashed myself. Was there a particular ceremony that you Uh, followed? I, 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 our our tour guide, I repeated what he did, which is what Billy did, which was completely drench yourself. Mm -hmm. So I do this. I turn around, Billy, I'm walking up the steps Mm -hmm. and it started this, this thing. The changes that were happening physically um, mm-hmm. uh, with my mind, my vision, yeah. um, my senses, everything was immediately altered. Mm-hmm. I get up to the top and I walk out into the sunlight. And this is what the ancients knew. Mm-hmm. This is the amnesia. They understood the process of going from the extreme heat mm-hmm. to the darkness, oh. to the cool, cooling down your body, turning around, walking back out. Into the sunlight, mm-hmm. the serotonin, melatonin yeah. conversion that is happening, mm-hmm. the chemical changes uh, that are happening with your brain and your body. Mm-hmm. So now it's a physical and spiritual experience. Yeah. And that's what the ancients knew yeah. three, four, five thousand years ago. And I find it completely profound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my mind my frontal lobes mm-hmm. exploded yeah. and they were doing this 5,000 years ago. I know. Incredible. Billy, these steps, mm-hmm. this entrance is in the middle of the desert. Right. How did they know that there was a lake down there? Where does this water come from? Mm-hmm. 
It's purified. It's crystal clear. It's cool. Yeah. It's not warm. Mm-hmm. What, do we have any idea? According to the priest, it was the knowledge was given to them by the Nituru. These are, from the time of Zeptepi, those were the gods that came from heaven to earth and turned mud into a kingdom. And so they gave the, them the location of this and taught them how to go down there and cleanse themselves. But the exact location of the source of how that water, where it flows from, how it gets there, is actually a secret of the temple priests. And they are forbidden to release that information. The Great Pyramid for me, my expectations were high. Yeah. It wasn't spiritual for me. Mm-hmm. It was mechanical. Mm. So I enter the Grand Gallery, and I it's magnificent. There's yeah. no question about it. It's right. beautiful. But it felt industrial to mm. me. Um, why, for me, did I lack a spiritual component? Mm-hmm. And was it not spiritual at all? Is it something else? I personally feel that the Great Pyramid itself is a multifunctional stone computer and a machine. Right. I think it has multiple functions, uh, some of it being former, formerly power generation. I think it was also a communications device. Uh, I think it was also a, a stabilization device. But inside the king's chamber, that's where some people have some real spiritual experiences, simply because of the ratio of the chamber and the sound, the resonance of the sounds. When everybody went in the chamber and started homing and started doing the meditation, with the ohm, it resonated off the crystal granite and gave them a spiritual experience. Other than that, the majority of that pyramid structure, the queen's chamber, the tunnels underneath, it's all, like you say, industrial. It really is a gigantic machine. When I came out of the Great Pyramid, um, I had the extreme honor and privilege to be completely alone on the Giza Plateau. <laughs> Everybody else was still inside of the pyramid. Josh, roll, uh, roll this uh, piece of video, please. Um, I'm alone. Yeah. I'm alone on the Giza Plateau, which normally there are tens of thousands oh, of, of tourists out. and camels. <laughs> Everybody's gone. Yeah. And here I am. Uh, I pan around. Yeah. I am the only person there. That's a rare shot. And it was quiet. It was solemn. Mm-hmm. But as I gathered my thoughts uh, after coming out of the pyramid mm-hmm. and, and uh, the Grand Gallery, I was overwhelmed with the profound feeling of this is mechanical. Mm. This is something else. It is void of hieroglyphics. It is void of artwork. You hear this, but when you see a temple that is beautiful and adorned, and then you go to the the Great Pyramid, the first thing that you're impacted with is there's nothing there to make it beautiful. It feels like a factory. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as you can see, uh, what I was trying to capture here was it's, it's perfection, mm-hmm. it's size, but it's not artistic. Right. It's very mechanical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The 144,000 casing stones have pretty much been removed and stripped away from the exterior of the Great Pyramid, making it look even more industrial. It used to have a very smooth finish to it. And that those casing stones, to me, as far as I can tell, were more like insulation, just like you would insulate a wire. Uh, but yeah, so you get that feeling. And if you look at the dimensions of the Great Pyramid and the location of it, you just, you discover it has a lot of industrial applications. For example, if you look at some of the, uh, mathematics incorporated into the base of the structure, 
you discover that you can calculate the speed of Earth around the sun, the speed of Earth on its axis, the distance to the moon, the distance to the sun can all be calculated by that. And you can even calculate the sidereal year, the tropical year. Uh, and so it has all these astronomical functions built into it. But then when you look at the way it's constructed, where it was on top of an ancient aquifer, which is now dried up. We know this because the tubules that are underneath the Great Pyramid are still there where the water used to flow from the Nile. And so that would run underneath the crystal granite, creating physiostatic electricity, which would then run up through the Grand Gallery, which used to have these resonating rods, according to some engineers. Right. And which would have then gone up into the King's Chamber and would have been amplified there and shot up through the apex. So they're showing wireless energy, which would have picked up been picked up by the jets, which we saw connected to the light bulb. Harnessing, it looks like a Tesla coil, harnessing wireless electricity and then sending it to the light bulbs for electricity and also gold electroplating, which they had back then. There, you bring up a really good point where, um, the Egyptologist over the years, uh, said that there's nothing underneath, uh, the pyramid complex. There's nothing underneath Kisa. Now we know, yeah. uh, that there is a complete <laughs> tunnel complex that yeah. starts, uh, at the, uh, the bird tombs, mm-hmm. um, on the northwest corner. And completely goes underneath uh, oh, yeah. the the Great Pyramid, and these are very large caves and tunnels. Yeah, they weren't supposed to exist. Right. Now we know that. And now, what is the purpose? Mm-hmm. And and the weight of these three pyramids mm-hmm. above that the engineering was put in place to not only support that, yeah. but to make sure it had access mm-hmm. uh, to the tunnels that right. are going underneath. And to that point, um, we had our own access uh, mm-hmm. to the Great Sphinx. Yes. And yes. And so much has been Great made uh, over the years uh, about uh, the Sphinx just being a statue, mm-hmm. uh, that there's nothing more to it. Uh, it. It's there in its own enclosure. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to see here. Of course, Edgar Casey talked about yeah. uh, a library of documents underneath uh, one of the front paws. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing there. Well, he brought this up. Yeah. And so Billy got his access and I shoot a video. Yeah. <laughs> and I walk around uh, alone and I'll walk around uh, the Great Sphinx and I get to the back. And there it is, mm-hmm. an entrance to a tunnel. That's right. Underneath the Great Sphinx. I've got the video here. Um, Josh, when... You first saw these tunnels underneath the Great Sphinx, and there it is. It's it's a video. What went through your mind? That I probably have a claustrophobia issue because <laughs> I don't know if I could climb down there. But also, what is down there, yeah. and what secrets can we glean? Right. There's two things as we as we watch the video. Um, right. There's two things that I captured here, Billy, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that you've seen this entrance before. Yeah. There's two tunnels. Mm-hmm. Uh, one clearly, uh, this is, uh, the beginning as I, as I start this walk around. And the first thing that you, you gather is the absolute size and perfection of, of the Great Sphinx. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming uh, wow. to see this. And so, uh, I try to capture this in this video, not knowing that I was about to walk upon, mm-hmm. uh, these, the, these tunnels and this yeah. entrance. And so this is what I saw. Mm-hmm. One tunnel, Billy, goes straight down, yep. and you can't see the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see that in a second. I've yep. got some images. What uh, 
What's at the bottom of that first tunnel? Well, underneath the Great Sphinx, there's a lot of tunnels. Some of them lead out for miles underneath Giza. And according to the Emerald Tablets, both claims they have even hidden a ship of some type underneath the Sphinx. There have been ground-penetrating radar reports stating that about a mile down, there's a massive cavern or some kind of opening with something underneath the Sphinx. Nobody's been given access to go that deep. When you say ship, ship for the water or ship as in a craft? Well, he calls it a ship that has the capability of battling an invader from the deep. And he's talking about deep space. Right. So I don't think it's a ship that sails it on the ocean. I think it's a spaceship of some type. He says the one that is the wisest will be able to free the ship and defeat the enemy with ease. Now, there is another tunnel. Mm-hmm. So you have one that's going straight down. You can't see the bottom of it. Yeah. I tried to capture it. Right. Um, and there is another tunnel off of this first tunnel mm-hmm. that goes to the front of the Sphinx. Mm-hmm. And what's that leading to? Well, if there's an ancient papyrus that exists, I have a replica of it where it shows both the Atlantean who ruled over the land of Kim for 14,000 years Landing on the back of the Sphinx in something that looks like some type of a uh, star, star tetrahedron, some type of a vehicle. He lands on the back, and then he would walk through the back of the head. There's a door in the back of the head, which is sealed, but it's, you can still see the outline of it at the top. And then there's a staircase that walks, it winds down and comes down, and he will come out in between the paws. But also that there's a storehouse of more information underneath that area. The Dream Stella, which we were touching when we were there and taking pictures in front of, that was added to the Sphinx much later. There used to be a, just a door behind the Dream Stella where they were coming right out of the chest. And underneath that are more tunnels leading to other areas. According to Philip, it would lead to his Halls of Amenti, which was connected to the Great Pyramid. Do we have the uh, tunnel video? Bring it up right now. There you go. So this is this is a photograph. Mm-hmm. Um uh, that I took and I tried to see the bottom of the tunnel. Yeah. You can't. No. I have no idea how deep that, that goes. The other photograph, uh, that we have here, mm-hmm. this is the second tunnel leading off of the main tunnel. Mm-hmm. Again, I couldn't see the end of it. I don't have any idea of the length of this, yeah. but these tunnels weren't supposed to exist. There no. was supposed to be no- <laughs> nothing underneath the Sphinx. Right. And and here it is. Uh, I saw it for myself. Yeah. See, the general population never gets access like we, we have. So they're, they're at a place that's maybe, I don't know, 50 meters above and maybe almost 100 yards or 50 yards away probably from the Sphinx. They can't even see down there. We were actually right up on it inside the Sphinx enclosure which hardly anybody gets a chance to do. And we were able to see that they do exist. Here's the thing. Why, why keep this from the public mm-hmm. and why the continue, uh, the why the continuation of, of denial of anything yeah. uh, other than what we've already been told? We can see that there are tunnels underneath the Sphinx. Right. We know that there are uh, caves and tunnels mm-hmm. and aquifers underneath uh, the Great Pyramid. Right. But nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to investigate it. Why continue with the secrecy? Because if you look into it and you find out that it's real, it verifies the ancient texts and the ancient documents, which means all of a sudden a lot of dogma and ideologies have to fall apart because these things exist. Also, the second reason is these ancient texts talk about hidden technologies and knowledge records being stored in these underground areas, which, as you know, the, the powers that be want to get that first. 
Because if there's any way that it gives you instructions on how to build a weapon or something that they can utilize or, or, you know, or they can weaponize, they want access to that first. If there's something they can monetize and convert that into technology that can be sold to the masses. Right. right. If we go down there, me and you, and we find it, you know, we're just going to tell everybody what it is. But if they get it and hoard the knowledge, that they have the power. Here's, I think here's the most important point that needs to be uh, discussed. Mm -hmm. Which is this. You, you enter Giza and you look around yeah. and it doesn't fit the timeline that we've been told. You can see yeah. with your own eyes that this is much older than we have been told. Yeah. But you compound that with site after site after site after site in Egypt, pyramid after pyramid after pyramid. And there is no way that all of this construction got built in the timeline that they're telling us, which is just, you know, barely under a thousand years, yeah. that they got all of these uh, megalithic structures and sites and pyramids all built yeah. with a population that didn't exist mm -hmm. to support this construction. Yeah. It's obviously much older than what they're telling us. Yeah. If you were going to uh, start taking guesses with your information, mm -hmm. how, how old are we talking about? Are we going back 10,000 years yeah. further? Well, if you go back 10 to 13,000 years, we're talking about the younger Dryas period, which was, to me, a lot of global catastrophes happening at that time. Right. Not a great time to build megalithic structures in that area, especially if the ice sheet has uh, been decimated and, as we know, come as far down as uh, Egypt. That's right. So no need to build at that time. I think if you look at the alignment of the Great Sphinx with the constellation of Leo and go back two processional periods, you find a time of tranquil peace a golden era, and you discover that in the Emerald Tablets, both talks about the fact that he built the Great Pyramid, according to him. And in the Sumerian Tablets, his father tells him to build a sphinx and put his face on it. Now, the face that's there now is not his face. It's been recarved into his nephew's face, the son of Amun-Ra. Mm -hmm. uh, but either way, uh, he built, I believe he was the master architect of that area. So we're talking about 36,000 B.C. We're talking about 38,000 years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm going to save the best for last, which is uh, the Serapium. Mm -hmm. First, it's very close to the Step Pyramid. Yeah. And as you walk through, you're th walking through sand dunes, you're walking mm -hmm. through the desert. Yeah. And you round this bend and you go down a hill and then underneath the sand is the entrance yeah. to the Serapium. As Josh, this is not a joke. As you're walking, you don't realize what you're walking on top of. Yeah. This ginormous uh, tunnel and cave system uh, that is housing these uh, 100-ton uh, crypts, yeah. uh, sarcophagus, boxes, whatever you want to call them. But when you enter, th this isn't a small tunnel, Billy. No. This is uh, a tunnel complex that is elegant. Yeah. It's 10 to 15, maybe 20 feet wide, mm -hmm. uh, 10 to 15 foot tall, beautiful archways. Yeah. And it goes on forever. Yeah. Underneath the sand in the middle of nowhere. Right. Wow. It's, 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 it's a, yeah. it's an accomplishment of engineering yes. that wasn't supposed to exist mm -hmm. thousands of years ago. Shouldn't exist would be hard to do today. <laughs> uh, actually to get those gigantic boxes, those granite boxes in those alcoves would be impossible. For impossible. And so when you look at this place and you go down under, first of all, the first thing you recognize, like you said, the engineering feat. 
there's no collapse. There's no evidence of a collapse anywhere. They understood the materials they were working with and how to build. It looks brand new. It does. It looks brand Christine. new. It looks like it was built yesterday. Yes. Also, you recognize the way the rock is is uh, hollowed out and to make these amazing tunnels and these alcoves, it's vitrified. So they must have used some type of a boring machine and would have solidified the tunnels and the alcoves at the same time. And then the next big question is, each alcove is in a 90-degree angle. So how do you get a 100-ton crystal granite box in there? You don't. You don't. You have to materialize them in there. So as you walk through mm-hmm. to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, these 100-ton sarcophagus that are 10 feet tall, yeah. you can walk underneath uh, the the lids. Yeah. It's the, the size and the extreme of everything right. doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But... Some of these, most of them, seem to be melted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have looked into uh, the temperature of melting granite, mm-hmm. uh, which is 12, 13, 1400 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and to melt a 100-ton granite box, I, I don't have any idea what that technology is. Yeah. But, Billy, uh, yeah. you showed me uh, a completely melted granite box. Yeah. Um, what, what, what? Was it a photon energy weapon? It was bizarre because if you remember, in the back of that alcove, that's the only alcove. Now, this one granite box that I showed you was the one with the stargates on it. Right. Etched into it. In the back of the alcove, there is this opening, this hole that somehow was blasted through that back of that alcove. And when you turn around and look directly where the direction of it, it's going right towards the warped, melted granite on that box. Some type of beam of energy of some type, in my hypothesis, I don't know this for a fact, my hypothesis, something came through that back of the alcove and hit that uh, that granite and warped and melted it and made it warp like like hot butter, which is almost impossible to do without cracking. There's no evidence of any cracking. It somehow altered the atomic structure of the granite. And the hieroglyphics, the lines that were carved, that adorn... This entire sarcophagus yeah. are, are still there, mm-hmm. and they're perfect. It's just melted in, right? but the lines are still lines straight. Still there. It's crazy. It's the most insane thing that yeah. I've ever seen, yeah. and it, it just doesn't make any sense. If you're going to build a 100-ton granite box, you're not going to make a mistake. right? You're not going to carve an indention into it <laughs> and then carve... Maybe nobody's going to see it if I just paint these hieroglyphics over the top and they won't notice that I've messed this up. That's not the case. You have a perfect hundred ton divine sarcophagus built. You've uh, laid all of this artwork and information over the top of it. That's what it was. You're not going to make a mistake. The damage, this melting happened after the fact. After. If you remember, at Dendera, the steps were melted. The granite steps coming down one of the passageways were also unexplainably melted. Nobody knows how. You're talking about two, 3,000 degrees, whatever the temperature is, to, to create liquefied staircases coming down there. So something energetic was happening back then. What exactly it is, we don't know, but somebody had technology. Those weren't torches doing that. <laughs> All I can say is I finally made it after 59 years. I did yeah. it on my birthday. And it was, again, one mm-hmm. of the most profound, life-changing experiences mm-hmm. I've ever had. Yeah. I want to thank you, Billy, for being here with us today on Into thank the you. Vortex. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Thank you, man. Josh, you've got to go. Yeah.
You've got to go. You're coming with us next, next time. time you guys go, please send out an invite. Absolutely. I need that experience. Thank you, Billy Carson. I'm your host, Jimmy Church, along with Josh. We'll see you next time on Into the Vortex. <laughs> okay. We have come to the moment now. And uh, Caroline's got a message for us, so let's share that here. This is the week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements, Fairy Elders, as they say, Fae Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other divine beings known as the Collective. Greetings, dear ones. We are very pleased to have this moment to speak with you today. Today, again, we speak with our writer who asks, My friends, is there a new normal that empaths, starseeds, lightbringers, and other sensitive beings can tap into now? These energies are so high, the highest that human bodies can withstand, from what I hear. So many are having trouble sleeping, or they feel exhausted, yet wired and stressed throughout the day, as though they are sleepwalking and sort of electrified at the same time. Is there a new normal in the middle of all of this? A new way to be so that we feel a bit more balanced and reassured, even in the midst of so much happening with extreme weather, armed conflict, economic and political turmoil. So many are saying, I thought the fifth dimension was going to be more calm, not less. What's happening? And I know you have said that the density is rising to the surface to be released, and this is a good thing, I agree. Yet how do we cope in the meantime when we feel to be between two worlds, the old and the new, the collective response? We are very glad you have asked this question, as it is indeed highly relevant now. This is the turning point, the time of rebirth we have spoken of before. Yet what makes it quite different from the past is that you are all working hard to expunge or resolve the old unhealed places uh, in your consciousness, in your own consciousness, as well as in the earth. And so, you are both patient and, and nurse in this scenario. And, and, and that is extremely demanding. You are all working very hard in the etheric all the time, both in your sleeping and your waking hours. Many of you work side by side with angelic and ET forces of light who may appear to be human outwardly, but who are not. The work extends to both what you are actively doing in your sleep state, which you do not usually con- consciously recall upon awakening, and the work you are doing energetically with your presence on turn the page here on the earth 24 hours a day many of you are now increasingly performing tasks of your earth mission in your daily waking hours 
not only in terms of energetic resonance, rather in terms of actual actions taken. And so you might be moving into an area of work now that entails, for example, healing, transforming, brainstorming, encouraging, counseling, building, reaching, or creating in ways that directly connect to the work you do as you travel both earth and space in your etheric bodies at night. You may be thinking that your earth mission is unknown to you, a mystery that is not connected to your real life, yet it is, and greatly so. That mission has become exponentially more powerful and expressive over the past year, and particularly these last few months, as the solar flares continue to send powerful light light waves forward. The energies are such that they are awakening in, in you long dormant aspects of your DNA that connect you to your divine creativity, higher insight and healing and purification of earth and your own and others' energies. And so, you are becoming increasingly aware of intrusions in your energies, beings, energies, influences. Turn the page. <laughs> uh, toxins that do not belong there. This will increase your discomfort at times, yes. Yet it also brings far greater clarity for your inner life and increasingly reveals to your true nature, your true path, and your real soul, family, and origins. We would say to those who feel they are not in touch with much or any of those experiences to understand that what is coming to you now is not something that the left brain will easily easily grasp. That is not necessary at this time. In fact, you have long been trained to be suspicious of that which the left brain cannot grasp. Trained to think only in narrowly defined parameters of what is acceptable, possible, or advisable. These narrow constructions have been applied to every area of your life. In every earth's life, you have ever lived since the fall to the third dimension. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, and now, what is happening, your thought processes are asking, are these new ways of sensing and experiencing life safe to trust? Is it possible to go through life and not stress or worry? Is it true that we live in a giant hologram and that there is no need to become stressed over the appearance of an issue? Because appearance is all it is. And not re reality. Am I also a holographic illusion or just my outer life? Many ideas will occur to you now, friends, and often they will, they will seem strange, unacceptable, or unlikely. And yet you cannot return to the old life. This is over and done with now. Each day now, you are accepting increasing levels of higher light 
into every cell of your being and becoming a new being. And who does not live at the survival level? One who, who does not live at the survival level and who does not fear the future because they realize that all time is now. All times are now, as we spoke of in the podcast last evening. While the old earth aspects of the human mind are swimming in confusion at how quickly life is changing on this planet, the new human mind is coming forward. Turn the page. Come on page here. <clears throat> they explain now that even bigger than the fact that I create my own life is the fact that my responses to that life and to all else can live in a peaceful acceptance of what I experience, that which I consciously created and that which I unconsciously created to, to learn from. That new human within you will also find increasingly now that there is no need to engage in negative emotion as an automatic response to creations I do not prefer. I can accept them as threads of color in the fabric, release all judgment, and focus on what I do want to create. All is well. You can no doubt feel how entirely different that kind of response to life is compared to the old fear-driven, self-protective outlook. This is you committing to your power. This is you releasing the need to have only good things happen in order to be at peace. And this is you denying release of your co-creative power to individual people or experiences as though they had some sort of influence on who you are at your core, for they do not. Decide now, will I welcome these changes as part of the great shift into enlightenment for myself and all others? And will I accept the shifts Mother Earth herself is experiencing without panic? Will I accept that the old Earth structures must fall and fade before the new can fully anchor? Or will I shrink back from the very transformation that I helped design before incarnating? We know you will accept the challenge before you, dear ones, just as you have accepted the demands of hundreds of challenging earth lives. The one very marked exception is that this particular challenging time on the earth is is the one that changes the vibration, experiences, and reality of an entire planet in unprecedented ways, which also shifts that vibration of the universe. Am I that powerful, you may wonder? We are happy to confirm that powerful and even more so. Namaste, dear ones. We are with you always. And I pass this talking stick with all of the changes, the shifts in our reality to this wonderful sister of mine, Rainbird, and all of the animals uh, that we talk to 
um, his numbers of deers that know him and come and revisit him, the crows, they don't forget a face. How many friends do you have, Rama? <laughs> No. You don't know? Too many. too many? No, there's no such thing as too many. <laughs> no. The world is changing and we all know it very well. And Rainbird, are you awake? <laughs> are you there? Here comes the talking stick. I got it and I am here. So thank you, thank you, thank you for another day. Oh my goodness, it was fun and and good and yeah, and the communication was good on the conference call <laughs> and yeah, lots of fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you brought forward. And I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. What you have for us tonight, huh? This is um, Alan Watts, an act of faith. Okay, an act of faith, everyone. Lao Tzu puts it in this way, the great Tao flows everywhere, both to the left and to the right. It loves and nourishes all things, but does not lord it over them. And when merits are accomplished, it lays no claim to them. The more, therefore, you relinquish power, trust others, the more powerful you become. But in such a way, that instead of having to lie awake nights controlling everything, you do it beautifully by trusting the job to everyone else. And they carry it on for you. This seems a sort of paradox to say this, but the principle of unity, of coming to a sense of, of oneness, with the whole of the rest of the universe is not to try to be, obtain power over the rest of the universe. That will only disturb it and uh, antagonize it and make it seem less one with you than ever. The way to become one with the universe is to trust it as another, as you would another, and say, let's see what you're going to do. But in doing that, you see, in saying that to everything else that you have been taught to think is not you, you are also saying it to yourself. Because finally, as I pointed out, you do not know where your decisions come from. They pop up like hiccups. And when you make a decision, People have a great deal of anxiety about making decisions. So when we decide, we're always worrying. Did I think this over long enough? Did I take enough data into consideration? And if you think it through, you find you never could take enough data into consideration. The data for a decision in any given situation is infinite. 
So what you do is you go through the motions of thinking out what you will do about this. And then when the time comes to act, you make a snap judgment. <laughs> I mean, I'm speaking a little extremely, uh, making some fun of it and uh, so on, because after all, uh, we, we do occasionally get the vague outlines of things and make a right decision on rational grounds. But we fortunately forget the variables that could have interfered with this coming out right. It's amazing how often it works. But warriors are people who think of all the variables beyond their control and what might happen. So then when you make a decision, and it works out all right, I think very little of it has much to do with your conscious intent and control. The more you let go of it and trust it as if it were quite other than you, the more you realize the inseparable identity of self and other. If you ever saw, for example, the film Contiki, uh, this man figured out a few things as to how to make a balsa wood raft to sail from South America to the Pacific Islands. But once he had set this in motion, he discovered that all sorts of unexpected factors cooperated with him. That when the wood got wet, it expanded so that the ties bit into it and held it completely secure. He had never expected that. And he found that as he sailed along, a flying fish would simply alight flat on the deck every morning for breakfast. That all kinds of natural factors, it was just, he, he, he touched the key where he was flowing with the course of nature and everything cooperated because he had touched the key. He had made the act of faith. Masiva. Thank you, Rama. Yeah. Haven't done the Krishna thing for a while. We're east meets west. We are all one. Under the sun. <laughs> Until we meet again, everyone. I thought I'd give out Cheryl Croce's phone number. Come and join us. Uh, it's at... Uh, Around 10 minutes of 7 Mountain Time, 10 minutes of 9 Eastern Time, everything in the middle there. Um, and we go for about three hours. And uh, it's 425 425-436-6260. 425-436-6260. And the pin code is 
7441 pound. 946741 pound. See you there in your dreams and on the bridge. Satnam. Satnam D. Ah, Homitakuyasan 13. Thank you. Honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. Everyone. The time is now. As they say, Happy Mother's Day from yesterday. And let's keep it going until we meet again. Aloha.